No planets. As the mass of an object increased, energy to nullify gravitation past thresholds matched to prime numbers. No shields met even greater energy barriers, another magnitude of exponential increase. Was Idaho suggesting that someone in the scattering might have found a way around the problem? She asked him. Ixians have not penetrated Holtzman's unification concept, he said. They merely use it, a theory that works even when you don't understand it. Why does he direct my attention to the technology of Ix? Ixians had their fingers in too many pies for the Bene Gesserit to trust them. Aren't you curious why the tyrant never suppressed Ix? he asked. And when she continued to stare at him, he only bridled them. He was fascinated by the idea of human and machine inextricably bound to each other, each testing the limits of the other. Cyborgs, among other things. Didn't Idaho know the residue of revulsion left by the Butlerian Jihad, even among the Bene Gesserit? Alarming, the convergence of what each human and machine could do. Considering machine limitations, that was a succinct description of Ixian short-sightedness. Was Idaho saying the tyrant subscribed to the idea of machine intelligence? Foolishness. She turned away from him. You're leaving too quickly, Belle. You should be more interested in Shiana's immunity to sexual bonding. The young men I send for polishing are not imprinted, and neither is she. Yet no honored Matra is more of an adept. Belonda saw now the value Odrade placed in this gola. Priceless, and I might have killed him. This nearness of that error filled her with dismay. When she reached the doorway, he stopped her once more. The futars I saw on Garmu. Why were we told they hunt and killed honored Matras? Mabella knows nothing of this. Alonda left without looking back. Everything she had learned about Idaho today increased his danger, but they had to live with it for now. Idaho took a deep breath and looked at the puzzled Teg. Thank you for being here, and I do appreciate the fact that you remained silent in the face of great provocation. She wouldn't really have killed you, would she? If you'd not gained me those first few seconds, she might have. Why? She has the mistaken idea that I might be a Kwisatz Haderach, like Muad'Dib and his son. Well, she won't hurt you now. Idaho looked at the door where Belonda had gone. Reprieve, that was all he had achieved. Perhaps he no longer was just a cog in the machinations of others. They had achieved a new relationship, one that could keep him alive if carefully exploited. Emotional attachments had never figured in it, not even with Mabella, nor with Odrade. Deep down, Mabella resented sexual bondage as much as he did. Odrade might hint at ancient ties of Atreides' loyalty, but emotions in a reverend mother could not be trusted. Atreides. He looked at Teg, seeing family appearance already beginning to shape the immature face. And what have I really achieved with Belle? 
they no longer were likely to provide him with false data. He could place a certain reliance in what a reverend mother told him, coloring this by awareness that any human might make mistakes. I'm not the only one in a special school. The sisters are in my school now. May I go find Mabella? Teg asked. She promised to teach me how to fight with my feet. I don't think the Bashar ever learned that. Who never learned it? Head down, abashed. I never learned it. Mabella's on the practice floor. Run along, but let me tell her about Belonda. Schooling in a Bene Gesserit environment never stopped, Idaho thought, as he watched the boy leave. But Mabella was right when she said they were learning things available only from the sisters. This thought stirred misgivings. He saw an image in memory, Skytail standing behind the field barrier in a corridor. What was their fellow prisoner learning? Idaho shuddered, thinking of the Tlilaks who always called up memories of face dancers. And that recalled face dancer ability to reprint the memories of anyone they killed. This in its turn filled him with fears of his visions. Face dancers, and I'm a Tlilaksu experiment. This was not something he dared explore with a reverent mother, or even within the sight or hearing of one. He went out in the corridors then, and into Mabella's quarters, where he settled himself in a chair and examined the residue of a lesson she had studied. Voice. There was the clare tone she used to echo her vocal experiments. The breathing harness to force Pranabindu responses lay across a chair, carelessly discarded in a tangle. She had bad habits from honored Matra days. Mabella found him there when she returned. She wore skin-tight white leotards blotched with perspiration and was in a hurry to remove this clothing and make herself comfortable. He stopped her on the way to the shower, using one of the tricks he had learned. I've discovered some things about the sisterhood that we didn't know before. Tell me. It was his Mabella demanding this, perspiration glistening on her oval face, green eyes admiring. My Duncan saw through them again. A game where one of the pieces cannot be moved, he reminded her. Let the Komai watchdogs play with that one. They not only expect me to help them create a new religion around Shiana, our willing participation in their dream, I'm supposed to be their gadfly, their conscience, making them question their own excuses for extraordinary behavior. Has O'Drade been here? Belonda. Duncan, that one is dangerous. You should never see her alone. The boy was with me. He never said. He obeys orders. All right. What happened? He gave her a brief account, even to describing Belonda's facial expressions and other reactions. And wouldn't the Komai watchers have great sport with that? Mabella was enraged. If she harms you, I will never again cooperate with any of them. Right on cue, my darling. Consequences. You Bene Gesserit witches should re-examine your behavior with great care. I'm still stinking from the practice floor, she said. That boy, he's a quick one. I've never seen a child that bright. 
he stood. Here, I'll scrub you. In the shower, he helped her out of the sweaty leotards, his hands cool on her skin. He could see how much she enjoyed his touch. So gentle and yet so strong, she whispered. Gods below, the way she looked at him, as though she could devour him. For once, Mabella's thoughts of Idaho were free of self-accusation. I remember no moment when I awakened and said, I love him. No, it had wormed its way into this deeper and deeper addiction until, accomplished fact, it must be accepted in every living moment, like breathing or heartbeats. A flaw. The sisterhood is wrong. Wash my back she said, and laughed when the shower drenched his clothing. She helped him undress, and there in the shower it happened once more. This uncontrollable compulsion, this male-female mingling that drove away everything except sensation. Only afterward could she remember and say to herself, he knows every technique I do. But it was more than technique. He wants to please me. Dear gods of Dur, how was I ever this fortunate? She clung to his neck while he carried her out of the shower and dropped her still wet onto her bed. She pulled him down beside her and they lay there quietly, letting their energies rebuild. Presently she whispered, So the missionaria will use Shiana. Very dangerous. Puts the sisterhood in an exposed position. I thought they always tried to avoid that. From my point of view, it's ludicrous. Because they intended you to control Shiana. No one can control her. Perhaps no one should. He looked up at the commies. Hey, Belle, you have more than one tiger by the tail. Belonda, returning to archives, stopped at the door of the commi recording and looked a question at the watchmother. In the shower again, the watch mother said. It gets boring after a while. Participation mystique, Belonda said and strode off to her quarters, her mind roiling with charged perceptions that needed reorganizing. He's a better mentat than I am. I'm jealous of Shiana, damn her, and he knows it. Participation mystique, the orgy as energizer. Arnold Matra's sexual knowledge was having an effect on the Bene Gesserit akin to that primitive subversion in shared ecstasy. We take one step toward it and one step away. Just knowing this thing exists, how repellent, how dangerous, and yet, how magnetic. And Shiana is immune, damn her. Why did Idaho have to remind them of that just now? Give me the judgment of balanced minds in preference to laws every time. Codes and manuals create patterned behavior. All patterned behavior tends to go unquestioned, gathering destructive momentum. Darwi Odrade. Tamerlane appeared in Odrade's quarters at El Dio just before dawn, bringing news about the glazeway ahead of them. Drifting sand has made the road dangerous or impassable in six places beyond the sea. Very large dunes. 
Odrade had just completed her daily regimen. Mini agony of spice followed by exercise and cold shower. Eldio's guest sleeping cell had only one sling chair. They knew her preferences, and she had seated herself to await Streggy and the morning report. Tamerlane's face appeared sallow in the light of two silvery glow globes, but there was no mistaking her satisfaction. If you had listened to me in the first place. Get his thopters, Odrade said. Tamerlane left, obviously disappointed at Mother Superior's mild reaction. Odrade summoned Streggy. Check alternate roads. Find out about passage around the sea's western end. Streggy hurried away, almost colliding with Tamerlane, who was returning. I regret to inform you that transport cannot give us enough thopters immediately. They are relocating five communities east of us. We probably can have them by noon. Isn't there an observation terminal at the edge of that desert spur south of us? Odrade asked. The first obstruction is just beyond it. Tamerlane still was too pleased with herself. Have the thopters meet us there, Odrade said. We will leave immediately after breakfast. But da, tell Clareby you are riding with me today. Yes, Streggy? The acolyte stood in the doorway behind Tamerlane. The set of her shoulders as she left said Tamerlane did not take the new seating arrangements as forgiveness. On the coals. But Tam's behavior fitted itself to their need. We can get to the observation terminal, Streggy said, indicating she had heard. We'll stir up dust and sand, but it's safe. Let's hurry breakfast. The closer they came to the desert, the more barren the country, and Odrade commented on this as they sped south. Within one hundred clicks of the last reported desert fringe, they saw signs of communities uprooted and removed to colder latitudes, bare foundations, unsalvageable walls damaged in dismantling and left behind, pipes cut off at foundation level, too expensive to dig them out. Sand would cover all of this unsightly mess before long. They had no shield wall here as they had been on Dune, Adrade observed to Streggy. Some day soon the population of Chapter House would remove itself to polar regions and mine the ice for water. Is it true, Mother Superior? Someone in back with Tamerlane asked. That we're already making spice harvesting equipment? Adrade turned in her seat. The question had come from a communications clerk, senior acolyte, an older woman with responsibility wrinkles deep in her forehead, dark and squinty from long hours at her equipment. We must be ready for the worms, Odrade said. If they come, Tamerlane said. Have you ever walked on the desert, Tam? Odrade asked. I was on dune, very short answer. But did you go out into open desert? Only to some small drifts near Keene. That is not the same. A short answer deserved an equally short rejoinder. Other memory tells me what I need to know. That was for the acolytes. It's not the same, Tam. You have to do it yourself. A very curious sensation on Dune, knowing a worm could come at any instant and consume you. I've heard about your Dune exploit. Exploit. Not experience. Exploit. Very precise with her censure. Quite like Tam. Too much of Bell has rubbed off on her, some will say. Walking on that sort of desert changes you, Tam. Other memory becomes clearer. 
It's one thing to tap experiences of a Fremen ancestor. It's quite different walking there as a Fremen yourself, if only for a few hours. I did not enjoy it. So much for Tam's venturesome spirit, and everyone in the car had seen her in a bad light. Word would spread. On the coals indeed. But now the shift to Shiana on the council, if she suits, would have an easier explanation. The observation terminal was a fused expanse of silica, green and glassy with heat bubbles through it. Odrade stood at the fused edge and noted how grass below her ended in patches, sand already invading the lower slopes of this once verdant hill. There were new salt bushes, planted by Shiana's people, one of Odrade's entourage said, forming a random grey screen along the encroaching fingers of desert. A silent war. Chlorophyll-based life fighting a rearguard action against the sand. A low dune lifted above the terminal to her right. Waving for the others not to follow, she climbed the sand hill, and just beyond its concealing bulk there was the desert of memory. So this is what we are creating. No signs of habitation. She did not look back at growing things making their last desperate struggle against invading dunes, but kept her attention focused outward to the horizon. There was the boundary desert dwellers watched. Anything moving in that dry expanse was potentially dangerous. When she returned to the others, she kept her gaze for a time on the glazed surface of the terminal. The older communications acolyte came up to Odrade with a request from weather. Odrade scanned it, concise and inescapable, nothing sudden about the changes spelled out in these words. They were asking for more ground equipment. This did not come with the abruptness of an accidental storm, but with Mother Superior's decision. Yesterday? Did I decide to phase out the sea only yesterday? She turned the report to the communications acolyte and looked beyond her at the sand-marked glaze. Request approved. Then, it saddens me to see all of those buildings gone back there. The acolyte shrugged. She shrugged. Odrade felt like striking her, and wouldn't that send upsets rumbling through the sisterhood? Odrade turned her back on the woman. What could I possibly say to her? We have been on this ground five times the lifetime of our oldest sisters, and this one shrugs. Yet, by some standards, she knew the sisterhood's installations had barely reached maturity. Plas and plasteel tended to maintain an orderly relationship between buildings and their settings, fixed in land and memory. Towns and cities did not submit easily to other forces, except to human whims. Another natural force. The concept of respect for age was an odd one, she decided. Humans carried it inborn. She had seen it in the old Basha when he spoke of his family holdings on Lernius. We thought it fitting to keep my mother's decor. Continuity. Would a revived Ecola revive those feelings as well? This is where my kind have been. That took on a peculiar patina when my kind were blood-related ancestors. Look how long we Atreides persisted on Caladan, restoring the old castle, polishing deep carvings in ancient wood, whole teams of retainers just to keep the creaking old place at a level of barely tolerable functionalism. But those retainers had not thought themselves ill-used. There had been a sense of privilege in their labors. 
Hands that polished the wood almost caressed it. Old. Been with the Atreides a long time now. People and their artifacts. She felt tool sense as a living part of herself. I'm better because of this stick in my hand. Because of this fire-sharpened spear to kill my meat. Because of this shelter against the cold. Because of my stone cellar to store our winter food. Because of this swift sailing vessel, this giant ocean liner, this ship of metal and ceramics that carries me into space. Those first human venturers into space. How little they suspected of where the voyage would extend. How isolated they were in those ancient times. Little capsules of livable atmosphere linked to cumbersome data sources by primitive transmission systems. Solitude. Loneliness. Limited opportunity for anything but surviving. Keep the air washed. Be sure of potable water. Exercise to prevent the debilitation of weightlessness. Stay active. Healthy mind in a healthy body. What was a healthy mind anyway? Mother Superior? That damned communications acolyte again. Yes. Belonda says to tell you immediately there has been a messenger from Boozel. Strangers came and took all of the Reverend Mothers away. Odraid whirled. Her entire message? No, Mother Superior. The strangers are described as commanded by a woman. The messenger says she had the look of an honoured matre, but was not wearing one of their robes. Nothing from Dortujla or the others? They were not given the opportunity, Mother Superior. The messenger is a first-stage acolyte. She came in the small no-ship following explicit orders from Dortujla. Tell Bell that acolyte must not be allowed to leave. She has dangerous information. I will brief a messenger when I return. It must be a reverend mother. Do you have that? Of course, Mother Superior. Hurt at the suggestion of doubt. It was happening. Audrade contained her excitement with difficulty. They have taken the bait. Now, are they on the hook? Dortujla did a dangerous thing depending on an acolyte that way. Knowing Dortujla, that must be an extremely reliable acolyte, prepared to kill herself if captured. I must see this acolyte. She may be ready for the agony. And perhaps that's a message Dortujla sends me. It would be like her. Bell would be incensed, of course. Foolish to depend on someone from a punishment station. Odraid summoned a communications team. Set up a link with Belonda. The portable projector was not as clear as a fixed installation, but Bell and her setting were recognizable. Sitting at my table as though she owned it. Excellent. Not giving Belonda time for one of her outbursts, Odraid said, Determine if that messenger acolyte is ready for the agony. She is. Gods below, that was terse for Bell. Then see to it. Perhaps she can be our messenger. Already have. Is she resourceful? Very. What in the name of all the devils has happened to Belle? She's acting extremely odd, not like her usual self at all. Duncan. Oh, and Belle, I want Duncan to have an open link with archives. Did that this morning. Well, well, contact with Duncan is having its effect. I'll talk to you after I've seen Shiana. Tell Tam she was right. About what? Just tell her. Very well. I must say, Bell, I couldn't be more satisfied with the way you're handling matters. After the way you've handled me, how could I fail? 
Valonda was actually smiling as they broke the connection. Odrade turned to find Tamerlane standing behind her. Right about what, Tam? That there's more to contacts between Idaho and Shiana than we've suspected. Tamerlane moved close to Odrade and lowered her voice. Don't put her in my chair without discovering what they keep secret. I'm aware you knew my intentions, Tam, but am I that transparent? In some things, Da. I'm fortunate to have you as a friend. You have other supporters. When the proctors voted, it was your creativity that worked for you. Inspired is the way one of your defenders put it. Then you know I'll have Shiana on the coals quite thoroughly before I make one of my inspired decisions. Of course. Odrade signaled communications to remove the projector and went to wait at the edge of the glassy area. Creative imagination. She knew the mixed feelings of her associates. Creativity. Always dangerous to entrenched power, always coming up with something new. New things could destroy the grip of authority. Even the Bene Gesserit approached creativity with misgivings. Maintaining an even keel inspired some to shunt boat rockers aside. That was an element behind Dortuzla's posting. The trouble was that creative ones tended to welcome backwaters. They called it privacy. It had taken quite a force to bring Dortuzla out. Be well, Dortuzla. Be the best bait we ever used. The Thopters came then, sixteen of them pilots showing displeasure at this added assignment after all the trouble they had been through, moving whole communities. In a fragile mood, Odrade watched the Thopters settle to the hard, glazed surface, wing fans folding back into pod sleeves, each craft like a sleeping insect. An insect designed in its own likeness by a mad robot. When they were airborne, Stregi once more seated beside Odrade, Stregi asked, Will we see sandworms? Possibly, but there are no reports of them yet. Stregi sat back, disappointed by the answer, but unable to lever it into another question. Truth could be upsetting at times, and they had such high expectations invested in this evolutionary gamble, Odrade thought. Else why destroy everything we loved on Chapter House? Simulflo intruded with an image of a long-ago sign arching over a narrow entry to a pink brick building. Hospital for Incurable Diseases. Was that where the sisterhood found itself? Or was it that they tolerated too many failures? Intrusive other memory had to have its purpose. Failures? Odrade searched it out. If it comes, we must think of Marbella as a sister. Not that their captive on Admatre was an incurable failure, but she was a misfit and undergoing the deep training at a very late age. How quiet they were all around her, everyone looking out at windswept sand, whaleback dunes giving way at times to dry wavelets. Early afternoon sun had just begun to provide sufficient side lighting to define near vistas. Dust obscured the horizon ahead. Odrade curled up in her seat and slept. I've seen this before. I survived Dune. The stir as they came down and circled over Shiana's Desert Watch Center awakened her. Desert Watch Center. We're at it again. We haven't really named it. No more than we gave a name to this planet. Chapter House. What kind of a name is that? 
Desert Watch Center. Description, not a name. Accent on the temporary. As they descended, she saw confirmations of her thought. The sense of temporary housing was amplified by Spartan abruptness in all junctures. No softness, no rounding of any connection. This attaches here and that goes over there, all joined by removable connectors. It was a bumpy landing, the pilot telling them that way, here you are in good riddance. Odrade went immediately to the room always set aside for her and summoned Shiana. Temporary quarters. Another Spartan cubicle with hard cot. Two chairs this time. A window looked westward onto desert. The temporary nature of these rooms grated on her. Anything here could be dismantled in hours and carted away. She washed her face in the adjoining bathroom, getting the most out of movement. She had slept in a cramped position on the thopter and her body complained. Refreshed, she went out to a window, thankful that the erection crew had included this tower. Ten floors, and this the ninth. Shiana occupied the top floor, a vantage for doing what the name of the place described. While waiting, Odrade made necessary preparations. Open the mind, shed preconceptions. First impressions when Shiana arrived must be seen with naive eyes. Ears must not be prepared for a particular voice. Nose must not expect remembered odors. I chose this one. I, her first teacher, am susceptible to mistakes. Odrade turned at a sound from the doorway. Streggy. Shiana has just returned from the desert and is with her people. She asks Mother Superior to meet her in the upper quarters, which are more comfortable. Odrade nodded. Shiana's quarters on the top floor still had that prefab look at the edges. Quick shelter ahead of the desert. A large room, six or seven times the size of the guest cubicle, but then it was both workroom and sleeping chamber. Windows on two sides, west and north. Odrade was struck by the mixture of functional and non-functional. Shiana had managed to make her rooms reflect herself. A standard Bene Gesserit cot had been covered with a bright orange and umber spread. A black-on-white line drawing of a sandworm, head-on with all of its crystal teeth displayed, filled an end wall. Shiana had drawn it, relying on other memory and her dune childhood to guide her hand. It said something about Shiana that she had not attempted a more ambitious rendering. Full colour, perhaps, and in traditional desert setting. Just the worm and a hint of sand beneath it, a tiny robed human in the foreground. Herself? Admirable restraint and a constant reminder of why she was here, a deep impression of nature. Nature makes no bad art? It was a statement too glib to accept. What do we mean by nature? She had seen atrocious natural wilderness, Brittle trees looking as though they had been dipped in faulty green pigment and left on a tundra's edge to dry into ugly parodies. Repellent. Hard to imagine such trees having any purpose. And blind worms. Slimy yellow skins. Where was the art in them? Temporary stopping place on evolution's journey elsewhere. Did the intervention of humans always make a difference? Sligs. The Benetrelax had produced something disgusting there. Admiring Shiana's drawing, Odrade decided certain combinations offended particular human senses. Sligs as food were delectable. Ugly combinations touched early experiences. Experiences judged. 
bad thing. Much of what we think of as art caters to desires for reassurance. Don't offend me. I know what I can accept. How did this drawing reassure Shiana? Sandworm. Blind power guarding hidden riches. Artistry in mystic beauty. It was reported that Shiana joked about her assignment. I am shepherd to worms that may never exist. And even if they did appear, it would be years before any achieved the size indicated by her drawing. Was it her voice from the tiny figure in front of the worm? This will come in time. An odor of melange pervaded the room stronger than usual in a reverend mother's quarters. Audrey passed a searching look across the furnishings. Chairs, work table, illumination from anchored glow globes, everything placed where it would serve to advantage. But what was that oddly shaped mound of black plaz in the corner? More of Shiana's work? These rooms fitted Shiana, Odraid decided. Little other than the drawing to recall her origins, but the view out any window might have been from Daris Balat, deep in Dune's drylands. A small rustling sound at the doorway alerted Odraid. She turned and there was Shiana, almost shy the way she peered around the door before entering Mother Superior's presence. Motion as words. So she did come to my rooms, good. Someone might have been careless with my invitation. Odraid's redded senses tingled with Shiana's presence, the youngest ever reverend mother. You often thought of quiet little Shiana. She was not always quiet, nor was she small, but the label stuck. She was not even mousy, but frequently quiet, like a rodent waiting at the edge of a field for the farmer to leave. Then the mouse would come darting out to glean fallen grains. Shiana came fully into the room and stopped less than a pace from Odraid. We've been too long apart, Mother Superior. Odraid's first impression was oddly jumbled. Candor and concealment? Shiana stood quietly receptive. This descendant of Siona Atreides had developed an interesting face under the Bene Gesserit patina, maturity working on her according to both sisterhood and Atreides' designs, marks of many decisions firmly taken. The slender, dark-skinned waif with sun-streaked brown hair had become this poised reverend mother, skin still dark from long hours in the open, hair still sun-streaked, the eyes, though the steely total blue that said, I have been through the agony. What is it I sense in her? Shiana saw the look on Adraid's face, Bene Gesserit naivete, and knew this was the long-feared confrontation. There can be no defense except my truth, and I hope she stops short of a full confession. Odraid watched her former student with exquisite care, every sense open. Fear. What do I sense? Something when she spoke? The steadiness of Shiana's voice had been shaped into the powerful instrument Odraid had anticipated at their first meeting. Shiana's original nature, a Fremen nature, if there ever was one, had been curbed and redirected, that core of vindictiveness smoothed out, her capacity for love and hatred brought under tight reins. Why do I get the impression she wants to hug me? Odraid felt suddenly vulnerable. This woman has been inside my defences. No way to exclude her totally ever again. Tamerlane's judgment came to mind. She is one of those who keeps herself to herself. 
Remember Sister Shuangyu? Like that one, but better at it. Shiana knows where she is going. We'll have to watch her carefully. Atreides' blood, you know. I'm Atreides too, Tam. Don't think we ever forget it. You think we'd just stand idly by if Mother Superior chose to breed on her own? There are limits to our tolerance, Star. Indeed, this visit is long overdue, Shiana. Odraid's tone alerted Shiana. She stared back suddenly with that look the sisterhood called B.G. Placid, than which there probably was nothing more placid in the universe, nothing more completely a mask of what occurred behind it. This was not just a barrier, it was a nothing. Anything on this mask would be transgression. This in itself was betrayal. Shiana realized it immediately and responded with laughter. I knew he would come probing. The hand talk with Duncan, right? Please, Mother Superior, accept this. All of it, Shiana. He wants someone to rescue them if honored Matres attack. That's all? Does she think me a complete fool? No. He wants information about our intentions and what we're doing to meet the honored Matre threat. What have you told him? Everything I could. Truth is my only weapon. I must divert her. Are you his friend at court, Shiana? Yes, so am I. But not Tam and Bell? My informants tell me Bell now tolerates him. Bell? Tolerant? You misjudge her, Shiana. It's a flaw in you. She is hiding something. What have you done, Shiana? Shiana, do you think you could work with Bell? Because I tease her? Work with Bell? What does she mean, not Bell to head that damnable missionaria project? A faint twitching lifted the corners of Odraid's mouth. Another prank? Could that be it? Shiana was a prime gossip subject in Central's dining rooms. Stories of how she teased breeding mistresses, especially Belle, and elaborately detailed accounts of seductions fleshed out with honored matre comparisons from Merbella spiced more than the food. Odraid had heard snatches of the latest story only two days ago. She said, I use the let him misbehave method, very effective with men who think they're leading you down the garden path. Tease? Is that what you do, Shiana? An appropriate word. Reshape by going against the natural inclination. The instant the words were out of her mouth, Shiana knew she had made a mistake. Odraid felt warning stillness. Reshape? Her gaze went to that odd black mound in the corner. She stared at it with a fixity that surprised her. It drank vision. She kept probing for coherence, something that spoke to her. Nothing responded, not even when she probed to her limits. And that's its purpose. It's called void, Shiana said. Yours? Please, Shiana, say someone else did it. The one who did this has gone where I cannot follow. I did it one night about a week ago. Is Black Plaz the only thing you reshape? A fascinating comment on art in general, and not on art specific. I have a problem with you, Shiana. You alarm some sisters. And me. There's a wild place in you we have not found. Atreides gene markers Duncan told us to seek are in your cells. What have they given you? Alarm my sisters? Especially when they recall that you're the youngest ever to survive the agony. Except for abominations. 
Is that what you are? Mother Superior! She has never deliberately hurt me, except as a lesson. You went through the agony as an act of disobedience. Wouldn't you say rather that I went against mature advice? Humor sometimes distracts her. Prester, Shiana's acolyte aide, came to the door and rapped lightly on the wall beside it until she had their attention. You said I was to tell you immediately when the search teams returned. What do they report? Relief in Shiana's voice. Team 8 wants you to look at their scans. They always want that. Shiana spoke with forced frustration. Do you want to look at the scans with me, Mother Superior? I'll wait here. This won't take long. When they had gone, Adraid went to the western window, a clear view across rooftops to the new desert. Small dunes here, almost sunset and that dry heat so reminiscent of dune. What is Shiana hiding? A young man, hardly more than a boy, had been sunning nude on a neighboring rooftop, face up on a sea-green mattress with a golden towel across his face. His skin was a sun-warmed gold to match towel and pubic hair. A breeze touched a corner of the towel and lifted it. One languid hand came up and restored the cover. How can he be idle? Night worker? Probably. Idleness was not encouraged, and this was flaunting it. Odraid smiled to herself. Anyone could be excused for assuming he was a night worker. He might be depending on that specific guess. The trick would be to remain unseen by those who knew otherwise. I will not ask. Intelligence deserves some rewards. And after all, he could be a night worker. She lifted her gaze. A new pattern emerging here. Exotic sunsets. Narrow band of orange drawn along the horizon, bulging where the sun had just dipped below the land. Silvery blue above the orange went darker overhead. She had seen this many times on Dune. Meteorological explanations she did not care to explore. Better to let eyes absorb this transient beauty. Better to permit eyes and skin to feel sudden stillness descend upon this land in the quick darkness after the orange vanished. Faintly, she saw the young man pick up mattress and towel and vanish behind a ventilator. A sound of running in the corridor behind her. Shiana entered almost breathless. They found a spice mass thirty clicks northeast of us, small but compact. Audrade did not dare hope. Could it be wind accumulation? Not likely. I set a round-the-clock watch on it. Shiana glanced at the window where Odraid stood. She has seen Trebo, perhaps. I asked you earlier, Shiana, if you could work with Bell. It was an important question. Tam is getting very old and must be replaced soon. There must be a vote, of course. Me? It was totally unexpected. My first choice. Imperative now. I want you close where I can keep watch on you. But I thought, I mean the missionary's plan, that can wait. And there must be someone else who can shepherd worms, if that spice mass is what we hope. Oh, yes, several of our people, but no one who... Don't you want me to test whether the worms still respond to me? Work on the council should not interfere with that. I... You can see I'm surprised. I would have said, shocked. Tell me, Shiana, what really interests you these days? Still probing. Trebo, serve me now. 
making sure the desert grows well. Truth. And my sex life, of course. You saw the young man on the roof next door? Trebo. A new one Duncan sent me for polishing. Even after Audrey had gone, Shiana wondered why those words had aroused such merriment. Mother Superior had been deflected, though. No need even to waste her fallback position. Truth. We've been discussing the possibility that I might imprint Teg and restore the Basha's memories that way. Full confession avoided. Mother Superior did not learn that I have weaseled out the way to reactivate our no-ship prison and defuse the mines Belonda put in it. No sweeteners will cloak some forms of bitterness. If it tastes bitter, spit it out. That's what our earliest ancestors did. The Coda Mabella found herself arising in the night to continue a dream, although quite awake and aware of her surroundings. Duncan asleep beside her, faint ticking of machinery, the chrono projection on the ceiling. She insisted on Duncan's presence at night lately, fearful when alone. He blamed the fourth pregnancy. She sat on the edge of the bed. The room was ghostly in the dim light of the chrono. Dream images persisted. Duncan grumbled and rolled toward her. An outflung arm draped itself across her legs. She felt that this mental intrusion was not dream stuff, but it had some of those characteristics. Bene Gesserit teachings did this. Them and their damned suggestions about Sightail and... and everything. They precipitated motion she could not control. Tonight she was lost in an insane world of words. The cause was clear. Belonda that morning had learned Mirbella spoke nine languages and had aimed the suspicious acolyte down a mental path called linguistic heritage. But Bell's influence on this nighttime madness provided no escape. Nightmare. She was a creature of microscopic size, trapped in an enormous echoing place labelled in giant letters wherever she turned data reservoir. Animated words with grimacing jaws and fearsome tentacles surrounded her. Predatory beasts, and she was their prey. Awakened, knowing she sat on the edge of her bed with Duncan's arm on her legs, she still saw the beasts. They herded her backward. She knew she was going backward, although her body did not move. They pressed her toward a terrible disaster she could not see. Her head would not turn. Not only did she see these creatures, they hid parts of her sleeping chamber, but she heard them in a cacophony of her nine languages. They will tear me apart! Although she could not turn, she sensed what lay behind her, more teeth and claws, threat all around. If they cornered her, they would pounce and she was doomed. Done for, dead, victim, torture captive, fair game. Despair filled her. Why would Duncan not awaken and save her? His arm was a lead weight, part of the force holding her and allowing these creatures to herd her into their bizarre trap. She trembled. Perspiration poured from her body. Awful words. They united into giant combinations. A creature with knife-fanged mouth came directly toward her and she saw more words in the gaping blackness between its jaws. See above. Marbella began to laugh. She had no control of it. See above. Done for. Dead. Victim. 
The laughter awakened Duncan. He sat up, activated a low glow globe and stared at her. How tousled he looked after their earlier sexual collision. His expression hovered between amusement and upset at being awakened. Why are you laughing? Laughter subsided in gasps. Her sides ached. She was afraid his tentative smile would ignite a new spasm. Oh, oh, Duncan, sexual collision? He knew this was their mutual term for the addiction that bound them, but why would it make her laugh? His puzzled expression struck her as ludicrous. Between gasps, she said, Two more words, and she had to clamp her mouth closed to prevent another outburst. What? His voice was the funniest thing she had ever heard. She thrust a hand at him and shook her head. Oh, oh! Marbella, what's wrong with you? She could only continue shaking her head. He tried a tentative smile. It gentled her and she leaned against him. No, when his right hand wandered, I just want to be close. Look what time it is. He lifted his chin toward the ceiling projection. Almost three. It was so funny, Duncan. So tell me about it. When I catch my breath. He eased her down onto her pillow. We're like a damned old married couple. Funny stories in the middle of the night. No, darling, we're different. A question of degree, nothing else. Quality, she insisted. What was so funny? She recounted her nightmare and Belonda's influence. Zen Sunni, very ancient technique. The sisters use it to rid you of trauma connections, words that ignite unconscious responses. Fear returned. Mobella, why are you trembling? Honored Matre teachers warned us terrible things would happen if we fell into Zen Sunni hands. Bullcrap, I went through the same thing as a mentat. His words conjured another dream fragment. A beast with two heads, both mouths open. Words in there, on the left, one word, and on the right leads to another. Mirth displaced fear. It subsided without laughter. Duncan. Mmm, at distance in the sound. Bell said the Bene Gesserit used words as weapons, voice, tools of control, she called them. A lesson you must learn almost as instinct. I'll never trust you into the deeper training until you learn this, and I won't trust you afterward. She rolled away from him and looked at the commies glittering in the ceiling around the time projection. I'm still on probation. She was aware her teachers discussed her privately. Conversations were choked off when she approached. They stared at her in their special way as though she were an interesting specimen. Belonda's voice cluttered her mind. Nightmare tendrils. Mid-morning then, in the sweat of her own exertions, a stink in her nostrils. Probationer a dutiful three paces from Reverend Mother. Bell's voice. Never be an expert. That locks you up tight. All of this because I asked if there were no words to guide the Bene Gesserit. Duncan, why do they mix mental and physical teaching? Mind and body reinforce each other. Sleepy. Damn him, he's going back to sleep. She shook Duncan's shoulder. If words are so damned unimportant, why do they talk about disciplines so much? Patterns, he mumbled. Dirty word. What? 
She shook him more roughly. He turned onto his back, moving his lips. Then, discipline equals pattern equals bad way to go. They say we're all natural pattern creators. Means order to them, I think. Why is that so bad? Gives others handle to destroy us or traps us in... in things we won't change. You're wrong about mind and body. Hmm? It's precious locking one to the other. Isn't that what I said? Hey, are we going to talk or sleep or what? No more or what? Not tonight. A deep sigh lifted his chest. They're not out to improve my health, she said. Nobody said they were. That comes later, after the agony. She knew he hated reminders of that deadly trial, but there was no avoiding it. The prospect filled her mind. All right, he sat up, punched his pillow into shape and leaned back against it to study her. What's up? They're so damned clever with their word weapons. She brought Teg to you and said you were fully responsible for him. You don't believe it? He thinks of you as his father. Not really. No, but did you think that about the Bashar? When he restored my memories? Yeah. You're a pair of intellectual orphans, always looking for parents who aren't there. He hasn't the faintest idea of how much you will hurt him. That tends to split up the family. So you hate the Bashar in him, and you're glad you'll hurt him. Didn't say that. Why is he so important? The Bashar? Military genius. Always doing the unexpected. Confounds his foes by appearing where they never expect him to be. Can't anyone do that? Not the way he does it. He invents tactics and strategies just like that. Snapping his fingers. More violence. Just like honoured matres. Not always. Pasha had a reputation for winning without battle. I've seen the histories. Don't trust them. But you just said... Histories focus on confrontations. Some truth in that, but it hides more persistent things that go on in spite of upheavals. Persistent things? What history touches the woman in the rice paddy, driving her water buffalo ahead of her plough, while her husband is off somewhere most likely a conscript carrying a weapon? Why is that persistent and more important than her babies at home need food? Man's away on this perennial madness? Someone has to do the ploughing. She's a true image of human persistence. You sound so bitter. I find that odd. Considering my military history? That, yes. The Bene Gesserit emphasis on, on their Bashar and elite troops, and you think they're just more self-important people going on about their self-important violence? They'll ride right over the woman with her plough? Why not? Because very little escapes them. The violent ones ride past the ploughing woman, and seldom see they have touched basic reality. A Bene Gesserit would never miss such a thing. Again, why not? The self-important have limited vision because they ride a death reality. Woman and plough a life reality. Without life reality there'd be no humankind. My tyrant saw this. The sisters bless him for it even while they curse him. So you're a willing participant in their dream? I guess I am. He sounded surprised. And you're being completely honest with Teg? He asks. I give him candid answers. I don't believe in doing violence to curiosity. And you have full responsibility for him? That isn't exactly what she said. Ah, my love. 
Not exactly what she said. You call Belle hypocrite and don't include Audrade. Duncan, if you only knew. As long as we're ignoring the commies, spit it out. Lies, cheating, vicious. Aye, the Bene Gesserit. They have that hoary old excuse. Sister A does it, so if I do it, that's not so bad. Two crimes cancel each other. What crimes? She hesitated. Should I tell him? No. But he expects some answer. Bell's delighted the roles are reversed between you and Teg. She's looking forward to his pain. Maybe we should disappoint her. He knew it was a mistake to say this as soon as it was out. Too soon. Poetic justice, Marbella was delighted. Divert them. They aren't interested in justice. Fairness, yes. They have this homily. Those against whom judgment is passed must accept the fairness of it. So they condition you to accept their judgment. There are loopholes in any system. You know, darling, acolytes learn things. That's why they're acolytes. I mean, we talk to one another. We? You're an acolyte? You're a proselyte. Whatever I am, I've heard stories. Your tag may not be what he seems, acolyte gossip. There are stories out of Gamu, Duncan. He stared at her. Gamu? He could never think of it by any name other than the original. Giddy Prime. Harkonnen Hellhole. She took his silence as an invitation to continue. They say Teg moved faster than the eye could see, that he probably started those stories himself. Some sisters don't discount them. They're taking a wait-and-see attitude. They want precautions. Haven't you learned anything about Teg from your precious histories? It will be typical of him to start such rumours, make people cautious. But remember I was on Gamu then. Honoured Matres were very upset, enraged. Something went wrong. Sure, Teg did the unexpected, surprised them, stole one of their no-ships. He patted the wall beside him. This one. The sisterhood has its forbidden ground, Duncan. They're always telling me to wait for the agony. All will become clear, damn them. Sounds like they're preparing you for the missionary of teaching. Engineer religions for specific purposes and selected populations. You don't see anything wrong in that? Morality. I don't argue that with reverend mothers. Why not? Religion's founder on that rock. BG's don't founder. Duncan, if you only knew their morality. It annoys them that you know so much about them. Bell only wanted to kill me because of it. You don't think Odrade is just as bad? What a question. Odrade? A terrifying woman if you let yourself dwell on her abilities. Atreides for all that. I've known Atreides and Atreides. This one is Bene Gesserit first. Takes the Atreides ideal. Odrade told me she trusts your loyalty to the Atreides. I'm loyal to Atreides' honour, Mabella. And I make my own moral decisions about the sisterhood, about this child they've thrust into my care, about Shiana and, and about my beloved. Mabella bent close to him, breast brushing his arm and whispered in his ear, Sometimes I could kill any of them within my reach. Does she think they can't hear? He sat upright, dragging her with him. What set you off? She wants me to work on Sightail. Work on? 
honored Matre euphemism. Well, why not? She worked on plenty of men before she ran afoul of me. But he had an antique husband's reaction. Not only that, side-tail, a damned Tleilaxu. Mother Superior, he had to be sure. The one, the only. Almost light-hearted now that she had unburdened herself. What's your reaction? She says it was your idea. My? No way. I suggested we could try to pry information out of him, but she says it's an ordinary thing for the Bene Gesserit, just as it is with honored matres. Go breed with this one, seduce that one, all in a day's work. I asked for your reaction. Revolted? Why? Knowing your background. It's you I love, Duncan, and and my body is, is to give you pleasure, just as you. We're an old married couple and the witches are trying to pry us apart. His words ignited in him a clear vision of Lady Jessica, lover of his long-dead duke and mother of Muad'Dib. I loved her. She didn't love me, but... The look he saw now in Mabella's eyes. He had seen Jessica look at the duke that way. Blind, unswerving love. The thing the Bene Gesserit distrusted. Jessica had been softer than Mabella. Hard to the core, though. And Audrade, she was hard at the beginning. Plastile all the way. Then what of the times when he had suspected her of sharing human emotions? The way she spoke of the Basha when they learned the old man was dead on dune. He was my father, you know. Mabella dragged him out of reverie. You may share their dream, whatever that is, but... Grow up, humans. What? That's their dream. Start acting like adults and not like angry children in a schoolyard. Mama knows best? Yes, I believe she does. Is that how you really see them? Even when you call them witches? It's a good word. Witches do mysterious things. You don't believe it's the long and severe training, plus the spice and the agony? What's belief have to do with it? Unknowns create their own mystique. But you don't think they trick people into doing what they want? Sure they do. Words as weapons? Voice? Imprinters? None as beautiful as you. What's beauty, Duncan? There are styles in beauty, sure. Exactly what she says. Styles based on procreative roots buried so deeply in our racial psyche we dare not remove them. So they've thought of meddling there, Duncan. And they might dare anything? She says, we won't distort our progeny into what we judge to be non-human. They judge, they condemn. He thought of the alien figures in his vision, face dancers. And he asked, like the amoral Tleilaxu, amoral, not human. I can almost hear the gears whirling in Audrey's head. She and her sisters, they watch, they listen, they tailor every response, everything calculated. Is that what you want, my darling? He felt trapped. She was right and she was wrong. Ends justifying means? How could he justify losing Mobella? You think the main moral? he asked. It was as though she did not hear. Always asking themselves what to say next to get the desired response. What response? Couldn't she hear his pain? You never know until too late. 
She turned and looked at him. Exactly like Honored Matres. Do you know how Honored Matres trapped me? He could not suppress awareness of how avidly the watchdogs would hang on Mabella's next words. I was picked off the streets after an Honored Matres sweep. I think the whole sweep was because of me. My mother was a great beauty, but she was too old for them. A sweep? The watchdogs would want me to ask. They go through an area and people disappear. Nobodies, nothing. Whole families vanish. It's explained as punishment because people plot against them. How old were you? Three, maybe four. I was playing with friends in an open place under trees. Suddenly there was a lot of noise and shouting. We hid in a hole behind some rocks. He was caught in a vision of this drama. The ground shook. Her gaze went inward with a memory. Explosions. After a while it was quiet and we peeked out. The whole corner where my house had been was a hole. You were orphaned? I remember my parents. He was a big, robust fellow. I think my mother was a servant somewhere. They wore uniforms for such jobs, and I remember her in uniform. How can you be sure your parents were killed? This sweep is all I know for sure, but they're always the same. There was screaming and the people running about. We were terrified. Why do you think the sweep was because of you? They do that sort of thing. They. What a victory the watchers would count in that one word. Mabella was still deep in memory. I think my father refused to succumb to an honored matre. That was always considered dangerous. Big, handsome man. Strong. So you hate them? Why? Really surprised by his question. Without that, I would never have been an honored matre. Her callousness shocked him. So it was worth anything. Love, do you resent whatever brought me to your side? Touché. But don't you wish it had happened some other way? It happened. What utter fatalism. He had never suspected this in her. Was it honored matre conditioning or something the Bene Gesserit did? You were just a valuable addition to their stables. Right. Entices, they called us. We recruited valuable males. And you did. I repaid their investment many times over. You realize how the sisters will interpret this? Don't make a big thing of it. So you're ready to work on Sightail? I didn't say that. Honored Matres manipulated me without my consent. The sisters need me and want to use me the same way. My price may be too high. He was a moment speaking past a dry throat. Price? She glared at him. You, you're just part of my price. No working on Sighttail, and more of their famous candor about why they need me. Careful, love, they might tell you. She turned an almost Bene Gesserit stare toward him. How could you restore Teg's memories without pain? Damn. And just when he thought they were free of that slip no escape. He could see in her eyes that she guessed. Mabella confirmed this. Since I would not agree, I'm sure you've discussed it with Shiana. He could only nod. His Mabella had gone farther into the sisterhood than he suspected, and she knew how his multiple Gola memories had been restored by her imprinting. 
He suddenly saw her as a reverend mother and wanted to cry out against it. How does this make you different from Audraid? she asked. Shiana was trained as an imprinter. His words felt empty even as he spoke. That's different from my training? Accusing. Anger flared in him. You prefer the pain? Like Bell? You'd prefer the defeat of the Bene Gesserit? Voice milky soft. He heard the distance in her tone as though she already had retreated into the cold observational stance of the sisterhood. They were freezing his lovely Mabella. There was still that vitality in her, though. It tore at him. She gave off an aura of health, especially in pregnancy. Vigor and boundless enjoyment of life. It glowed in her. The sisters would take that and dampen it. She became quiet under his watchful stare. Desperate, he wondered what he could do. I had hoped we were being more open with each other lately, she said. Another Bene Gesserit probe. I disagree with many of their actions, but I don't distrust their motives, he said. I'll know their motives if I live through the agony. He went very still, caught in realization that she might not survive. Life without Mabella? Yawning emptiness deeper than anything he had ever imagined. Nothing in his many lives compared with it. Without conscious volition, he reached out and caressed her back, skin so soft and yet resilient. I love you too much, Mabella. That's my agony. She trembled under his touch. He found himself wallowing in sentimentality, building an image of grief until he recalled a mentat teacher's words about emotional binges. The difference between sentiment and sentimentality is easy to see. When you avoid killing somebody's pet on the glaze way, that's sentiment. If you swerve to avoid the pet and that causes you to kill pedestrians, that is sentimentality. She took his caressing hand and pressed it against her lips. Words plus body, more than either, he whispered. His words plunged her back into nightmare, but now she went with a vengeance, aware of words as tools. She was filled with special relish for the experience, willingness to laugh at herself. As she exercised the nightmare, it occurred to her that she had never seen an honored matre laugh at herself. Holding his hand, she stared down at Duncan, Mantat flickering of his eyelids. Did he realize what she had just experienced? Freedom. It no longer was a question of how she had been confined and driven into inevitable channels by her past. For the first time since accepting the possibility that she could become a reverend mother, she glimpsed what it might mean. She felt awe and shock. Nothing more important than the sisterhood? They spoke of an oath, something more mysterious than the proctor's words at the acolyte initiation. My oath to honored matres was only words. An oath to the Bene Gesserit can be no more. She remembered Belonda growling that diplomats were chosen for ability to lie. Would you be another diplomat, Mabella? It was not that oaths were made to be broken. How childish. Schoolyard threat. If you break your word, I'll break mine. Nya, nya, nya. Futile to worry about oaths. Far more important to find that place in herself where freedom lived. It was a place where something always listened. 
Cupping Duncan's hand against her lips, she whispered, They listen. Oh, how they listen. Enter no conflict against fanatics unless you can defuse them. Oppose a religion with another religion only if your proofs, miracles, are irrefutable, or if you can mesh in a way that the fanatics accept you as God-inspired. This has long been the barrier to science assuming a mantle of divine revelation. Science is so obviously man-made. Fanatics, and many are fanatic on one subject or another, must know where you stand, but more important, must recognize who whispers in your ear. Missionaria Protectiva, Primary Teaching The flow of time nagged at Odrade as much as did constant awareness of the hunters approaching. Years passed so quickly that days became a blur. Two months of arguments to gain approval of Shiana as successor to Tam. Belonda had taken to standing day watch when Odrade was absent, as she had been today, briefing a new Bene Gesserit remnant being sent scattering. The council continued this, but with reluctance. Idaho's suggestion that it was a futile strategy had sent shockwaves through the sisterhood. Briefings now carried new defensive plans for what you may encounter. When Odrade entered the workroom late in the afternoon, Belonda sat at the table. Her cheeks looked puffy, and her eyes had that hard stare they got when she suppressed fatigue. With Bell here, the daily summation would include sharp comments. They've approved Shiana, she said, pushing a small crystal toward Odrade. Tam's support did it, and Mabella's new one will be born in eight days, so the Souks claim. Bell had little faith in Souk doctors. New one? She could be so damned impersonal about life. Odrade found her pulses quickening at the prospect. When Mabella recovers from this birth, the agony. She is ready. Duncan's extremely nervous, Melonda said, vacating the chair. Duncan yet. Those two are getting remarkably familiar. Bell was not finished. And before you ask, no word from Dortuchla. Odrade took her seat behind the table and balanced the report crystal on her palm. Dortuchla's trusted acolyte, now Reverend Mother Fintil, would not risk the no-ship journey or any of the other message devices they had prepared just to stroke a mother superior. No news meant the bait was still out there. Or wasted. Have you told Shiana she's confirmed? Odrade asked. I left that for you. She's late with her daily report again, not right for someone on the council. So Bell still disapproved the appointment. Shiana's daily messages had taken on a repetitious note. No worm sign, spice mass intact. Everything upon which they pinned their hopes lay in terrible suspension, and nightmare hunters crept closer. Tensions accumulated, explosive. You've seen that exchange between Duncan and Mabella enough times, Belonda said. Is that what Shiana was hiding, and if so, why? Teg was my father. Such delicacy. A reverend mother has qualms about imprinting the gola of Mother Superior's father. She was my personal student, Bell. She has concerns for me you could not feel. Besides, this is not just a gola. This is a child. We must be certain of her. 
Odraid saw the name form on Belonda's lips, but it remained unspoken. Jessica. Another flawed Reverend Mother? Mel was right. They must be sure of Shiana. My responsibility. A vision of Shiana's black sculpture flickered in Odraid's awareness. Idaho's plan has some attraction, but... Belonda hesitated. Odraid spoke up. This is a very young child, growth incomplete. Pain of the usual memory restoration could approach the agony. It might alienate him. But this, control him with an imprinter, that part I approve. But what if it doesn't restore his memories? We still have the original plan, and it did have that effect on Idaho. Different for him, but the decision can wait. You're late for your meeting with Sightail. Odraid hefted the crystal. Daily summation? Nothing you haven't seen too many times already? From Bell, that was almost a note of concern. I'll bring him back here. Have Tam waiting and you come in later on some pretext. Sightail had become almost accustomed to these walks outside the ship, and Odraid observed this in his casual manner when they emerged from her transporter south of Central. It was more than a stroll, and they both knew it, but she had made these excursions regular, designing repetition to lull him. Routine. So useful on occasion. Kind of you to take me for these walks, Sightail said, looking up sideways. The air is drier than I recall it. Where do we go this evening? How tiny his eyes when he squinted against the sun. To my workroom. She nodded at outbuildings of Central about half a click north. It was cold under a cloudless spring sky, and warm colours of roofs, lights coming on in her tower, beckoned with promise of relief from a chilling wind that accompanied almost every sunset these days. With peripheral attention, Odraid watched the Tleilaxu beside her carefully. Such tension. She could feel this also in guardian reverend mothers and acolytes close behind them, all charged to special watchfulness by Belonda. We need this little monster, and he knows it, and we still don't know the extent of Tleilaxu abilities. What talents has he accumulated? Why does he probe with such evident casualness for contact with his fellow prisoners? Tleilaxu made the Idaho Gola, she reminded herself. Did they hide secret things in him? I am a beggar come to your door, Mother Superior, he said in that whining elfin voice. Our planet's in ruins, my people slain. Why do we go to your quarters? To bargain in more pleasant surroundings. Yes, it is very confining in the ship, but I do not understand why we always leave the car so far away from Central. Why do we walk? I find it refreshing. Sightail glanced around him at the plantings. Pleasant, but quite cold, don't you think? Odraid glanced to the south. These southern slopes were planted to grapes, crests, and colder northern faces reserved for orchards, improved vinifera, these vineyards, developed by Bene Gesserit gardeners, old vines, roots, gone down to hell, where, according to ancient superstition, they stole water from burning souls. The winery was underground, as were storage and aging caves, nothing to mar a landscape of tended vines in orderly rows, plantings just far enough apart for pickers and tilling equipment. 
pleasant to him? She doubted Sightel saw anything pleasing here. He was properly nervous as she wanted him to be, asking himself, why does she really choose to walk me through these rustic surroundings? It galled Odraid that they dared not employ more powerful Bene Gesserit persuasives on this little man, but she agreed with advice that said if those efforts failed they would not get a second chance. Toilaxu had demonstrated they would die rather than give up secret and sacred knowledge. Several things puzzle me, Odraid said, picking her way around a pile of vine trimmings as she spoke. Why do you insist on having your own face dancers before acceding to our requests? And what is this interest in Duncan, Idaho? Dear lady, I have no companions in my loneliness. That answers both questions. He rubbed absently at his breast, where the nullentropy capsule lay concealed. Why does he rub himself there so frequently? It was a gesture she and analysts had puzzled over. No scar? No skin inflammation, perhaps merely a carryover from childhood, but that was so long ago. A flaw in this reincarnation? No one could say. And that grey skin carried a metallic pigmentation that resisted probing instruments. He was sure to have been sensitized to heavier rays, and would know those were used. Now, now it was all diplomacy. Damn this little monster! Sightail wondered. Did this Pawinda female have no natural sympathies on which he could play? Typicals were ambivalent on that question. The Wecht of Jandala is no more, he said. Billions of us slain by those whores. To the farthest reaches of the Yagist we are destroyed, and only I remain. Yagist, she thought, land of the unruled. It was a revealing word in Islamiyat the Benet Lelax language. In that language, she said, the magic of our god is our only bridge. Once more, she claimed to share his great belief, the Sufi Zensuni ecumenism that had spawned the Benet Lelax. She spoke the language flawlessly, knew the proper words, but he saw falsehoods. She calls God's messenger tyrant and disobeys the most basic precepts. Where did these women meet in Kale to feel the presence of God? If they truly spoke the language of God, they would already know what they sought from him with crude bargaining. As they climbed the last slope to the paved landing at Central, Sightail called on God for help. The Bennet, Lalax, come to this. Why have you put this trial upon us? We are the last legalists of the Shariat, and I, the last master of my people, must seek answers from you, God, when you no longer can speak to me in Kale. Once more, in flawless Islamiyat, Odraid said, You were betrayed by your own people, ones you sent into the scattering. You have no more Malik brothers, only sisters. Then where is your sagra chamber, Pawinda deceiver? Where is a deep and windowless place only brothers may enter? This is a new thing for me, he said. Malik sisters? Those two words have always been self-negating. Sisters cannot be Malik. Waf, your late Mahai and Abdul had trouble with that, and he led your people almost to extinction. Almost? You know of survivors? He could not keep excitement from his voice. No masters, 
but we hear of a few domel, and all in honoured matre hands. She paused where the edge of a building would cut off their view of the setting sun in the next steps, and, still in the secret language of the Trelaxu, said, The sun is not God. The dawn and sunset cry of the Mahai. Sightail felt faith wavering as he followed her into an arched passage between two squat buildings. Her words were proper, but only the Mahai and Abdul should utter them. In the shadowy passage, footsteps of their escort close behind, Odraid confounded him by saying, Why did you not say the proper words? Are you not the last master? Does that not make you Mahai and Abdul? I was not chosen so by Malik brothers. It sounded weak, even to him. Odraid summoned a lift field and paused at the tube slot. In other memory detail, she found Kale and its writer of Joufran familiar. Words whispered in the night by lovers of long-dead women. And then we... And so if we speak these sacred words... Joufran. Acceptance and readmission of one who had ventured among Pawinda. The returned one begging pardon for contact with unimaginable sins of aliens. The Mashik have met in Kale and felt the presence of their god. The tube slot opened. Odraid motioned Sightail and two guards ahead. As he passed, she thought, something must give soon. We cannot play our little game to the end he desires. Tamerlane stood at the bow window, her back to the door, when Odraid and Sightail entered the workroom. Sunset light slanted sharply across the rooftops. The brilliance vanished then and left behind it a sense of contrast, the night darker because of that last glow along the horizon. In the milky gloom, Odraid waved the guards away, noting their reluctance. Melonda had charged them to stay, obviously, but they would not disobey Mother Superior. She indicated a chair dog across from her and waited for him to sit. He looked back suspiciously at Tamerlane before sinking into the dog, but covered it by saying, Why are there no lights? This is a relaxing interlude, she said, and I know darkness worries you. She stood a moment behind her table, identifying bright patches in the gloom, a luster of artifacts placed around her to make this her setting. The bust of long-dead Chenoue in its niche beside the window, and there on the wall at her right a pastoral landscape from the first human migrations into space. A stack of Redulian crystals on the table, and a silvery reflection of her light scribe concentrating faint illuminations from the windows. He has roasted long enough. She touched a plate on her console. Glow globes set strategically around walls and ceiling came to life. Tamerlane turned on cue, her robes swishing deliberately. She stood two paces behind Sightail, the very picture of ominous Bene Gesserit mystery. Sightail twitched slightly at Tamerlane's movement, but now he sat quietly. The chair dog was somewhat too large for him, and he looked almost childlike there. Odraid said, Sisters who rescued you say you commanded a no-ship at junction preparing for the first fold-space leap when honoured matres attacked. You were coming to your ship in a one-man skitter, they said, and veered away just before the explosion. You detected the attackers? Yes, reluctance in his voice, and knew they might locate the no-ship from your trajectory. So you fled, leaving your brothers to be destroyed. He spoke with the utter bitterness of a tragic witness. Earlier, when we were outbound from Tleilax, 
We saw that attack begin. Our explosions to destroy everything of value to attackers and the burners from space created the Holocaust. We fled then, too, but not directly to Junction. Everywhere we searched, they had been before us. They had the ashes, but I had our secrets. Remind her that I still have something of value to trade. He tapped a finger against his head. You sought Guild or Choam Sanctuary at Junction, she said. How fortunate our spy ship was there to scoop you up before the enemy could react. Sister, how difficult that word. If you truly are my sister in Kale, why will you not provide me with face dancer servants? Still too many secrets between us, Sightail. Why, for instance, were you leaving Bandalong when attackers came? Bandalong? Naming the great Tleilax city constricted his chest, and he thought he felt the nullentropy capsule pulse, as though it sought release for its precious contents. Lost Bandalong, never again to see the city of Carnelian skies, never to feel the presence of brothers, of patient Domel, and... Are you ill? Odrate asked. I am sick with what I have lost! He heard fabric slither behind him and sensed Tamerlane closer. How oppressive it was in this place. Why is she behind me? I am the servant of my sisters, and she is here to observe us both. You've taken some of my cells, haven't you? You're growing a replacement sightail in your tanks. Of course we are. You don't think sisters would let the last master end here, do you? No gola of me will do anything I would not, and it will carry no null entropy tube. We know, but what is it we do not know? This is not bargaining, he complained. You misjudge me, Sightail. We know when you lie and when you conceal. We employ senses others do not. It was true. They detected things from odors of his body from small movements of muscles, expressions he could not suppress. Sisters? These creatures are Pawinda, all of them. You were on Lashka, Odraid prodded. Lashka? How he wished he were here on Lashka. Face dance warriors, domel assistants, eliminating this abominable evil. But he dared not lie. The one behind him, probably, was a truth-sayer. Experience in many lives told him Bene Gesserit truth-sayers were the best. I commanded a force of Kasadars. We sought a herd of Hutars for our defense. Herd? Did Tlilaxu know something of Hutars not revealed to the sisterhood? You went prepared for violence. Did honored Matres learn of your mission and cut you off? I think it likely. Why do you call them honored, Matres? His voice lapsed almost into a screech. Because that is what they call themselves. Very calm now. Let him stew in his own mistakes. She is right. We were betrayed. Bitter thought. He held it close, wondering how he should reply. A small revelation? There is never a small revelation with these women. A sigh shook his breast the null entropy capsule and its contents, his most important concern, anything to get him access to his own axolotl tanks. 
Descendants of people we sent into the scattering returned with captive futars, a mingling of human and cat, as you doubtless know, but they did not reproduce in our tanks, and before we could determine why, the ones brought to us died. The betrayers brought us only two, we should have suspected. They didn't bring you very many futars, did they? You should have suspected they were bait. See, that is what they do with small revelations. Why did the Futars not hunt and kill honoured Matres on Gamel? It was Duncan's question and deserved an answer. We were told no orders were given. They do not kill without orders. She knows this. She is testing me. Face dancers also kill on order, she said. They would even kill you if you ordered it. Not so? That order is reserved for keeping our secrets from the hands of enemies. Is that why you want your own face dancers? Do you consider us enemies? Before he could compose a response, Elonda's projected figure appeared above the table, life-size and partly translucent, dancing crystals of archives behind her. Urgent from Shiana, Elonda said. The spice blow has occurred. Sandworms! The figure turned and looked at Sightail calm eyes, perfectly coordinating her movements. So you have lost a bargaining, Chipmaster Sightail. We have our spice at last. The projected figure vanished with an audible click and a faint smell of ozone. You're trying to trick me, he blurted. But the door at Odrate's left opened. Shiana entered, towing a small suspenser pod no more than two meters long. Its transparent sides repeated the glow globes of the workroom in tiny bursts of yellow light. Something squirmed in the pod. Shiana stood aside without speaking, giving them a full view of the contents. So small. The worm was less than half the length of its container, but perfect in every detail, stretched out there on a shallow bed of golden sand. Sightail could not contain a gasp of awe. The prophet! Odred's reaction was pragmatic. She bent close to the pod, peering into the miniature mouth. The scorching huff-huff of a great worm's internal fires reduced to this. What a tiny mimicry. Crystal teeth flashed as it lifted its front segments. The worm sent its mouth questing left and right. They all saw behind the teeth the miniature fire in its alien chemistry. Thousands of them, Shiana said. They came to a spice blow as they always do. Odrade remained silent. We have done it. But this was Shiana's moment of triumph. Let her make the most of it. Sightail had never looked this defeated. Shiana opened the pod and lifted the worm from it, cradling it as though it were an infant. It lay quiescent in her arms. Odrade took a deep, satisfied breath. She still controls them. Sightail, Odrade said. He could not take his gaze from the worm. Do you still serve the prophet? Odrade asked. There he is. He did not know how to respond. Truly a revenant of the prophet? He wanted to deny his first awed response, but his eyes would not permit it. Odrade spoke softly. While you were out on your foolish mission, your selfish mission, we were serving the prophet. We rescued his last revenant and brought him here. Chapter House will become another dune. She sat back and steepled her hands in front of her. Bell was watching through the commies, of course. The Mentat's observations would be valuable. 
Odrade wished Idaho were also watching, but he could look at a hollow. It was clear to her that Sightail had seen the Bene Gesserit only as tools for restoration of his precious Tleilaxu civilization. Would this development force him to reveal inner secrets of his tanks? What would he offer? I must have time to think, a tremor in his voice. About what would you think? He did not answer, but kept his attention on Shiana, who was replacing the tiny worm in its pod. She stroked it once before sealing the lid. Tell me, Sightail, Odrade insisted. How can there be anything for you to reconsider? This is our prophet. You say you serve the great belief? Then serve it. She could see his dreams dissolving. His own face dancers to print memories of those they killed, copying each victim's shape and manner. He had never hoped to gull a reverend mother. But acolytes and simple workers of Chapter House, all the secrets he had hoped to acquire, gone, lost as certainly as the charred husks of Tleilaxu planets. Ah, prophet, she said. He turned a stricken look toward Odrade, but did not focus. What am I to do? These women no longer need me, but I need them. Sigh-tail. How softly she spoke. The great convention is ended. It's a new universe out there. He tried to swallow in a dry throat. The whole concept of violence had taken on a new dimension. In the old empire, the convention had guaranteed retaliation against anyone who dared burn a planet by attacking from space. Escalated violence, Sightail. Odrade's voice was almost a whisper. We scatter pods of rage. He focused on her. What is she saying? Your hatred being stored up against honored matres, she said. You are not the only one with losses, Sightail. Once, when problems arose in our civilization, the cry went out, Bring a reverend mother. Honored matres prevent that. And the myths are recomposed. Golden light is cast upon our past. It was better in the old days when the Bene Gesserit could help us. Where do you go for reliable truth-sayers these days? Arbitration? These honored matres have never heard the word. They were always courteous, the reverend mothers. You have to say that for them. When Sightail did not respond, she said, Think of what might happen if that rage were loosed in a jihad. When he still did not speak, she said, You have seen it? Tailaxu? Bene Gesserit? Priests of the divided god, and who knows how many more, all hunted like wild game. They cannot kill us all! an agonized cry. Can't they? Your scattered ones made common cause with honored matres. Is that a sanctuary you would seek in the scattering? And there goes another dream. Little pods of Tleilaxu, persistent as festering sores, awaiting the day of Sightail's great revival. People grow strong under oppression, he said, but there was no force in his words. Even the priests of Rakis are finding holes in which to hide desperate words. Who says this? Some of your returned friends? His silence was all the answer she needed. Benet Lelax have killed honored matres, and they know it, she said, hammering at him. They will be satisfied only with your extermination. And yours? We are partners by necessity, if not by shared belief. She said it in purest Islamiat and saw hope leap into his eyes. 
Kale and Shariat may yet take on their old meanings among people who compose their thoughts in the language of God. Partners? Faint and extremely tentative. She adopted new bluntness. In some ways that's a more reliable basis for common action than any other. Each of us knows what the other wants, an intrinsic design. Screen everything through that and something reliable can occur. And what is it you want from me? You already know. How to make the finest tanks? Yes. He shook his head, obviously unsure, the changes implied by her demands. Adraid wondered if she dared snap at him in open anger, how dense he was. But he was close to panic. Old values had changed. Honored matres were not the only source of turmoil. Sightail did not even know the extent of changes that had infected his own scattered ones. Times are changing, Odraid said. Change? What a disturbing word, he thought. I must have my own face dancer attendance, and my own tanks? Almost begging. I counsel and I will consider it. What is there to consider? Throwing her own words at her. You need only your own approval. I require approval of others. She gave him a grim smile. So you do get time to think. Odraid nodded to Tamerlane, who summoned guards. Back to the no-ship? He spoke from the doorway, such a diminutive figure amidst burly guards. But tonight you ride all the way. He gave a last, lingering stare at the worm as she left. When Sightail and guards were gone, Shiana said, You were right not to press him. He was ready to panic. Belonda entered. Perhaps it would be best just to kill him. Bell, get the hollow and go through our meeting again. This time as a mentat. That stopped her. Tamerlane chuckled. You take too much joy in your sister's discomfiture, Tam, Shiana said. Tamerlane shrugged, but Adraid was delighted. No more teasing of Bell? When you spoke of Chapter House becoming another dune, that was when he began to panic, Belonda said, her voice meant at distant. Odraid had seen the reaction, but had not yet made the association. This was a mentat's value, patterns and systems, building blocks. Bell sensed a pattern to Sightail's behavior. I ask myself, is it the thing become real once more? Belonda said. Odraid saw it at once. An odd thing about lost places. As long as Dune had been a known and living planet, there existed a historical firmness about its presence in the galactic register. You could point to a projection and say, that is Dune, once called Arrakis, and latterly Rakis. Dune, for its total desert character in Muad'Dib's day. Destroy the place, though, and a mythological patina inweighed against projected reality. In time, such places became totally mythic. Arthur and his round table. Camelot, where it only rains at night. Pretty good weather control for those days. But now a new dune had appeared. Myth power, Tamerlane said. Ah, yes. Tam, close to her final departure from flesh, would be more sensitive to workings of myths. Mystery and secrecy, tools of the missionaria, had been used also on Dune by Muad'Dib and the Tyrant. The seeds were planted, even with priests of the divided god gone to their own perdition, myths of Dune proliferated. Melange, 
Tamerlane said. The other sisters in the workroom knew immediately what she meant. New hope could be injected into the Bene Gesserit scattering. Belonda said, Why do they want us dead and not captives? That has always puzzled me. Honored Matres might not want any Bene Gesserit alive, only the spice knowledge, perhaps. But they destroyed Dune. They destroyed the Tleilaxu. It was a cautioning thought to take into any confrontation with the Spider Queen, should Dortujla succeed. No useful hostages? Belonda asked. Odraid saw the looks on the faces of her sisters. They were following a single track, as though all of them thought with one mind. Object lessons by honored matres, leaving few survivors, only made potential opposition more cautious. It invoked a rule of silence within which bitter memories became bitter myths. Honored matres were like barbarians in any age. Blood instead of hostages strike with random viciousness. Does right, Tamerlane said. We've been seeking allies too close to home. Futars did not create themselves, Shiana said. The ones who created them hope to control us, Belonda said. There was the clear sound of prime projection in her voice. That's the hesitation Dortujla heard in the handlers. There it was, and they faced it with all of its perils. It came down to people, as it always did. People. Contemporaries. You learned valuable things from people living in your own time and from knowledge they carried out of their pasts. Other memory was not the only conveyance of history. Odraid felt that she had come home after a long absence. There was a familiarity about the way all four of them were thinking now. It was a familiarity that transcended place. The sisterhood itself was home. Not where they lodged in transient housing, but the association. Belonda voiced it for them. I fear we have been working at cross-purposes. Fear does that, Shiana said. Odraid dared not smile. It could be misinterpreted, and she did not want to explain. Give us Mirbella as a sister and a restored Basha, then we might have our fighting chance. Right there, with that good feeling in her, the message signal clicked. She glanced at the projection's surface, a pure reflex, and recognized crisis. Such a small thing, relatively, to precipitate crisis. Claire be mortally injured in a thopter crash. Mortal, unless... The unless was spelled out for her, and it added up to cyborg. Her companions saw the message in reverse, but you got good at reading mirrored information in here. They knew. Where do we draw the line? Belonda, with her antique spectacles, when she could have had artificial eyes or any of numerous other prosthetics, voted with her body. This is what it means to be human. Try to hold on to youth and it mocks you while it sprints away. Melange is enough and perhaps too much. Odraid recognized what her own emotions were telling her, but what of Bene Gesserit necessity? Bell could lodge her individual vote and everyone recognized it, even respected it, but Mother Superior's vote carried the sisterhood with her. First the axolotl tanks and now this. Necessity said they could not afford to lose specialists of Clareby's caliber. They had few enough as it was. Spread thin did not describe it. Gaps were appearing. Cyborg Clareby, though, and that was the opening wedge. The souks were prepared. 
a precautionary arrangement, should it be required for someone irreplaceable, such as Mother Superior. Odraid knew she had approved that with her usual cautious reservations. Where were those reservations now? Cyborg was one of those potpourri words, too. Where did mechanical additions to human flesh become dominant? When was the cyborg no longer human? Temptations intensified, just this one little adjustment, and so easy to adjust until the potpourri human became unquestioningly obedient. But Claire B? Conditions of extremis said cyborg him. Was the sisterhood that desperate? She was forced to answer in the affirmative. There it was, then, decision not entirely out of her hands, but the ready excuse at hand. Necessity dictates it. The Butlerian Jihad had left its indelible mark on humans, fought and won, for then. And here was another battle in that long-ago conflict. But now, survival of the sisterhood was in the balance. How many technical specialists remained on Chapter House? She knew the answer without looking. Not enough. Odraid leaned forward and keyed for transmit. Cyborg him, she said. Belonda grunted. Approval or disapproval? She would never say. This was Mother Superior's arena and welcome to it. Who won this battle? Odraid wondered. We walk a delicate line, perpetuating Atreides, Siona genes in our population because that hides us from prescience. We carry the Kwisatz Haderach in that bag. Willfulness created Muad'Dib. Prophets make predictions come true. Will we ever again dare ignore our Tao sense and cater to a culture that hates chance and begs for prophecy? Archival Summary, Adixto It was just after dawn when Odraid arrived at the no-ship, but Mabella was up and working with a training mech when Mother Superior strode onto the practice floor. Odraid had walked the last click through ring orchards around the space field. Night's limited clouds had thinned at the approach of dawn, then dissipated to reveal a sky thick with stars. She recognized a delicate weather shift to wrench another crop from this region, but decreasing rainfall was barely enough to keep orchards and pastures alive. As she walked, Odraid was overcome by dreariness. Winter just past had been a hard-bought silence between storms. Life was holocaust. Dusting of pollen by eager insects, fruiting and seeding that followed the flower. These orchards were a secret storm whose power lay hidden in torrential flows of life. But oh, the destruction! New life carried change. The changer was coming, always different. Sandworms would bring the desert purity of ancient dune. The desolation of that transforming power invaded her imagination. She could picture this landscape reduced to windswept dunes, habitat for Leto II's descendants. And the arts of Chapter House would undergo mutation, one civilization's myths replaced by another's. The aura of these thoughts went with Odraid onto the practice floor and coloured her mood as she watched Mabella complete a round of flashing exertion, then stepped back, panting. A thin scratch reddened the back of Mabella's left hand where she had missed a move by the big mech. The automated trainer stood there in the centre of the room like a golden pillar, its weapons flicking in and out, 
probing mandibles of an angry insect. Mabella wore tight green leotards, and her exposed skin glistened with perspiration. Even with the prominent mounding of her pregnancy, she appeared graceful. Her skin glowed with health. It came from within, O'Drade decided, partly the pregnancy, but something more fundamental as well. This had impressed itself on O'Drade at their first encounter, a thing Lucilla had remarked after capturing Mabella and rescuing Idaho from Gamu. Health lived below the surface in her, there like a lens to focus attention on a deep freshet of vitality. We must have her. Mabella saw the visitor, but refused to be interrupted. Not yet, Mother Superior. My baby is due soon, but this body's needs will continue. Odrade saw then that the mech was simulating anger, a programmed response brought on by frustration of its circuitry, an extremely dangerous mode. Good morning, Mother Superior. Mabella's voice came out modulated by her exertions as she dodged and twisted with that almost blinding speed she commanded. The mech slashed and probed for her, its sensors darting and whirring in attempts to follow her movements. Odrade sniffed. To speak at such a time amplified the peril of the mech. Risk no distractions when you played this dangerous game. Enough! The mech's controls were in a large green wall panel to the right of the doorway. Mabella's changes could be seen in the circuits. Dangling wires, beam fields with memory crystals dislocated. Odrade reached up and stilled the mechanism. Mabella turned to face her. Why did you change the circuitry? Odrade demanded. For the anger. Is that what honored matres do? As the twig is bent? Mabella massaged her wounded hand. But what if the twig knows how it is bent and approves? Odrade felt sudden excitement. Approves? Why? Because there's something grand about it. You follow your adrenaline high? You know it's not that. Mabella's breathing returned to normal. She stood glaring at Odrade. Then what is it? It's being challenged to do more than you ever thought possible. You never suspected you could be this, this good, this expert and accomplished at anything. Odrade concealed elation. Mens sana in corpore sano. We have her at last. Odrade said, but what a price you pay. Price? Mabella sounded astonished. As long as I have the capacity, I'm delighted to pay. Take what you want and pay for it. It's your Bene Gesserit magic cornucopia. As I become increasingly accomplished, my ability to pay increases. Beware, Mabella. That cornucopia, as you call it, can become Pandora's box. Mabella knew the illusion. She stood quite still, her attention fixed on Mother Superior. Oh, the sound barely escaped. Pandora's box releases powerful distractions that waste energies of your life. You speak glibly of being in the shoot and becoming a reverend mother, but you still don't know what that means, nor what we want from you. Then it was never our sexual abilities you wanted. Odrade moved eight paces forward, majestically deliberate. Once Mabella got on that subject, there would be no stopping her short of the usual resolution, argument cut short by Mother Superior's peremptory command. Shiana easily mastered your abilities, Odrade said. So you will use her on that child. Odrade heard displeasure. 
It was a cultural residue. When did human sexuality begin? Shiana, waiting now in the no-ship guard chambers, had been forced to deal with it. I hope you recognize the source of my reluctance and why I was so secretive, Mother Superior. I recognize that a Fremen society filled your mind with inhibitions before we took you in hand. That had cleared the air between them. But how was this exchange with Mabella to be redirected? I must let it run while I seek a way out. There would be repetition. Unresolved issues would emerge. The fact that almost every word Mabella uttered could be anticipated, that would be a trial. Why do you evade this tested way of dominating others now that you say you need it with Teg? Mabella asked. Slaves, is that what you want? Odrade countered. Eyes almost closed, Mabella considered this. Did I consider the men our slaves? Perhaps. I produced in them periods of wildly unthinking abandon, a giving up to heights of ecstasy they had never dreamed possible. I was trained to give them that and thereby make them subject to our control. Until Duncan did the same to me. Odrade saw the hooding of Mabella's eyes and recognized there were things in this woman's psyche twisted in a way difficult to uncover. Wildness running where we have not followed. It was as though Mabella's original clarity had been stained indelibly, and then that mark covered over and even this cover masked. There was a harshness in her that distorted thoughts and actions, layer upon layer upon layer. You're afraid of what I can do, Mabella said. There's truth in what you say, Odrade agreed. Honesty and candor. Limited tools now to be used with care. Duncan, Mabella's voice came out flat with new Bene Gesserit abilities. I fear what you share with him. You find it odd, Mother Superior, admitting fear? I know about candor and honesty. She made candor and honesty sound repellent. Reverend mothers are taught never to abandon self. We are trained not to encumber ourselves that way with concerns of others. Is that all of it? It goes deeper and has other threads. Being Bene Gesserit marks you in its own ways. I know what you're asking. Choose Duncan or the Sisterhood. I know your tricks. I think not. There are things I won't do. Each of us is constrained by a past. I make my choices, do what I must because my past is different from yours. You'll continue to train me despite what I've just said? Odrade heard this in the total receptivity these encounters with Mabella demanded, every sense alerted to things not spoken, messages that hovered on edges of words as though they were cilia wavering there, reaching for contact with a dangerous universe. The Bene Gesserit must change its ways, and here is one who could guide us into change. Melonda would be horrified at the prospect. Many sisters would reject it, but there it was. When Odrade remained silent, Mabella said, Trained. Is that the proper word? Conditioned. That's probably more familiar to you. What you really want is to conjoin our experiences, make me sufficiently like you that we can create trust between us. That's what all education does. Don't play erudite games with me, girl. We would flow in the same stream, eh, Mabella? Any third-stage acolyte would have become watchfully cautious hearing that tone from Mother Superior. Mabella appeared unmoved. 
except that I will not give him up. That is for you to decide. Did you let the Lady Jessica decide? The way out of this cul-de-sac at last. Duncan had prompted Mabella to study Jessica's life, hoping to thwart us. Hollows of his performance had ignited severe analysis of records. An interesting person, O'Drade said. Love, after all of your teaching, your conditioning, you did not think her behavior treasonous? Never. Delicately now. But look at consequences, a quizat's haderach, and that grandchild, the tyrant. Argument dear to Belonda's heart. Golden path, Mabella said, survival of humankind. Famine times and the scattering. Are you watching this, Bell? No matter, you will watch it. Honored matres, Mabella said. All because of Jessica? Odraid asked. But Jessica returned to the fold and lived out her years on Caladan. Teacher of acolytes. Example to them as well. See what happens when you defy us? Defy us, Mabella. Do it more adroitly than Jessica. Sometimes you repel me. Natural honesty forced her to add, but you know I want what you have, what we have. Odraid recalled her own first encounters with Bene Gesserit attractions. Everything of the body done with exquisite precision, senses honed to detect smallest details, muscles trained to perform in marvellous exactitude. These abilities in an honoured matre could only add a new dimension amplified by bodily speed. You're throwing it back on me, Mabella said, trying to force my choice when you already know it. Odraid remained silent. This was a form of argument ancient Jesuits had almost perfected. Simulflow superimposed disputational patterns. Let Mabella do her own convincing, supply only the most subtle of nudges, give her small excuses upon which to enlarge. But hold fast, Mabella, to love for Duncan. You're very clever at parading your sisterhood's advantages past me, Mabella said. We are not a cafeteria line. An insouciant grin flicked Mabella's mouth. I'll take one of those, and one of these, and I think I'd like one of those creamy things over there. Odraid enjoyed the metaphor, but omnipresent watchers had their own appetites. A diet that might kill you. But I see your offerings displayed so attractively. Voice! What a marvellous thing you've cooked up there! I have this wonderful instrument in my throat, and you can teach me to play it in that ultimate way. Now you're a concertmaster. I want your ability to influence those around me. To what end, Mabella? For what goals? If I eat what you eat, will I grow into your kind of toughness? Plus steel on the outside and even harder inside? Is that how you see me? The chef at my banquet, and I must eat whatever you bring, for my good and for yours. She sounded almost manic. An odd person. Sometimes she appeared to be the most wretched of women, pacing her quarters like a caged beast. That mad look in her eyes, orange flecks in the corneas, as there were now. Do you still refuse to work on Sightail? Let Shiana do it. Will you coach her? And she will use my coaching on the child. They stared at each other, realizing they shared a similar thought. This is not confrontation, because each of us wants the other. 
I am committed to you for what you can give me, Mabella said, her voice low. But you want to know if I may ever act against that commitment. Could you? No more than you could, if circumstances demanded it. Do you think you will ever regret your decision? Of course I will. What kind of damn fool question was that? People always had regrets. Mabella said this. Just confirming your self-honesty. We like it that you don't fly under false colors. You get false ones? Indeed. You must have ways of weeding them out. The agony does that for us. Falsehoods don't come through the spice. Odraid sensed Mabella's drum beat flickering faster. And you're not going to demand I give up Duncan? Very spiny. That attachment presents difficulties, but they are your difficulties. Another way of asking me to give him up? Accept the possibility that is all. I can't. You won't. I mean what I say. I'm incapable. And if someone showed you how? Mabella stared into Odraid's eyes for a long beat, then... I almost said that would set me free. But... Yes? I could not be free while he was bound to me. Is that renunciation of honored Matre ways? Renunciation? Wrong word. I've merely grown beyond my former sisters. Former sisters? Still my sisters, but they're sisters of childhood. Some I remember fondly, some I dislike intensely. Playmates in a game that no longer interests me. That decision satisfies you? Are you satisfied, Mother Superior? Odraid clapped her hands with unrestrained elation. How swiftly Mabella acquired Bene Gesserit riposte. Satisfied? What a hellishly deadly word. As Odraid spoke, Mabella felt herself move as in a dream to the edge of an abyss, unable to awaken and prevent the plunge. Her stomach ached with secret emptiness, and Odraid's next words came from echoing distance. The Bene Gesserit is all to a reverend mother. You will never be able to forget that. As quickly as it had come, the dream sensation passed. Mother Superior's next words were cold and immediate. Prepare for more advanced training. Until you meet the agony, live or die. Odraid lifted her gaze to the ceiling commise. Send Shiana in here. She begins at once with her new teacher. So you're going to do it? You're going to work on that child. Think of him as Bashateg, Odraid said. That helps. And we're not giving you time to reconsider. I didn't resist Duncan, and I can't argue with you. Don't even argue with yourself, Mabella. Pointless. Teg was my father, and still I must do this. Until that moment, Mabella had not realized the force behind Odraid's earlier statement. The Bene Gesserit is all to a reverend mother. Great door, protect me. Will I be like that? We witness a passing phase of eternity. Important things happen, but some people never notice. Accidents intervene. You are not present at episodes. You depend on reports, and people shudder their minds. What good are reports? History in a news account 
pre-selected at an editorial conference, digested and excreted by prejudice. Accounts you need seldom come from those who make history. Diaries, memoirs, and autobiographies are subjective forms of special pleading. Archives are crammed with such suspect stuff. Darwi O'Dreid Skytail noticed the excitement of guards and others when he reached the barrier at the end of his corridor. Rapid movement of people, especially this early in the day, had attracted him first and sent him to the barrier. There went that sook doctor, Jalanto. He recognized her from the time O'Dreid had sent her, because you are looking ill. Another reverend mother to spy on me. Ah, Morbella's baby. That was why this rushing around and the sook. But who were all those others? Benny Jesuit robes in an abundance he had never before seen here. Not just acolytes. Reverend mothers outnumbered the others he saw rushing about down there. They reminded him of great carrion birds. There went an acolyte at last, carrying a child on her shoulders. Very mysterious. If only I had a link to ship systems. He leaned against a wall and waited, but the people vanished into various hatches and doorways. Some destinations he could place with fair certainty. Others remained a mystery. By the Holy Prophet, there went Mother Superior herself. She went through a wider doorway where most of the others had gone. Useless to ask O'Dreid when he next saw her. She had him in her trap now. The Prophet is here and in Poe and our hands. When no more people appeared in the corridor, Skytail returned to his quarters. The identification monitor at his doorway flickered at his passage, but he forced himself not to look at it. ID is the key. With his knowledge, this flaw in the Ixian ship's control system beckoned like a siren. When I move, they will not give me much time. It would be an act of desperation with ship and contents hostage. Seconds in which to succeed. Who knew what false panels might have been built? What secret hatches where those awful women could leap out at him? He dared not gamble before exhausting all other avenues, especially now, with the profit restored. Tricky witches. What else did they change in this ship? A disquieting thought. Does my knowledge still apply? The presence of Skytail beyond the barrier had not escaped Odraid's notice, but she had other matters to concern her. Morbella's accouchement, she liked the ancient term, had come at an opportune moment. Odraid wanted a distracted Idaho with her for Shiana's attempt at restoring the Basher's memories. Idaho was often distracted by thoughts of Mobella, and Mobella obviously could not be with him here, not just now. Odraid maintained prudent watchfulness in his presence. He was, after all, a mentat. She had found him at his console again. As she emerged from the drop chute into the access corridor to his quarters, she heard the clicking of relays and that characteristic buzzing of the comm field and knew immediately where to find him. He revealed an odd mood when she took him into the observation room where they would monitor Shiana and the child. Worry about Mobella? Or about what they would presently see? The observation room was long and narrow. Three rows of chairs faced the seawall, common with the secret room where the experiment would occur. The observation area had been left in grey gloom, with only two tiny glow globes at upper corners between the chairs. Two sooks were present, although... O'Dreid worried that they might be ineffective. Jalanto, the Sook Idaho considered their best, was with Mobella. Demonstrate our concern. It's real enough. Sling chairs had been set up along the seawall, 
an emergency access hatch into the other room was near at hand. Streggy brought the child down the outer passage where he would not see the watchers and took him into the room. It had been prepared under Mobella's directions, a bedroom, some of his own things brought from his quarters, and some things from the rooms shared by Idaho and Mobella. An animal's cave, Odraid thought. There was a shabbiness about the place that came from the deliberate disarray often found in Idaho's chambers. Discarded clothing on a sling chair, sandals in a corner. The sleeping mat was one Idaho and Morbella had used. Inspecting it earlier, Odraid had noted that smell akin to saliva, an intimate sexual odour. That, too, would work unconsciously on Teg. Here is where the wild things originate, the things we cannot suppress. What daring to think we can control this, but we must. As Streggy undressed the boy and left him naked on the mat, Odraid found her pulse quickening. She shifted her chair forward, noticing her Benny Jesuit companions imitate the same hitching motion. Dear me, she thought, are we nothing but voyeurs? Such thoughts were necessary at this moment, but she felt them demean her. She lost something in that intrusion, extremely non-Benny Jesuit thinking, but very human. Duncan had lapsed into a studied air of indifference, an easily recognised pretense. Too much subjectivity in his thoughts for him to function well as a mentat. And that was precisely how she wanted him now. Participation mystique. Orgasm as energizer. Bell had recognized it correctly. To one of three nearby proctors, all chosen for strength and here ostensibly as observers, Odraid said, The Gola wants his original memories restored and fears that utterly. That's the major barrier to be sundered. Bull crap, Idaho said. You know what we have working for us right now. His mother was one of you, and she gave him the deep training. How likely is it she failed to protect him against your imprinters? Odraid turned sharply toward him. Mentat? No, he was back in his immediate past, reliving and making comparisons. That reference to imprinters, though, was that how the first sexual collision with Morbella restored memories of other Gola lifetimes? Deep resistance against imprinting? The proctor Odraid had addressed chose to ignore this impertinent interruption. She had read the archive's material when Belonda briefed her. All three of them knew they might be called on to kill the Gola child. Did he have powers dangerous to them? The Watchers would not know until, or unless, Shiana succeeded. To Idaho, Odraid said, Shreggy told him why he is here. What did she tell him? Very preemptory with Mother Superior. The proctors glared at him. Odraid held her voice to deliberate mildness. Streggy told him Shiana would restore his memories. What did he say? Why isn't Duncan Idaho doing it? She answered him honestly, getting some of his own back. Honestly, but revealing nothing. Streggy told him Shiana had a better way, and that you approved. Look at him. He isn't even moving. You haven't drugged him, have you? Idaho glared back at the proctors. We wouldn't dare, but he is focused inward. You do recall the necessity for that, don't you? Idaho sank back into his chair, shoulders slumping. Morbella keeps saying, he's just a child, he's just a child. You know, we had a fight over it. I thought your argument pertinent. The basher was not a child. It's the basher we're awakening. He raised cross fingers. I hope. She drew back, 
looking at the crossed fingers. I didn't know you were superstitious, Duncan. I'd pray to Durr if I thought it would help. He remembers his own reawakening pains. Don't reveal compassion, he muttered. Turn it back on him. Keep him focused inwards. You want his anger. Those were words from his own practique. Abruptly, he said, This may be the stupidest thing I've ever suggested. I should go and be with Mobella. You're in good company, Duncan, and there's nothing you can do for Mobella right now. Look, as Teg leaped off the mat and stared up at the ceiling calm eyes. Isn't someone coming to help me? Teg demanded, more desperation in his voice than predicted for this stage. Where's Duncan Idaho? Odrade put a hand on Idaho's arm as he hitched forward. Stay where you are, Duncan. You can't help him either, not yet. Isn't someone going to tell me what to do? The young voice had a lonely, piping sound. What are you going to do? Shiana's cue, and she entered the room through a hidden hatch behind Teg. Here I am. She wore only a gossamer robe of pale blue, almost transparent. It clung to her as she strode around to face the boy. He gawked. This was a reverend mother? He had never seen one robed that way. You're going to give me back my memories? Doubt and desperation. I will help you give them back to yourself. As she spoke, she slipped out of the robe and tossed it aside. It floated to the floor like a great blue butterfly. Teg stared at her. What are you doing? What do you think I'm doing? She sat down beside him and put a hand on his penis. His head tipped forward as though pushed from behind, and he stared at her hand as an erection formed in it. Why are you doing that? Don't you know? No! The basher would know. He looked up at her face so close to his. You know. Why won't you tell me? I'm not your memory. Why are you humming like that? She put her lips against his neck. The humming was clear to the watchers. Morbella called it an intensifier, feedback keyed to the sexual response. It grew louder. What are you doing? Almost a shriek as she sat him astraddle of her. She swayed, massaging the small of his back. Answer me, damn you! A definite shriek. Where did that damn you come from? Odrade wondered. Shiana slipped him into her. Here's your answer. His mouth formed a soundless, oh. The watchers saw her concentration on Teg's eyes, but Shiana watched him with other senses as well. Feel the tensing of his thighs, the telltale vagus pulse, and especially note the darkening of his nipples. When you have him at that point, sustain it until his pupils dilate. Imprinter! Teg's scream made the watchers jump. He beat his fists against Shiana's shoulders. All of them at the seawall observed an inner flickering of his eyes as he twisted back and forth, something new peering out of him. Odrade was on her feet. Has something gone wrong? Idaho remained in his chair. What I predicted. Shiana thrust Teg away to escape his clawing fingers. He sprawled to the floor and whirled with a speed that shocked the watchers. Shiana and Teg confronted each other for several long heartbeats. Slowly, he straightened, and only then did he look down at himself. Presently, he lifted his attention to his left arm held in front of him. His gaze went to the ceiling, 
to each wall in turn. Again, he looked at his body. What in the nether hell? Still childish piping, but oddly matured. Welcome, Gola Bashar, Shiana said. You are trying to imprint me, angry accusation. You think my mother didn't teach me how to prevent that? A distant expression came over his face. Gola? Some prefer to think of you as a clone. Who are? Shiana. He whirled, looking all around the room. It had been selected for its concealed access, no visible hatches. Where are we? In the no-ship you took to June, just before you were killed there. Still according to the rules. Killed. Again, he looked at his hands. Watchers could almost see Gola-imposed filters drop from his memories. I was killed on Dune, almost plaintive. Heroic to the end, Shiana said. My, the men I took from Gamu, were they? Honored mattress made an example of Dune. It's a lifeless ball, charred to cinders. Anger touched his features. He sat and crossed his legs, placing a clenched fist on each knee. Yes, I learned that in the history of the... of me. Again he glanced at Shiana. She remained seated on the mat, quite still. This was such a plunge into memories as only one who had been through the agony could appreciate. Utter stillness was required now. Odraid whispered, Don't interfere, Shiana. Let it happen. Let him work it out. She made a hand signal to the three proctors. They went to the access hatch, watching her instead of the secret room. I find it odd to consider myself a subject of history, Teg said. The child's voice put that recurring sense of maturity in it. He closed his eyes and breathed deeply. In the observation room, Odred sank back into a chair and asked, What did you see, Duncan? When Shiana pushed him away from her, he turned with a swiftness I have never seen except in Morbella. Faster even than that? Perhaps. It's because his body is young, and we have given him prana bindu training. Something else. You alerted us, Duncan. An unknown in Atreides' marker cells. She glanced at the watchful proctors and shook her head. No, not yet. Damn that mother of his... Hypno-induction to block an imprinter, and she hid it from us. But look what she gave us, Idaho said. A more effective way to restore memories. We should have seen that on our own. Odraid felt anger at herself. Skytail claims Tlilaxu used pain and confrontation. I wonder. Ask him. It's not that simple. Our truth-sayers are not certain of him. He is opaque. When have you studied him? Da. I have access to Komai records. I know, but... Damn it! Will you keep your eyes on Teg? Look at him. What's happening? Odraid snapped her attention to the seated child. Teg looked at the Komai's, an expression of terrible intensity on his face. It had been for him like awakening from sleep in the stress of conflict, an aide's hand shaking him. Something needed his attention. He recalled, sitting in the no-ship's command center... Dar standing behind him with a hand on his neck. Scratching him? Something urgent to do. What? His body felt wrong. Gamu, and now they were on Dune, and 
He remembered different things. Childhood on Chapter House. Dar as... as... More memories meshed. They tried to imprint me. Awareness flowed around this thought like a river spreading itself for a rock. Da, are you there? You're there. Odred sat back and put a hand to her chin. What now? Mother! What an accusatory tone. Odred touched a transplate behind her chair. Hello, Miles. Shall we go for a walk in the orchards? No more games, Da. I know why you need me. I warn you, though, violence projects the wrong kinds of people into power, as if you didn't know. Still loyal to the sisterhood, Miles, in spite of what we just tried. He glanced at the watchful Shiana. Still your obedient dog. Odrade shot an accusatory look at the smiling Idaho. You and your damn stories. All right, Miles, no more games, but I have to know about Gamu. They say you moved faster than the eye could follow. True. Flat. What the hell, Tone? And just now, this body's too small to carry the load. But you... I used it up in just one burst, and I'm starving. Odrade glanced at Idaho. He nodded. Truth. She motioned the proctors back from the hatch. They hesitated before obeying. What had Bell told them? Teg was not through. Do I have it right, daughter? Since every individual is accountable ultimately to the self, formation of that self demands the utmost care and attention. That damned mother of his taught him everything. I apologize, Miles. We did not know how your mother prepared you. Whose idea was it? He looked at Chiana as he spoke. My idea, Miles, Idaho said. Oh, you're there too? More memory trickled back. And I recall the pain you caused me when you restored my memories, Idaho said. That sobered him. Point taken, Duncan. No apology needed. He looked at the speakers relaying their voices. How's the air at the top, Dar? Rarefied enough for you? Damn silly idea, she thought. And he knows it. Not rarefied at all. The air was thick with the breathing of those around her, including ones wanting to share her dramatic presence. Ones with ideas. Sometimes the idea they would be better at her job. Ones with offering hands and demanding hands. Rarefied indeed. She sensed that Teg was trying to tell her something. What? Sometimes I must be the autocrat. She heard herself saying this to him during one of their orchard walks, explaining autocrat to him and adding, I have the power and must use it. That drags on me terribly. You have the power, so use it. That was what this mentad Basha was telling her. Kill me or release me, Dar. Still, she stalled for time and knew he would sense it. Miles, Bosmali's dead, but he kept a reserve force here he trained for himself. The best of... Don't bother me with petty details. What a voice of command. Thin and reedy, but all other essentials there. Without being told, the proctors returned to the hatch. Odrade waved them away with an angry gesture. Only then did she realize that she had reached a decision. Give him back his clothes and bring him out, she said. Get Streggy in here. Teg's first words on emerging alarmed Odrade and made her wonder if she had made a mistake. What if I will not do battle the way you want? But you said, I've said many things in my lives. Battle doesn't reinforce moral sense, Dar. 
She and Teraza had heard the basher on that subject more than once. Warfare leaves a residue of eat, drink and be merry that often leads inexorably to moral breakdown. Correct, but she did not know what he had in mind with his reminder. For every veteran who returns with a new sense of destiny, I survived, that must be God's purpose, more come home with barely submerged bitterness, ready to take the easy way because they saw so much of it in the stresses of war. They were Teg's words but her belief. Streggy hurried into the room, but before she could speak, Odraid motioned her to stand aside and wait silently. For once, the acolyte had the courage to disobey Mother Superior. Duncan should know he has another daughter. Mother and child live and are healthy. She looked at Teg. Hello, Miles. Only then did Streggy remove herself to the rear wall and stand quietly. She is better than I hoped, Odraid thought. Idaho relaxed into his chair feeling now the tensions of worry that had interfered with his appreciation of what he had observed here. Teg nodded to Streggy, but spoke to Adraid. Any more words to whisper in God's ear? It was essential to control their attention and count on Adraid recognizing it. If not, I'm really famished. Odraid raised a finger to signal Streggy and heard the acolyte leave. She sensed where Teg was directing her attention, and sure enough, he said... Perhaps you've really created a scar this time. A barb directed at the sisterhood's boast that we don't let scars accumulate on our pasts. Scars often conceal more than they reveal. Some scars reveal more than they conceal, he said. He looked at Idaho. Right, Duncan? One mentat to another. I believe I've come in on an old argument, Idaho said. Teg looked at Odraid. See, daughter? A mentat knows old argument when he hears it. You pride yourselves on knowing what's required of you at every turn, but the monster at this turning is one of your own making. Mother Superior. That was a proctor who did not want her addressed thus. Odraid ignored her. She felt chagrin, harsh and compelling. Teraza within remembered the dispute. We are shaped by Bene Gesserit associations. In peculiar ways they blunt us. Oh, we cut swift and deep when we must, but that's another kind of blunting. I'll not take part in blunting you, Teg said. So he remembered. Streggy returned with a bowl of stew, brown broth with meat floating in it. Teg sat on the floor and spooned it into his mouth with urgent motions. Odraid remained silent, her thoughts moving where Teg had sent them. There was a hard shell Reverend Mothers put around themselves, against which all things from the outside, including emotions, played like projections. Morbella was right, and the sisterhood had to relearn emotions. If they were only observers, they were doomed. She addressed Teg. You won't be asked to blunt us. Both Teg and Idaho heard something else in her voice. Teg put aside his empty bowl, but Idaho was first to speak. Cultivated he said. Teg agreed. Sisters were seldom impulsive. You got ordered reactions from them even in times of peril. They went beyond what most people thought of as cultivated. They were driven not so much by dreams of power as by their own long view, a thing compounded by immediacy and almost unlimited memory. So Adraid was following a carefully thought-out plan. Teg glanced at the watchful proctors. You were prepared to kill me, he said. No one answered. There was no need. They all recognized Mantat projection. 
Teg turned and looked back into the room where he had regained his memories. Shiana was gone. More memories whispered at the edge of awareness. They would speak in their own time. This diminutive body, that was difficult. And Streggy. He focused on Odraid. You were more clever than you thought, but my mother... I don't think she anticipated this, Odraid said. No, she was not that much Atreides. An electrifying word in these circumstances. It charged a special silence in the room. The proctors moved closer. That mother of his. Teg ignored the hovering proctors. In answer to the questions you have not asked, I cannot explain what happened to me on Gamu. My physical and mental speed defies explanation. Given the size and energy, in one of your heartbeats I could be clear of this room and well on my way out of the ship. Oh, hand up raised. I'm still your obedient dog. I'll do what you require, but perhaps not in the way you imagine. Odraid saw consternation in the faces of her sisters. What have I loosed upon us? We can prevent any living thing from leaving this ship, she said. You may be fast, but I doubt you are faster than the fire that would engulf you should you try to leave without our permission. I will leave in my own good time, and with your permission. How many of Burzmali's special troops do you have? Almost two million, startled out of her. So many. He had more than twice that number with him at Lampadas when Honored Mattress obliterated them. We shall have to be more clever than poor Bosmali. Would you leave me to discuss this with Duncan? That is why you keep us around, isn't it? Our specialty. He aimed a smiling look at the overhead comm eyes. I'm sure you'll review our discussion thoroughly before approving. Odraid and her sisters exchanged glances. They shared an unspoken question. What else can we do? As she stood, Odraid looked at Idaho. Here's a real job for a truthsayer mentat. When the women were gone, Teg pulled himself up onto one of the chairs and looked into the empty room visible beyond the seawall. It had been close there, and he still felt his heart pumping hard from the effort. Quite a show, he said. I've seen better. Extremely dry. What I like right now is a large glass of marinette, but I doubt this body could take it. Belle will be waiting for Dar when she gets back to Central, Idaho said. To the nethermost hell with Belle. We have to defuse those honored mattress before they find us. And our basher has just the plan. Damn that title. Idaho inhaled a sharp breath restricted by shock. Tell you something, Duncan. Intense. Once when I was arriving for an important meeting with potential enemies, I heard an aide announce me. The basher is here. I damned near stumbled, caught by the abstraction. Mentat blur. Of course it was, but I knew the title removed me from something I did not dare lose. Basha? I was more than that. I was Miles Tegg, the name given me by my parents. You were on the name chain? Certainly, and I realized my name stood at a distance from something more primal. Miles Tegg? No, I was more basic than that. I could hear my mother saying, Oh, what a beautiful baby. So there I was with another name. Beautiful baby. Did you go deeper? Idaho found himself fascinated. I was caught. Name leads to name, leads to names, leads to nameless. When I walked into that important room, 
I was nameless. Did you ever risk that? Once. A reluctant admission. We all do it at least once. But there I was. I'd been briefed. I had a reference for everyone at the table. Face, name, title, plus all of the backgrounding. But you weren't really there. Oh, I could see the expectant faces measuring me. Wondering. Worrying. But they did not know me. That gave you a feeling of great power? Exactly. As we were warned in Mentat school. I asked myself, is this mind at its beginning? Don't laugh. It's a tantalizing question. So you went deeper. Caught by Teg's words, Idaho ignored tugs of warning at the edge of his awareness. Oh yes, and I found myself in the famous Hall of Mirrors they described and warned us to flee. So, you remembered how to get out and remembered? You've obviously been there. Did memory get you out? It helped. Despite the warnings, I lingered, seeing myself of selves and infinite permutations, reflections of reflections ad infinitum. Fascination of the ego core. Damn few ever escaped from that depth. You were lucky. I'm not sure it should be called luck. I knew there must be a first awareness, an awakening, which discovers it is not the first. But I wanted a self at the root of the self. Didn't the people at this meeting notice anything odd about you? I found out later I sat down with a wooden expression that concealed these mental gymnastics. You didn't speak. I was struck dumb. This was interpreted as the basher's expected reticence. So much for reputation. Idaho started to smile and remembered the com eyes. He saw at once how the watchdogs would interpret such revelations. Wild talent in a dangerous descendant of the Atreides. Sisters knew about the mirrors. Anyone who escaped must be suspect. What did the mirrors show him? As though he heard the dangerous question, Teg said, I was caught and knew it. I could visualize myself as a bedridden vegetable, but I didn't care. The mirrors were everything until, like something floating up out of water, I saw my mother. She looked more or less the way she had just before she died. Idaho inhaled a trembling breath. Didn't Teg know what he had just said for the com eyes to record? The sisters will now imagine I'm at least a potential Kwisatz Haderach, Teg said. Another Muadib. Bullcrap, as you're so fond of saying, Duncan. Neither of us would risk that. We know what he created and we're not stupid. Idaho could not swallow. Would they accept Teg's words? He spoke the truth, but still... She took my hand, Teg said. I could feel it, and she led me right out of the hall. I expected her to be with me when I felt myself seated at the table. My hand still tingled from her touch, but she was gone. I knew that. I just brought myself to attention and took over. The sisterhood had important advantages to gain there, and I gained them. Something your mother planted in. No, I saw her the same way reverend mothers see other memory. It was her way of saying, why the hell are you wasting time here when there's work to do? She has never left me, Duncan. The past never leaves any of us. Idaho abruptly saw the purpose behind Teg's recital. Honesty and candor indeed. You have other memory. No, except what anyone has in emergencies. 
The Hall of Mirrors was an emergency, and it also let me see and feel the source of help. But I'm not going back there. Idaho accepted this. Most Mentats risk one dip into infinity and learn the transient nature of names and titles, but Teg's account was much more than a statement about time as flow and tableau. I figured it was time we introduced ourselves fully to the Bene Gesserit, Teg said. They should know how far they can trust us. There's work to do, and we've wasted enough time on stupidities. Spend energies on those who make you strong. Energy spent on weaklings drags you to doom. H.M. Rule. Bene Gesserit Commentary. Who judges? The Dortuzla Record. The day of Dortuzla's return did not go well for Odrade. A weapons conference with Teg and Idaho ended without decision. She had sensed the hunter's axe all during the meeting and knew this coloured her reactions. Then the afternoon session with Mobella. Words, words, words. Mobella was tangled in questions of philosophy, a dead end if Odrade had ever encountered one. Now she stood in the early evening at the westernmost edge of Central's perimeter paving. It was one of her favourite places, but Belonda beside her deprived Odrade of an anticipated quiet enjoyment. Shiana found them there and asked, Is it true you have given Mirbella the freedom of the ship? There! This was one of Belonda's deepest fears. Bell! Odrade cut her off and pointed at the ring orchards. That little rise over there where we've planted no trees. I want you to order a folly in that place built to my requirements. A gazebo with lattice framing for the views. No stopping Belonda now. Odrade had seldom seen her this incensed, and the more Belonda ranted, the more adamant Odrade became. You want a, a folly in that orchard? What else will you waste our substance on? Folly, a most appropriate label for another of your... It was a silly argument. Both of them knew it twenty words into the thing. Mother Superior could not unbend first, and Bell seldom unbent for anything. Even when Odrade fell silent, Belonda charged onward into empty ramparts. At the end, when Belonda ran out of energy, Odrade said, You owe me a fine dinner, Bell. See that it's the best you can arrange. Oh, you! Belonda started to splutter. A peace offering, Odrade said. I want it served in my gazebo. My fancy folly. When Chiana laughed, Belonda was forced to join, but with an icy edge. She knew when she had been outfaced. Everyone will see it and say, See how confident Mother Superior is, Chiana said. So you want it for morale? At this point, Belonda would have accepted almost any justification. Odrade beamed at Chiana. My clever little darling. Not only had Shiana ceased teasing Belonda, she had taken to reinforcing the older woman's self-esteem wherever possible. Bell knew it, of course, and there remained an inevitable Bene Gesserit question. Why? Recognizing the suspicion, Shiana said, We're really arguing about Miles and Duncan, and I for one am sick of it. If I just knew what you were really doing, da, Belonda said. Energy has its own patterns, Bell. What do you mean? Quite startled. They are going to find us, Bell, and I know how. Belonda actually gaped. We are slaves of our habits, 
Odraid said. Slaves of energies we create. Can slaves break free? Bell, you know the problem as well as I do. For once, Belonda was nonplussed. Odraid stared at her. Pride, that was what Odraid saw when she looked at her sisters and their places. Dignity was only a mask, no real humility. Indeed, there was this visible conformity, a true Bene Gesserit pattern that, in a society aware of the peril in patterns, sounded a warning klaxon. Shiana was confused. Habits? Your habits always come hunting after you. The self you construct will haunt you, a ghost wandering around in search of your body, eager to possess you. We are addicted to the self we construct, slaves to what we have done. We are addicted to honored matres, and they to us. More of your damned romanticism, Belonda said. Yes, I'm a romantic, in the same way the tyrant was. He sensitized himself to the fixed shape of his creation. I am sensitive to his prescient trap. But oh, how close the hunter, and oh, how deep the pit. Belonda was not placated. You said you know how they will find us. They have only to recognize their own habits, and they... Yes? This was to an acolyte messenger emerging from a covered passage behind Belonda. Mother Superior, it's Reverend Mother Dortugela. Mother Fintil has brought her to the landing flat, and they will be here within the hour. Bring her to my workroom. Odraid looked at Belonda with a stare that was almost wild. Has she said anything? Mother Dortugela is ill, the acolyte said. Ill? What an extraordinary thing to say about a reverend mother. Reserve judgment. It was Belonda Mentat speaking. Belonda, foe of romanticism and wild imagination. Get Tam up there as an observer, Odraid said. Dortugela hobbled in on a cane with Fintil and Stregi helping her. There was a firmness in Dortugela's eyes, though, and a sense of measuring behind every look she focused on her surroundings. She had her hood thrown back, revealing hair the dark, mottled brown of antique ivory, and when she spoke, her voice conveyed a sense of fatigue. I have done as you ordered, Mother Superior. As Fintil and Stregi left the room, Dortugela sat without being invited, a sling chair beside Belonda. Brief glances at Shiana and Tamerlane on her left, then a hard stare at Odraid. They will meet with you on junction. They think the place is their own idea, and your spider queen is there. How soon? Shiana said. They want one hundred standard days counting from just about now. I can be more precise if you want. Why so long? Odraid asked. My opinion? They will use the time to reinforce their defenses on junction. What guarantees? That was Tam, terse as usual. Dortugela, what has happened to you? Odraid was shocked by the trembling weakness apparent in the woman. They conducted experiments on me, but that is not important. The arrangements are, for what it's worth, they promise you safe passage in and out of junction. Don't believe it. You are allowed a small entourage of servants, no more than five. 
assume they will kill everyone who accompanies you, although I may have taught them the error in that. They expect me to bring submission of the Bene Gesserit? Audrey's voice had never been colder. Dortugela's words raised a spectre of tragedy. That was the inducement. The sisters who went with you? Shiana asked. Dortugela tapped her forehead, a common sisterhood gesture. I have them. We agree the honored matres should be punished. Dead? Audrey forced the word between tight lips. Attempting to force me into their ranks. You see we will kill another one if you don't agree? I told them to kill us all and have done with it, and to forget about meeting Mother Superior. They did not accept this until they ran out of hostages. You shared them all? Tamerlane asked. Yes, that would be Tam's concern as she neared her own death. While pretending to assure myself they were dead, you may as well know the whole thing. These women are grotesque. They possess caged futars. The bodies of my sisters were thrown into the cages where the futars ate them. The Spider Queen, an appropriate name, made me watch this. Disgusting, Balonda said. Dortugela sighed. They did not know, naturally, that I have worse visions in other memory. They sought to overwhelm your sensibilities, Odraid said. Foolish. Were they surprised when you didn't react as they wished? Chagrined, I would say. I think they had seen others react as I did. I told them it was as good a way as any to get fertilizer. I believe that angered them. Cannibalism, Tamerlane muttered. Only in appearance, Dortugela said. Futars definitely are not human. Barely tamed wild animals. No handlers? Odraid asked. I saw none. The Futars did speak. They said, eat, before they ate. And they jibed at honored matres around them. You hungry, that sort of thing. More important was what happened after they ate. Dortugela lapsed into a fit of coughing. They tried poisons, she said. Stupid women. When she regained her breath, Dortugela said, A futar came to the bars of its cage after their banquet. It looked at the spider queen and it screamed. I have never heard such a sound. Chilling. Every honored matre in that room froze, and I swear to you, they were terrified. Shiana touched Dortugela's arm. A predator immobilizing its prey? Undoubtedly, it had qualities of voice. The Futars appeared surprised that it did not freeze me. The honored matre's reaction? Belonda asked. Yes, a mentat would require that datum. A general clamor when they found their voices. Many shouted for great honored Matre to destroy the Futars. She, however, took a calmer view. Too valuable alive, she said. A hopeful sign, Tamerlane said. Odraid looked at Belonda. I will order Strega to bring the Basha here. Objections? Belonda gave a curt nod. 
They knew the gamble must be taken, despite questions about Teg's intentions. To Dortujla, Audrade said, I want you in my own guest quarters. We'll bring in souks. Order what you need and prepare for a full council meeting. You are a special advisor. Dortujla spoke while struggling to her feet. I've not slept in almost fifteen days, and I will need a special meal. Shiana, see to that and get the souks up here. Tam, stay with the Bashar and Stregi. Regular reports. He'll want to go to the cantonment and take personal charge. Get him a comm link with Duncan. Nothing must impede them. You want me here with him? Tamerlane asked. You are his leech. Stregi takes him nowhere without your knowledge. He wants Duncan as weapons master. Make sure he accepts Duncan's confinement in the ship. Bell, any weapons data Duncan requires. Priority. Comments? There were no comments. Thoughts about consequences? Yes. But the decisiveness of Odraid's behavior infected them. Sitting back, Odraid closed her eyes and waited until silence told her she was alone. The commies were still watching, of course. They know I'm tired. Who wouldn't be under these circumstances? Three more sisters killed by those monsters. Basha, they must feel our lash and know the lesson. When she heard Stregi arrive with Teg, Odraid opened her eyes. Stregi led him by the hand, but there was something about them saying this was not an adult guiding a child. Teg's movements said he gave Stregi permission to treat him this way. She would have to be warned. Tam followed and went to a chair near the windows directly beneath the bust of Chenoa. Significant positioning? Tam did strange things lately. Do you wish me to stay, Mother Superior? Stregi released Teg's hand and stood near the door. Sit over there beside Tam. Listen and do not interrupt. You must know what will be required of you. Teg hitched himself onto the chair recently occupied by Dortujla. I suppose this is a council of war. That's an adult behind the childish voice. I won't ask your plan yet, Odraid said. Good. The unexpected takes more time, and I may not be able to tell you what I intend until the moment of action. We've been observing you with Duncan. Why are you interested in ships from the scattering? Long-haul ships have a distinctive appearance. I saw them on the flat at Gamel. Teg sat back and let this sink in, glad of the briskness he sensed in Odraid's manner. Decisions. No long deliberations. That suited his needs. They must not learn the full extent of my abilities. Not yet. You would disguise an attack force? Belonda came through the door as Odraid was speaking and growled an objection while sitting. Impossible. They'll have recognition codes and secret signals for- Let me decide that, Bell, or remove me from command. That is the council, Belonda said. You don't- Mentat? He looked fully at her, the Basha apparent in his gaze. When she fell silent, he said, Don't question my loyalty. If you would weaken me, replace me. Let him have his say. That was Tam. This isn't the first council where the Basha has appeared as our equal. Belonda lowered her chin a fractional millimeter. To Adraid, Teg said, Avoiding warfare is a matter of intelligence, the gathered variety and intellectual power throwing our own cant at us. She heard Mentat in his voice, and Belonda obviously heard this as well. Intelligence and intelligence, the doubled view, 
Without it, warfare often occurred as an accident. The Basha sat silently, letting them stew in their own historical observations. The urge to conflict went far deeper than consciousness. The tyrant had been right. Humankind acted as one beast. The forces impelling that great collective animal went back to tribal days and beyond, as did so many forces to which humans responded without thinking. Mix the genes. Expand Liebensraum for your own breeders. Gather the energies of others. Collect slaves, peons, servants, serfs, markets, workers. The terms often were interchangeable. Audrade saw what he was doing. Knowledge absorbed from the sisterhood helped make him the incomparable Mentat Basha. He held these things as instincts. Energy-eating drove war's violence. This was described as greed, fear that others will take your hoard, power-hunger, and on and on into futile analyses. Odred had heard these even from Bolonda, who obviously was not taking it well that a subordinate should remind them of what they already knew. The tyrant knew, Teg said. Duncan quotes him. War is behavior with roots in the single cell of the primeval seas. Eat whatever you touch, or it will eat you. What do you propose? Belonda at her most snappish. A feint at Gamu, then strike their base on junction. For that we need first-hand observations. He stared steadily at Odrade. He knows. The thought flared in Odrade's mind. You think your studies of junction when it was a guild base are still accurate? Belonda demanded. They haven't had time to change the place much from what I stored here. He tapped his forehead in an odd parody of the sisterhood's gesture. Englobement, Odrade said. Belonda looked at her sharply. The cost! Losing everything is more costly, Teg said. Fold space sensors don't have to be large, Odrade said. Duncan would set them to create a Holtzman explosion on contact? The explosions would be visible and would give us a trajectory. He sat back and looked at an indefinite area on Odrade's rear wall. Would they accept it? He dared not frighten them with another display of wild talent if Bell knew he could see the no-ships. Do it, Odrade said. You have the command, use it. There was a distinct sense of chuckling from Teraza in other memories. Give him his head. That's how I got such a great reputation. One thing, Melonda said. She looked at Odrade. You're going to be his spy? Who else can get in there and transmit observations? They'll be monitoring every means of transmissions. Even the one that tells our waiting no ship we have not been betrayed? Odrade asked. An encrypted message hidden in the transmission, Teg said. Duncan has devised an encryption that would take months to break, but we doubt they'll detect its presence. Madness, Belonda muttered. I met an honored Matre military commander on Gamu, Teg said. Slack when it came to necessary details. I think they're overconfident. Belonda stared at him, and there was the Basha staring back at her out of a child's innocent eyes. Abandon all sanity, you who enter here, he said. Get out of here, all of you, Odrade ordered. You have work to do, and Miles. He already had slid off the chair, but he stood there looking much as he always had when waiting for Mother to tell him something important. Did you refer to the lunacy of dramatic events that warfare always amplifies? 
What else? Surely you didn't think I referred to your sisterhood? Duncan plays this game sometimes. I don't want us catching the honored Matre madness, Teg said. It is contagious, you know. They've tried to control the sex drive, Odraid said. That always gets away from you. Runaway lunacy, he agreed. He leaned against the table, his chin barely above the surface. Something drove those women back here. Duncan's right. They're looking for something and running away at the same time. You have ninety standard days to get ready, she said. Not one day more. Ishyara aladab hadbatu. A hunchback does not see his own hunch. Folk saying. Bene Gesserit commentary. The hunch may be seen with the aid of mirrors, but mirrors may show the whole being. The Basha Teg. It was a weakness in the Bene Gesserit that Adraid knew the entire sisterhood soon must recognize. She gained no consolation from having seen it first. Denying our deepest resource when we need it most. The scatterings had gone beyond the ability of humans to assemble the experiences in manageable form. We can only extract essentials, and that is a matter of judgment. Vital data would remain dormant in great and small events, accumulations called instinct. So that was it, finally. They must fall back on unspoken knowledge. In this age, the word refugees took on the color of its pre-space meaning. Small bands of reverend mothers sent out by the sisterhood held something in common with old scenes of displaced stragglers trudging down forgotten roads, pitiful belongings bound in bits of cloth, wheeled on decrepit prams and toy wagons, or piled atop lopsided vehicles, remnant humanity clinging to the outsides and densely packed within, every face blank with despair or heated by desperation. So we repeat history, and repeat it and repeat it. As she entered a tube slot shortly before lunch, Audrey's thoughts clung to her scattered sisters. Political refugees, economic refugees, pre-battle refugees. Is this your golden path, tyrant? Visions of her scattered ones haunted Audrey as she entered Central's reserved dining room, a place only reverend mothers might enter. They served themselves here at cafeteria lines. It had been twenty days since she had released Teg to the cantonment. Rumors were flying in Central, especially among proctors, although there still was no sign of another vote. New decisions must be announced today, and they would have to be more than naming the ones who would accompany her to Junction. She glanced around the dining room, an austere place of yellow walls, low ceiling, small square tables that could be latched in rows for larger groups. Windows along one side revealed a garden court under a translucent cover. Dwarf apricots in green fruit, lawn, benches, small tables. Sisters ate outside when sunlight poured into the enclosed yard. No sunlight today. She ignored a cafeteria line where a place was being made for her. Later, sisters. At the corner table near the windows reserved for her, she deliberately moved the chairs. Bell's brown chair dog pulsed faintly at this unaccustomed disturbance. Odraid sat with her back to the room, knowing this would be interpreted correctly. Leave me to my own thoughts. While she waited, she stared out at the courtyard. 
An enclosing hedge of exotic purple-leaved shrubs was in red flower, giant blossoms with delicate stamens of deep yellow. Belonda arrived first, dropping into her chair dog with no comment on its new position. Bell frequently appeared untidy, belt loose, robe wrinkled, bits of food on the bosom. Today she was neat and clean. Now why is that? Belonda said, Tam and Shiana will be late. Odraid accepted this without stopping her study of this different Belonda. Was she a bit slimmer? There was no way to insulate a mother superior completely from what went on within her sensory area of concerns, but sometimes pressures of work distracted her from small changes. These were a reverend mother's natural habitat, though, and negative evidence was as illuminating as positive. On reflection, Odraid realized that this new Belonda had been with them for several weeks. Something had happened to Belonda. Any reverend mother could exercise reasonable control over weight and figure. A matter of internal chemistry, banking fires or letting them burn high. For years now, rebellious Belonda had flaunted a gross body. You've lost weight, Odraid said. Fat was beginning to slow me too much. That had never been sufficient reason for Belle to change her ways. She had always compensated with speed of mind, with projections and faster transport. Duncan really got to you, didn't he? I'm not a hypocrite nor criminal. Time to send you to a punishment keep, I guess. This recurrent, humorous thrust usually annoyed Belonda. Today it did not arouse her. But under pressure of Audrey's stare, she said, If you must know, it's Shiana. She has been after me to improve my appearance and broaden my circle of associates. Annoying. I'm doing it to shut her up. Why are Tam and Shiana late? Reviewing your latest meeting with Duncan. I have severely limited who has access to it. No telling what will happen when it becomes general knowledge. As it will. Inevitable. I only buy us time to prepare. I did not want it suppressed, Bell. Gar, what are you doing? I will announce that at a convocation. No words, but Belonda glared her surprise. A convocation is my right, Odraid said. Belonda leaned back and stared at Odraid, assessing, questioning, all without words. The last convocation of the Bene Gesserit had been at the tyrant's death, and before that at the tyrant's seizure of power. A convocation had not been thought possible since honoured matres attacked, too much time taken from desperate labours. Presently, Belonda asked, Will you risk bringing sisters from our surviving keeps? No, Dortuzler will represent them. There is precedent, as you know. First you free Mobella, now it's a convocation. Free? Mobella is tied by chains of gold. Where would she go without her Duncan? But you've given Duncan freedom to leave the ship, has he? Belonda said, You think that information from the ship's armory is all he'll take? I know it. I'm reminded of Jessica turning her back on the Mentat who would have killed her. The Mentat was immobilized by his own beliefs. Sometimes the bull gores the matador, da. More often he does not. Our survival should not depend on statistics. Agreed. That is why I call convocation. Acolytes included? Everyone. Even Mabella? Does she get an acolyte's vote? I think she may be a reverend mother by then. Belonda gasped. Then, you move too fast, Dar. 
These times require it. Belonda glanced toward the dining room door. Here's Tam, later than I expected. I wonder if they took time to consult Marbella. Tamerlane arrived, breathing hard from hurrying. She dropped into her blue chair dog, noted the new positions, and said, Shiana will be along presently. She is showing records to Marbella. Belonda addressed Tamerlane. She's going to put Marbella through the agony and call a convocation. I'm not surprised. Tamerlane spoke with her old precision. The position of that honored matre must be resolved as soon as possible. Shiana joined them then and took the sling chair to Drade's left, speaking as she sat. Have you watched Marbella walk? Odraid was caught by the way this abrupt question, uttered without preamble, fixed the attention. Marbella walking in the ship, observed just that morning. Beauty in Marbella and the eye could not avoid it. To other Bene Gesserit, reverend mothers and acolytes alike, she was something of an exotic. She had arrived full-grown from the dangerous outside. One of them. It was her movements, though, that compelled the eye, homeostasis in her that went beyond the norms. Shiana's question redirected the observer's mind. Something about Mabella's quite acceptable passage required new examination. What was it? Mabella's motions were always carefully chosen. She excluded anything not required to go from here to there. Path of least resistance? It was a view of Mabella that sent a pang through Odraid. Shiana had seen it, of course. Was Mabella one of those who would choose an easy way every time? Odraid could see that question on the faces of her companions. The agony will sort it out, Tamerlane said. Odraid looked squarely at Shiana. Well? She had asked the question, after all. Perhaps it's only that she does not waste energy, but I agree with Tam, the agony. Are we making a terrible mistake? Belonda asked. Something in the way this question was asked told Adraid that Bell had made a mentat summation. She has seen what I intend. If you know a better course, reveal it now, Odraid said, or hold your peace. Silence gripped them. Odraid looked at her companions in succession, lingering on Bell. Help us, whatever gods there may be. And I, being Bene Gesserit, am too much agnostic to make that plea with anything more than a hope of covering all possibilities. Don't reveal it, Bell. If you know what I will do, you know it must be seen in its own time. Belonda brought Odraid out of reverie with a cough. Are we going to eat or talk? People are staring. Should we have another go at Sightail? Shiana asked. Was that an attempt to divert my attention? Belonda said, Give him nothing. He's in reserve. Let him sweat. Odraid looked carefully at Belonda. She was fuming over the silence imposed on her by Odraid's secret decision, avoiding a meeting of eyes with Shiana. Jealous. Bell is jealous of Shiana. Tamerlane said, I am only an advisor now, but... Stop that, Tam, Odraid snapped. Tam and I have been discussing that gola, Belonda said. Idaho was that gola when Belonda had something disparaging to say. Why did he think he needed to talk secretly to Shiana? A hard stare at Shiana. Odraid saw shared suspicion. She does not accept the explanation. 
Does she reject Duncan's emotional bias? Shiana spoke quickly. Mother Superior explained that. Emotion, Belonda sneered. Odrade raised her voice and was surprised at this reaction. Suppressing emotions is a weakness. Tamerlane's shaggy eyebrows lifted. Shiana intruded. If we won't bend, we can break. Before Belonda could respond, Odrade said, Ice can be chipped apart or melted. Ice maidens are vulnerable to a single form of attack. I'm hungry, Shiana said. Peacemaking? Not a role expected of the mouse. Tamerlane stood. Bouillabas, we must eat the fish before our sea is gone. Not enough Nalentropy storage. In the softest of simul flows, Odrade noted the departure of her companions to the cafeteria line. Tamerlane's accusatory words recalled that second day with Shiana after the decision to phase out the Great Sea. Standing at Shiana's window in the early morning, Odrade had watched a seabird move against the desert background. It winged its way northward, a creature completely out of place in that setting, but beautiful in a profoundly nostalgic way because of it. White wings glistened in early sunlight, a touch of black beneath and in front of its eyes. Abruptly, it hovered, wings motionless. Then, lifting on an air current, it tucked its wings like a hawk, plummeted out of view behind the farther buildings. Reappearing, it carried something in its beak, a morsel it swallowed on the wing. A seabird, alone and adapting. We adapt. We do indeed adapt. It was not a quiet thought, nothing to induce repose. Shocking, rather. Odrade had felt jarred out of a dangerously drifting course. Not only her beloved chapter house, but their entire human universe was breaking out of its old shapes and taking on new forms. Perhaps it was right in this new universe that Shiana continued to conceal things from Mother Superior. And she is concealing something. Once more, Malonda's acidic tones brought Odrade to full awareness of her surroundings. If you won't serve yourself, I suppose we must take care of you. Balonda placed a bowl of aromatic fish stew in front of Odrade, a great chunk of garlic bread beside it. When each had sampled the bouillabas, Balonda put down her spoon and stared hard at Odrade. You're not going to suggest we love one another or some such debilitating nonsense? Thank you for bringing my food, Odrade said. Shiana swallowed and a wide grin came over her features. It's delicious. Belonda returned to eating. It's all right. But she had heard the unspoken comment. Tamerlane ate steadily, shifting attention from Shiana to Belonda and then to Adrade. Tam appeared to agree with a proposed softening of emotional strictures. At least she voiced no objections, and older sisters were most likely to object. The love the Bene Gesserit tried to deny was everywhere, Odrade thought, in small things and big. How many ways there were to prepare delectable, life-sustaining foods, recipes that really were embodiments of loves, old and new. This buiabes so smoothly restorative on her tongue, its origins were planted deeply in love. The wife at home using that part of the day's catch her husband could not sell. The very essence of the Bene Gesserit was concealed in loves. 
Why else minister to those unspoken needs humanity always carried? Why else work for the perfectibility of humankind? Bowl empty, Belonda put down her spoon and wiped up the dregs with the last of her bread. She swallowed, looking pensive. Love weakens us, she said. No force in her voice. An acolyte could have said it no differently. Right out of the coda. Audrade concealed amusement and countered with another coda stepping stone. Beware jargon. It usually hides ignorance and carries little knowledge. Respectful wariness entered Belonda's eyes. Shiana pushed herself back from the table and wiped her mouth with her napkin. Tamerlane did the same. Her chair dog adjusted as she leaned back, eyes bright and amused. Tam knows. The wily old witch is still wise in my ways. But Shiana, what game is Shiana playing? I would almost say she hopes to distract me, to keep my attention away from her. She is very good at it. Learned it at my knee. Well, two can play that game. I press Belonda, but watch my little dune waif. What price respectability, Bell? Odrade asked. Belonda accepted this thrust in silence. Hidden in Bene Gesserit jargon was a definition of respectability, and they all knew it. Should we honor the memory of the Lady Jessica for her humanity? Odrade asked. Shiana is surprised. Jessica put the sisterhood in jeopardy, Belonda accuses. To thine own sisters be true, Tamerlane murmured. Our antique definition of respectability helps keep us human, Odrade said. Hear me well, Shiana. Her voice little more than a whisper, Shiana said, If we lose that, we lose it all. Odrade suppressed a sigh. So that's it. Shiana met her gaze. You are instructing us, of course. Twilight thoughts, Belonda muttered. Best we avoid them. Taraza called us Latter-day Bene Gesserit, Shiana said. Odrade's mood went self-accusatory. The bane of our present existence. Sinister imaginings can destroy us. How easy it was to conjure a future that looked at them from glazing orange eyes of berserk honored matres. Fears out of many pasts crouched within Odrade, breathless moments focused on fangs that went with such eyes. Odrade forced her attention back to the immediate problem. Who will accompany me to Junction? They knew Dortugela's harrowing experience, and word of it had spread throughout Chapter House. Whoever goes with Mother Superior could well be fed to Futars. Tam, Odrade said, you and Dortugela. And that may be a death sentence. The next step is obvious. Shiana, Odrade said, you will share with Tam. Dortugela and I will share with Bell, and I will share with you before I go. Belonda was aghast. Mother Superior, I'm not suited to take your place. Odrade held her attention on Shiana. That is not being suggested. I will merely make you the repository of my lives. Definite fear on Shiana's face, but she dared not refuse a direct order. Odrade nodded to Tamerlane. I will share later. You and Shiana will do it now. Tamerlane leaned toward Shiana. The strictures of great age and imminent death 
made this a welcome thing for her, but Shiana involuntarily pulled away. Now, Odraid said, let Tam judge whatever it is you hide. There was no escape. Shiana bent her head to Tamerlane's until they touched. The flash of the exchange was electric, and the entire dining room felt it. Conversation stopped, every gaze turned toward the table by the window. There were tears in Shiana's eyes when she withdrew. Tamerlane smiled and made a gentle caressing motion with both hands along Shiana's cheeks. It's all right, dear. We all have these fears and sometimes do foolish things because of them. But I am pleased to call you sister. Tell us, Tam, now. Tamerlane did not choose to do that. She faced Odraid and said, We must cling to our humanity at any cost. Your lesson is well received and you have taught Shiana well. When Shiana shares with you, Da, Alonda began, could you not reduce the influence she has on Idaho? I will not weaken a possible Mother Superior, Odraid said. Thank you, Tam. I think we will make our venture to junction without excess baggage. Now, I want a report by tonight on Teg's progress. His leech has been too long away from him. Will he learn that he has two leeches now? Shiana asked. Such joy in her. Odraid stood. If Tam accepts her, then I must. Tam would never betray our sisterhood. And Shiana. Of us all, Shiana most reveals the natural traits from our human roots. Still, I wish she had never created that statue she calls the Void. Religion must be accepted as a source of energy. It can be directed for our purposes, but only within limits that experience reveals. Here is the secret meaning of free will. Missionaria Protectiva, Primary Teaching A thick cloud cover had moved over Central this morning, and Odraid's workroom took on a grey silence to which she felt herself responding with inner stillness, as though she dared not move because that disturbed dangerous forces. Mabella's day of agony, she thought. I must not think of omens. Weather had issued a peremptory warning about clouds. They were an accidental displacement. Corrective measures were being taken but would require time. Meanwhile, expect high winds and there could be precipitation. Shiana and Tamerlane stood at the window looking at this poorly controlled weather. Their shoulders touched. Odraid watched them from her chair behind the table. Those two had become like a single person since yesterday's sharing. Not an unexpected occurrence. Precedents were known, although not many of them. Exchanges occurring in the presence of poisonous, spicy essence, or at an actual moment of death, did not often allow further living contact between participants. It was interesting to observe. The two backs were oddly alike in their rigidity. The force of extremists that made sharing possible dictated powerful changes in personality, and Odraid knew this with an intimacy that compelled tolerance. Whatever it was Shiana concealed, Tam also concealed. Something tied to Shiana's basic humanity. And Tam could be trusted. Until another sister shared with one of them, Tam's judgment must be accepted. 
Not that watchdogs would cease probing and observing minutiae, but they needed no new crisis just now. This is Mabella's day, Odraid said. The odds are long she won't survive, Belonda said, hunched forward in her chair dog. What happens to our precious plan then? Our plan. Extremists, Odraid said. In that context, it was a word with several meanings. Belonda interpreted it as a possibility of acquiring Mabella's persona memories at the moment of her death. Then we must not permit Idaho to observe. My order stands, Odraid said. It's Mabella's wish, and I have given my word. Mistake, mistake, Belonda muttered. Odraid knew the source of Belonda's doubts, visible to all of them. Somewhere in Mabella lay something extremely painful. It caused her to shy away from certain questions like an animal confronted by a predator. Whatever it was, the thing went deep. Hypnotrance induction might not explain it. All right, Odraid spoke loudly to emphasize it was for all of her listeners. It's not the way we've ever done it before, but we cannot take Duncan from the ship, so we must go to him. He will be present. Belonda was still well and truly shocked. No man, barring the damned Kwisatz Haderach himself and his tyrant son, had ever known the particulars of this Bene Gesserit secret. Both of those monsters had felt the agony. Two disasters. No matter that the tyrant's agony had worked its way inward a cell at a time to transform him into a sandworm symbiote. No more original worm, no more original human. And Muad'Dib, he dared the agony and look what came of that. Shiana turned from the window and took one step toward the table, giving Odraid the curious feeling that the two women standing there had become a Janus figure, back to back, but only one persona. Bell is confused by your promise, Shiana said. How soft her voice. He could be the catalyst to pull Mabella through, Odraid said. You tend to underestimate the power of love. No, Tamlane spoke to the window in front of her. We fear its power. Could be. Bell still was scornful, but that came naturally to her. The expression on her face said she remained implacably stubborn. Hubris, Shiana murmured. What? Belonda whirled in her chair dog, causing it to squeak with indignation. We share a common failing with Sighttail, Shiana said. Oh? Belonda was gnawing at Shiana's secret. We think we make history, Shiana said. She returned to her position beside Tamerlane, both of them staring out the window. Belonda returned her attention to Odraid. Do you understand that? Odraid ignored her. Let the Mentat work it out for herself. The projector on the work table clicked and a message was displayed. Odraid reported it. Still not ready at the ship. She looked at those two rigid backs in front of the window. History? On Chapter House, there had been little of what Odraid liked to think of as history-making before the honored Matres. Only the steady graduation of Reverend Mothers passing through the agony. Like a river. It flowed, and it went somewhere. You could stand on the bank, as Odraid sometimes thought they did here, and you could observe the flow. A map might tell you where the river went, but no map could reveal more essential things. 
A map could never show intimate movements of the river's cargo. Where did they go? Maps had limited value in this age. A printout or projection from archives, that was not the map they required. There had to be a better one somewhere, one attached to all of those lives. You could carry that map in your memory and have it out occasionally for a closer look. Whatever happened to the Reverend Mother Parente we sent out last year? The map in the mind would take over and create a Parente scenario. It was really yourself on the river, of course, but this made little difference. It still was the map they needed. We don't like it that we're caught in someone else's currents, that we don't know what may be revealed at the river's next bend. We always prefer overflight, even though any commanding position must remain part of other currents. Every flow contains unpredictable things. Audrey looked up to see her three companions watching her. Tamerlane and Shiana had turned their backs to the window. Honored Matres have forgotten that clinging to any form of conservatism can be dangerous, Audrey said. Have we forgotten it as well? They continued to stare at her, but they had heard. Become too conservative and you were unprepared for surprises. That was what Muad'Dib had taught them, and his tyrant son had made the lesson forever unforgettable. Belonda's glum expression did not change. In the deep recesses of Odraid's consciousness, Teraza whispered, Careful, Da, I was lucky, quick to grab advantage, just as you are. But you cannot depend on luck, and that is what bothers them. Don't even expect luck. Much better to trust your water images. Let Belle have her say. Belle, Odraid said, I thought you accepted, Duncan. Within limits? Definitely accusatory. I think we should go out to the ship. Shiana spoke with demanding emphasis. This is not the place to wait. Do we fear what she may become? Tam and Shiana turned toward the door simultaneously, as though the same puppet master controlled their strings. Odraid found the interruption welcome. Shiana's question alarmed them. What could Mabella become? A catalyst, my sisters. A catalyst. The wind shook them when they emerged from Central, and for once Odraid was thankful for tube transport. Walking could await warmer temperatures, without this blustering mini-tempest tugging at their robes. When they were seated in a private car, Bolonda once more took up her accusatory refrain. Everything he does could be camouflage. Once more, Odraid voiced the oft-repeated Bene Gesserit warning to limit their reliance on Mentats. Logic is blind and often knows only its own past. Tamerlane chimed in with unexpected support. You are getting paranoid, Bell. Shiana spoke more softly. I've heard you say, Bell, that logic is good for playing pyramid chess, but often too slow for needs of survival. Belonda sat in glowering silence, only a faint hissing rumble of their tube passage intruding on the quiet. Wounds must not be taken into the ship. Odraid matched her tone to Shiana's. Bell, dear Bell, we do not have time to consider all ramifications of our plight. We no longer can say, if this happens, then that surely must follow. And in such a case, our moves must be so and so and so. Belonda actually chuckled. Oh my, the ordinary mind is such a clutter.
and I must not demand what we all need and cannot have. Sufficient time for every plan. It was Belonda Mentat speaking, telling them she knew she was flawed by pride in her ordinary mind. What a badly organized, untidy place that was. Imagine what the non-Mentat puts up with, imposing so little order. She reached across the aisle and patted O'Drade's shoulder. It's all right, da. I'll behave. What would an outsider think, seeing that exchange, O'Drade wondered, all four of them acting in concert for the needs of one sister, for the needs of Mabella's agony as well? People saw only the outside of this Reverend Mother mask they wore. When we must, which is most of the time these days, we function at astonishing levels of competence. No pride in that, a simple fact. But let us relax, and we hear gibberish at the edges, as ordinary folk do. Ours merely has more volume. We live our lives in little congeries like anyone else. Rooms of the mind. Rooms of the body. Belonda had composed herself, hands clasped in her lap. She knew what Odrade planned and kept it to herself. It was a trust that went beyond Bentat projection into something more basically human. Projection was a marvelously adaptable tool, but a tool nonetheless. Ultimately, all tools depended on the ones who used them. Odrade was at a loss how to show her thanks without reducing trust. I must walk my tightrope in silence. She sensed the chasm beneath her, the nightmare image conjured by these reflections. The unseen hunter with an axe was closer. Odrade wanted to turn and identify the stalker, but resisted. I will not make Muad'Dib's mistake. The prescient warning she had first sensed on Dune in the ruins of Siech Tabor would not be exorcised until she ended, or the sisterhood ended. Did I create this terrible threat by my fears? Surely not. Still, she felt she had stared at time in that ancient Fremen stronghold, as though all past and all future were frozen into a tableau that could not be changed. I must break free of you utterly, Muad'Dib. Their arrival at the landing flat pulled her from these fearful musings. Mabella waited in rooms proctors had prepared. At the center was a small amphitheater about seven meters along its enclosing back wall. Padded benches were stepped upward in a steep arc, seating for no more than twenty observers. Proctors had left her without explanation on the lowest bench, staring at a suspense-aboyed table. Straps hung over the sides to confine whoever lay on it. Me? An astonishing series of rooms, she thought. She had never before been permitted into this part of the ship. She felt exposed here, even more so than she had under open sky. The smaller rooms through which they had brought her to this amphitheater were clearly designed for medical emergencies, resuscitation equipment, sanitary odors, antiseptics. Her removal to this room had been peremptory, none of her questions answered. Proctors had taken her from an advanced acolyte class in Prana Bindu exercises. They said only, Mother Superior's orders. The quality of her guardian proctors told her much. Gentle but firm. They were here to prevent flight and to make sure she went where ordered. I won't try to escape. Where was Duncan? O'Drade had promised he would be with her for the agony. Did his absence mean this was not to be her ultimate trial, 
or had they concealed him behind some secret wall through which he could see and not be seen? I want him at my side. Didn't they know how to rule her? Certainly they did. Threaten to deprive me of this man. That's all it takes to hold me and satisfy me. Satisfy? What a useless word. Complete me. That's better. I am less when we're apart. He knows it too, damn him. Mabella smiled. How does he know it? Because he is completed in the same way. How could this be love? She felt no weakening from the tugs of desire. Bene Gesserit and Honoured Matres alike said love weakened. She felt strengthened by Duncan. Even his small attentions were strengthening. When he brought her a steaming cup of steam tea in the morning, it was better coming from his hands. Perhaps we have something more than love. Audrade and companions entered the amphitheatre at the uppermost tier and stood a moment looking down at the figure seated below them. Mabella wore the white-trimmed long robe of a senior acolyte. She sat with elbow on knee, chin resting on fist, her attention concentrated on the table. She knows. Where is Duncan? Odrade asked. At her words, Mobella stood and turned. The question confirmed what she had suspected. I'll find out, Shiana said, and left them. Mabella waited in silence, matching Odrade stare for stare. We must have her, Odrade thought. Never had the Bene Gesserit need been greater. What an insignificant figure Mabella was down there to carry so much in her person. The almost oval face with its widening at the brows revealed new Bene Gesserit composure. Widely set green eyes, arched brows, no squinting, no more orange. Small mouth, no more pouting. She is ready. Shiana returned with Duncan at her side. Odrade spared him a brief glance. Nervous. So Shiana had told him. Good. That was an act of friendship. He might need friends here. You will sit up here and remain here unless I call you, Odrade said. Stay with him, Shiana. Without being told, Tamerlane flanked Duncan, one of them on each side. At a gentle gesture from Shiana, they sat. Belonda beside her, Odrade descended to Mabella's level and went to the table. Oral syringes on the far side were ready to lift into position, but remained empty. Odrade gestured at the syringes and nodded to Belonda, who went out a side door in search of the souk reverend mother in charge of spice essence. Moving the table away from the back wall, Odrade began laying out straps and adjusting pads. She moved methodically, checking that everything had been provided on the small ledge beneath the table. Mouth pad to keep the agonized one from biting her tongue. Odrade felt it to be sure it was strong. Mabella had a muscular jaw. Mabella watched Odrade work, keeping silent, trying to make no disturbing noises. Belonda returned with spice essence and proceeded to fill the syringes. The poisonous essence had a pungent odor, bitter cinnamon. Catching Odrade's attention, Mabella said, I'm grateful that you're supervising this yourself. She's grateful, Belonda sneered, not looking up from her work. Leave this to me, Belle. Odrade kept her attention on Mabella. Belonda did not pause, but something withdrawn took over her movements. Belonda effacing herself? 
It never ceased to astonish Mabella how acolytes effaced themselves when they entered Mother Superior's presence. There, but not there. Mabella had never quite achieved this, even when she left probation and entered advanced status. Belonda, too? Staring hard at Mabella, Odraid said, I know what reservations you hold in your breast, limits you place on your commitment to us. Well and good. I make no argument about that because, by and large, your reservations are very little different from those held by any of us. Candor. The difference, if you would know it, is in the sense of responsibility. I am responsible for my sisterhood, as much of it as still survives. They are a deep responsibility, and one I sometimes look at with a jaundiced eye. Belonda sniffed. Odraid appeared not to notice this as she continued. The Bene Gesserit sisterhood has gone somewhat sour since the tyrant. Our contact with your honoured matres has not improved matters. Honoured matres have the stench of death and decadence about them going downhill into the great silence. Why do you tell me these things now? Fear in Mabella's voice. Because, somehow, the worst of honoured matre decadence did not touch you. Your spontaneous nature, perhaps. Although that has been dampened somewhat since Gamel. You're doing. We've just taken a little wildness out of you, given you a better balance. You can live longer and healthier because of it. If I survive this, jerk of her head toward the table behind her. Balance is what I want you to remember, Mabella. Homeostasis. Any group choosing suicide when it has other options does so out of insanity. Homeostasis gone haywire. When Mabella looked at the floor, Melonda snapped, Listen to her, fool! She's doing her best to help you! All right, Belle, this is between us. When Mabella continued to stare at the floor, Odraid said, This is Mother Superior giving you an order. Look at me. Mabella's head snapped up, and she stared into Odraid's eyes. It was a tactic Odraid had used infrequently, but with excellent results. Acolytes could be reduced to hysteria by it, and then taught how to deal with their excessive response to emotions. Mabella appeared to be more angered than fearful. Excellent. But now was a time for caution. You have complained about the slow pacing of your education, Odraid said. It was done with your needs foremost in our minds. Your key teachers all were chosen for steadiness, none of them impulsive. My instructions were explicit. Don't give you too many abilities too rapidly. Don't open a floodgate of powers that might be more than she can handle. How do you know what I can handle? Still angry. Odraid only smiled. When Odraid continued silent, Mabella appeared flustered. Had she made a fool of herself before Mother Superior, before Duncan and these others? How humiliating. Odraid reminded herself it was not good to make Mabella too conscious of her vulnerability. A bad tactic just now. No need to provoke her. She had a sharp sense of the germane, fitting herself into needs of the moment. That was the thing they feared might have its source in a motivation always to choose the path of least resistance. Let it not be that. Complete honesty now. The ultimate tool of Bene Gesserit education, the classical technique that bound acolyte to teacher. I will be at your side throughout your agony, 
If you fail, I will grieve. Duncan? Tears in her eyes. Any help he can give, he will be permitted to give. Mabella looked up the rows of seats, and for a brief moment her gaze locked with Idaho's. He lifted slightly, but Tamerlane's hand on his shoulder restrained him. They may kill my beloved, Idaho thought. Must I sit here and just watch it happen? But Odraid had said he would be permitted to help. There is no stopping this now. I must trust Dar. But gods below, she does not know the depth of my grief. If, if... He closed his eyes. Bell? Odraid's voice carried a sense of casting off, a knife edge in its brittleness. Belonda took Mabella's arm and helped her onto the table. It bounced slightly, adjusting to the weight. This is the real shoot, Mabella thought. She had only the remotest sense of straps being fastened around her, of purposeful movement beside her. This is the usual routine, Odraid said. Routine? Mabella had hated the routines of becoming Bene Gesserit, all of that study, listening, and reacting to proctors. She had particularly loathed the necessity to refine reactions she had believed adequate, but there could be no sloughing off under those watchful eyes. Adequate. What a dangerous word. This recognition had been precisely what they sought, precisely the leverage their acolyte required. If you loathe it, do it better. Use your loathing as guidance. Home in on exactly what you need. The fact that her teachers saw so directly into her behavior. What a marvelous thing. She wanted that ability. Oh, how she wanted it. I must excel in this. It was a thing any honored matre might envy. She saw herself abruptly with a form of doubled vision, both Bene Gesserit and honored matre. A daunting perception. A hand touched her cheek, moved her head, and went away. Responsibility. I am about to learn what they mean by a new sense of history. The Bene Gesserit view of history fascinated her. How did they look at multiple pasts? Was it something immersed in a grander scheme? The temptation to become one of them had been overwhelming. This is the moment when I learn. She saw an oral syringe swing into position above her mouth. Belonda's hand moved it. We carry our grail in our heads, Odraid had said. Carry this grail gently if it comes into your possession. The syringe touched her lips. Mabella closed her eyes but felt fingers open her mouth. Cold metal touched her teeth. Odraid's remembered voice was with her. Avoid excesses. Overcorrect, and you always have a fine mess on your hands, the necessity to make larger and larger corrections, oscillation. Fanatics are marvelous creators of oscillation. Our grail. It has linearity because each reverend mother carries the same determination. We will perpetuate this together. Bitter liquid gushed into her mouth. Mabella swallowed convulsively. She felt fire flow down her throat into her stomach, no pain except the burning. She wondered if this could be the extent of it. Her stomach felt merely warm now. Slowly, 
So slowly she was several heartbeats, recognizing it, the warmth flowed outward. When it reached the tips of her fingers, she felt her body convulse. Her back arched off the padded table. Something soft but firm replaced the syringe in her mouth. Voices. She heard them and knew people were speaking but could not distinguish words. As she concentrated on the voices, she became aware she had lost touch with her body. Somewhere, flesh writhed and there was pain, but she was removed from it. A hand touched a hand and clasped it firmly. She recognized Duncan's touch, and abruptly there was her body and agony. Her lungs pained when she exhaled, not when she inhaled. Then they felt flat and never full enough. Her sense of presence in living flesh became a thin thread that wound through many presences. She sensed others all around her, far too many people for the tiny amphitheater. Another human being floated into view. Mabella felt herself to be in a factory shuttle, in space. The shuttle was primitive, too many manual controls, too many blinking lights. A woman at the controls, small and untidy with the sweat of her labors. She had long brown hair and it had been bound up in a chignon from which paler strands escaped to hang around her narrow cheeks. She wore a single garment, a short dress of brilliant reds, blues and greens. Machinery. There was awareness of monstrous machinery just beyond this immediate space. The woman's dress contrasted severely with a drab and dragging sense of machinery. She spoke, but her lips did not move. Listen, you. When it comes time for you to take over these controls, don't become a destroyer. I'm here to help you avoid the destroyers. Do you know that? Mabella tried to speak, but had no voice. Don't try so hard, girl, the woman said. I hear you. Mabella tried to shift her attention away from the woman. Where is this place? One operator. A giant warehouse. Factory. Everything automated. Webs of feedback lines centered into this tiny space with its complex controls. Thinking to whisper, Mabella asked, Who are you? And heard her own voice roar, agony in her ears. Not so loud. I'm your guide of the Mohlata, the one who steers you clear of the destroyers. Dur, protect me, Mabella thought. This is no place. It's me. On that thought, the control room vanished. She was a migrant in the void, condemned never to be quiet, never to find a moment of sanctuary. Everything but her own fleeting thoughts became immaterial. She had no substance, only a wispy adherence that she recognized as consciousness. I have constructed myself out of fog. Other memory came. Bits and pieces of experiences she knew were not her own. Faces leered at her and demanded her attention, but the woman at the shuttle controls pulled her away. Mabella recognized necessities but could not put them into coherent form. These are lives in your past. It was the woman at the shuttle controls, but her voice had a disembodied quality and came from no discernible place. We are descendants of people who did nasty things, the woman said. We don't like to admit there were barbarians in our ancestry. A reverend mother must admit it. We have no choice. Mabella had the knack of only thinking her questions now. 
Why must I? The victors bred. We are their descendants. Victory often was gained at great moral price. Barbarism is not even an adequate word for some of the things our ancestors did. Mabella felt a familiar hand on her cheek. Duncan? The touch restored agony. Oh, Duncan, you're hurting me. Through the pain, she sensed gaps in the lives being revealed to her, things withheld. Only what you're capable of accepting now, the disembodied voice said. Others come later when you're stronger, if you survive. Selective filter. Odrade's words. Necessity opens doors. Persistent wailing came from the other presences. Laments. See? See what happens when you ignore common sense? Agony increased. She could not escape it. Every nerve was touched with flame. She wanted to cry, to scream threats, to implore for help. Tumbling emotions accompanied the agony, but she ignored them. Everything happened along a thin thread of existence. The thread could snap. I'm dying. The thread was stretching. It was going to break. Hopeless to resist, muscles would not obey. There probably were no muscles remaining to her. She did not want them anyway. They were pain. It was hell and would never end. Not even if the thread snapped. Flames burned along the thread, licking at her awareness. Hands shook her shoulders. Duncan, don't! Each movement was pain beyond anything she had imagined possible. This deserved to be called the agony. The thread no longer was stretching. It was pulling back, compressing. It became one small thing, a sausage of such exquisite pain that nothing else existed. The sense of being became vague, translucent, transparent. Do you see? The voice of her Mohalata guide came from far away. I see things. Not exactly seeing. A distant awareness of others. Other sausages. Other memory encased in the skins of lost lives. They extended behind her in a train whose length she could not determine. Translucent fog. It ripped apart occasionally and she glimpsed events. No, not events themselves. Memory. Share witness, her guide said. You see what our ancestors have done. They debase the worst curse you can invent. Don't make excuses about the necessities of the times. Just remember, there are no innocents. Ugly, ugly. She could hold on to none of it. Everything became reflections and ripping fog. Somewhere there was a glory that she knew she might attain. Absence of this agony? That was it. How glorious that would be. Where is that glorious condition? Lips touched her forehead, her mouth. Duncan! She reached up. My hands are free. Her fingers slipped into remembered hair. This is real? Agony receded. Only then did she realize that she had come through pain more terrible than words could describe. Agony? It seared the psyche and remolded her. One person entered and another emerged. Duncan! She opened her eyes and there was his face directly above her. Do I still 
love him? He is here. He is an anchor to which I clung in the worst moments. But do I love him? Am I still balanced? No answer. Audrey spoke from somewhere out of view. Strip those clothes off her. Towels. She's drenched. And bring her a proper robe. There were scurrying sounds, then Audrey once more. Mabella, you did that the hard way, I'm glad to say. Such elation in her voice. Why was she glad? Where is the sense of responsibility? Where is the grail I'm supposed to feel in my head? Answer me, someone. But the woman at the shuttle controls was gone. Only I remain. And I remember atrocities that might make an honored matre quail. She glimpsed the grail then, and it was not a thing, but a question. How to set those balances aright? Our household god is this thing we carry forward generation after generation, our message for humankind if it matures. The closest thing we have to a household goddess is a failed reverend mother, Chenoa, there in her niche. Darwi O'Dreid Idaho thought of his mentat abilities as a retreat now. Mabella stayed with him as frequently as their duties allowed, he with his weapons development and she recovering strength while she adjusted to her new status. She did not lie to him. She did not try to tell him she felt no difference between them. But he sensed the pulling away, elastic being stretched to its limits. My sisters have been taught not to divulge secrets of the heart. There's the danger they perceive in love. Perilous intimacies, the deepest sensitivities blunted. Do not give someone a stick with which to beat you. She thought her words reassuring to him, but he heard the inner argument. Be free, break entangling bonds. He saw her often these days in the throes of other memory. Words escaped her in the night. Dependencies? Group soul? Intersection of living awareness? Fish speakers? She had no hesitation about sharing some of this. The intersection? Anyone can sense nexus points in the natural interruptions of life. Deaths, diversions, incidental pauses between powerful events, births. Birth, an interruption? They were in his bed. Even the chrono darkened. But that did not hide them from commies, of course. Other energies fed the sisterhood's curiosity. You never thought of birth as an interruption? A reverend mother finds that amusing. Amusing. Pulling away. Pulling away. Fish speakers. That was the revelation the Bene Gesserit absorbed with fascination. They had suspected, but Mabella gave them confirmation. Fish-speaker democracy became honored matre autocracy. No more doubts. The tyranny of the minority cloaked in the mask of the majority, O'Drake called it, her voice exultant. Downfall of democracy, either overthrown by its own excesses or eaten away by bureaucracy. Idaho could hear the tyrant in that judgment. If history had any repetitive patterns, here was one. A drumbeat of repetition. First, a civil service law masked in the lie that it was the only way to correct demagogic excesses and spoils systems. 
then the accumulation of power in places voters could not touch, and finally aristocracy. The Bene Gesserit may be the only ones ever to create the all-powerful jury, Mabella said. Juries are not popular with legalists. Juries oppose the law. They can ignore judges. She laughed in the darkness. Evidence? What is evidence except those things you are allowed to perceive? That's what law tries to control. Carefully managed reality. Words to divert him. Words to demonstrate her new Bene Gesserit powers. Her words of love fell flat. She speaks them out of memory. He saw this bothered O'Dreid almost as much as it dismayed him. Mabella did not notice either reaction. O'Dreid had tried to reassure him. Every new Reverend Mother goes through an adjustment period. Manic at times. Think of the new ground under her, Duncan. How can I not think of it? First law of bureaucracy, Mabella told the darkness. You do not divert me, love. Grow to the limits of available energy. Her voice was indeed manic. Use the lie that taxes solve all problems. She turned toward him in the bed, but not for love. Honored matres played the whole routine, even a social security system to quiet the masses, but everything went into their own energy bank. Mabella. What? Surprised at the sharpness of his tone. Didn't he know he was talking to a reverend mother? I know all of this, Mabella. Any mentat does. Are you trying to shut me up? Angry. Our job is to think like our enemy, he said. We do have a common enemy. You're sneering at me, Duncan. Are your eyes orange? Melange doesn't allow that, and you know. Oh. The Bene Gesserit need your knowledge, but you must cultivate it. He turned on a glow globe and found her flaring at him. Not unexpected, and not really Bene Gesserit. Hybrid. A word leaped into his mind. Was it hybrid vigor? Did the sisterhood expect this of Mabella? The Bene Gesserit surprised you sometimes. You found them facing you in odd corridors, eyes unwavering, faces masked in that way of theirs, and behind the masks, unusual responses brewing. That was where Teg learned to do the unexpected. But this? Idaho thought he could grow to dislike this new Mabella. She saw this in him, naturally. He remained open to her as to no other person. Don't hate me, Duncan. No pleading, but something deeply hurt behind the words. I'll never hate you. But he turned off the light. She nestled against him almost the way she had before the agony. Almost. The difference tore at him. Honored matres see the Bene Gesserit as competitors for power, Mabella said. It's not so much that men who follow my former sisters are fanatics, but they're made incapable of self-determination by their addiction. Is that the way we are? Now, Duncan, you mean I could get this commodity at another store? She chose to assume he was talking about honored matre fears. Many would abandon them if they could. Turning toward him fiercely, she demanded a sexual response. Her abandon shocked him, as though this might be the last time she could experience such ecstasy. Afterward, he lay exhausted. I hope I'm pregnant again, she whispered. We still need our babies. We need. The Bene Gesserit need. No longer 
they need. He fell asleep to dream he was in the ship's armory. It was a dream touched by realities. The ship remained a weapons factory, as it actually had become. Odraid was talking to him in the dream armory. I made decisions of necessity, Duncan. Little likelihood you'll break out and run amok. I'm too much a mentor for that. How self-important his dream voice. I'm dreaming and I know I dream. Why am I in the armory with Odraid? A list of weapons scrolled before his eyes. Atomics. He saw big blasters and deadly dusts. Laser guns. No counting the various models. Bacteriologicals. The scroll was interrupted by Odraid's voice. We can assume smugglers concentrate as usual on small things that bring a big price. Sue Stones, of course. Still self-important. I'm not that way. Assassination weapons, she said. Plans and specifications for new devices. Theft of trade secrets is a big item with smugglers. I'm insufferable. There are always medicines and the diseases that require them, she said. Where is she? I can hear her, but I can't see her. Do honoured Martres know our universe harbours blackguards not above sowing the problem before providing the solution? Blackguards? I never use that word. All things relative, Duncan. They burned Lampadus and butchered four million of our finest. He awoke and sat upright. Specifications for new devices. There it was in delicate detail, a way to miniaturize Holtzman generators. Two centimeters, no more. And much cheaper. How was that smuggled into my mind? He slipped out of bed, not awakening Mabella, and groped his way to a robe. He heard her snuffle as he let himself out into the workroom. Seating himself at his console, he copied the design from his mind and studied it. Perfect. Endlobement, for sure. He transmitted to archives with a flag for Odraid and Bolonda. With a sigh, he sat back and examined his design once more. It vanished in a return to his dream scroll. Am I still dreaming? No. He could feel the chair, touch the console, hear the field buzzing. Dreams do that? The scroll produced cutting and stabbing weapons, including some designed to introduce poisons or bacteria into enemy flesh. Projectiles. He wondered how to stop the scroll and study details. It's all in your head. Humans and other animals bred for attack scrolled past his eyes, hiding the console and its projection. Futars? How did futars get in there? What do I know about futars? Disruptors replaced the animals, weapons to cloud mental activity or interfere with life itself. Disruptors? I've never heard that name before. Disruptors were succeeded by Nalgi seekers, designed to hunt specific targets. Those I know. Explosives next, including ones to spread poisons and bacteriologicals. Deceptives, to project false targets. Teg had used those. Energizers appeared next. He had a private arsenal of those, ways of increasing capacities of your troops. Abruptly, the shimmering net from his vision replaced scrolling weapons, and he saw the elderly couple in their garden. They glared at him. The man's voice became audible. Stop spying on us! Idaho gripped the arms of his chair and jerked himself forward, but the vision disappeared before he could study details. Spying? He sensed the residue of the scroll in his mind. 
no longer visible, but a musing voice, masculine. Defences often must take on characteristics of the attack weapons. Sometimes, however, simple systems can divert the most devastating weapons. Simple systems, he laughed aloud. Miles, where the hell are you, Teg? I have your disguised attack vessels, inflated decoys, empty except for a miniature Holtzman generator and laser gun. He added this to his archive's transmissions. When he was finished, he asked himself once more about the visions. Influencing my dreams? What have I tapped? In every spare minute since becoming Teg's weapons master, he had been calling up archival records. There had to be some clue in all of that massive accumulation. Resonances and tachyon theory held his attention for a time. Tachyon theory figured in Holtzman's original design. Techies, Holtzman had called his energy source. A wave system that ignored light speed's limits. Light speed obviously did not limit foldspace ships. Techies? It works because it works, Idaho muttered. Mentats squirreled away much seemingly inconsequential data. He had a storehouse marked Techies and proceeded to go through it without satisfaction. Not even guild navigators professed knowledge of how they guided fold space ships. Ixian scientists made machines to duplicate navigator abilities but still could not define what they did. Holtzman's formulae can be trusted. No one claimed to understand Holtzman. They merely used his formulae because they worked. It was the ether of space travel. You folded space. One instant you were here, and the next instant you were countless parsecs distant. Someone out there has found another way to use Holtzman's theories. It was a full Mentat projection. He knew its accuracy from the new questions it produced. Mabella's other memory ramblings haunted him now, even though he recognized basic Bene Gesserit teachings in them. Power attracts the corruptible. Absolute power attracts the absolutely corruptible. This is the danger of entrenched bureaucracy to its subject population. Even spoils systems are preferable, because levels of tolerance are lower and the corrupt can be thrown out periodically. Entrenched bureaucracy seldom can be touched short of violence. Beware when civil service and military join hands. The Honoured Matre Achievement Power for the sake of power. An aristocracy bred from unbalanced stock. Who were these people he saw? Strong enough to drive out honoured matres. He knew it for a projection datum. Idaho found this realisation profoundly dislocating. Honoured matres fugitives. Barbaric but ignorant in the way of all such raiders, even from before the vandals. Moved by impulsive greed as much as by any other force. Take Roman gold. They filtered all distractions out of awareness. It was a stupefying ignorance that faltered only when the more sophisticated culture insinuated itself into the... Abruptly, he saw what Odraid was doing. Gods below! What a fragile plan! He pressed his palms against his eyes and forced himself not to cry out in anguish. Let them think I'm tired. But seeing Odraid's plan told him also he would lose Marbella, one way or another. When are the witches to be trusted? Never. 
The dark side of the magic universe belongs to the Bene Gesserit, and we must reject them. Tilwith Woff, Master of Masters. The great common room in the no-ship, with its tiered seating and raised platform at one end, was packed with Bene Gesserit sisters, more than had ever before been assembled. Chapter House was almost at a standstill this afternoon because few wanted to send proxies and important decisions could not be delegated to service cadre. Black-robed reverend mothers dominated the assemblage in their aloof clusterings close to the stage, but the room swirled with acolytes in white-trimmed robes, and there were even the newly enrolled. Groups of white robes marking the youngest acolytes were sprinkled around in tight little groups, flocking for mutual support. Or others had been excluded by convocation proctors. The air was heavy with melange-perfumed breaths, and it had that dank, overused quality it got when conditioning machinery was overloaded. Odours of the recent lunch, strong with garlic, rode on this atmosphere like an uninvited intruder. This, and stories being spread throughout the room, heightened tensions. Most kept their attention on the raised platform and the side door where Mother Superior must enter. Even while talking to companions or moving about, they focused on that place where they knew someone soon would enter and create profound changes in their lives. Mother Superior did not herd them all into a great common room with a promise of important announcements unless something to shake the Bene Gesserit foundations was at hand. Belonda preceded Audrade into the room, mounting to the platform with that belligerent waddle which made her easily recognizable even at a distance. Audrade followed Belonda at five paces. Then came senior counsellors and aides, black-robed Marbella, still looking somewhat dazed from her agony only two weeks past, among them. Dortujla limped close behind Mabella, with Tam and Shiana at her side. At the end of this procession came Stregi, carrying Teg on her shoulders. There were excited murmurs when he appeared. Males seldom shared assemblies, but everyone on Chapter House knew this was the gola of their Mentat Basha, living now at the cantonment with all that remained of a Bene Gesserit military. Seeing the massed ranks of the sisterhood this way, Odrade experienced an empty feeling. Some ancient had said it all, she thought. Any damned fool knows one horse can run faster than another. Often at the minor assemblages, here in this copy of a sports stadium, she had been tempted to quote that bit of advice, but she knew the ritual had its better purposes as well. Assembly showed you to one another. Here we are together, our kind. Mother Superior and attendants moved like a peculiar bundle of energy through the throng to the platform, her position of eminence at the edge of the arena. Mother Superior was never subjected to the mass scrimmage of assemblies. She never had elbows jammed into her ribs or felt the trodding of a neighbor's foot. She was never forced to move as others moved in a kind of inchworm flow composed of bodies pressed together in unwanted proximity. Thus did Caesar arrive. Thumbs down on the whole damned thing. To Belonda, she said, let it begin. Afterward, she knew she would wonder why she had not delegated someone to make this ritual appearance and utter portentous words. Belonda would love the preeminent position and for that reason must never have it. But perhaps there was some lower echelon sister who would be embarrassed by elevation and would obey only out of loyalty, out of that underlying need to do what Mother Superior commanded. Gods, if there are any of you around, why do you permit us to be such sheep? 
There they were, Belonda preparing them for her. The battalions of the Bene Gesserit. They were not really battalions, but Odraid often imagined ranked sisters, cataloguing them by function. That one is a squad leader, that one is a captain general, this one is a lowly sergeant, and here is a messenger. The sisters would be outraged if they knew this quirk in her. She kept it well concealed behind an ordinary assignment attitude. You could assign lieutenants without calling them lieutenants. Teraza had done the same thing. Bell was telling them now that the sisterhood might have to make a new accommodation with their captive Tleilaxu. Bitter words for Bell. We have gone through the crucible, Tleilaxu and Bene Gesserit alike, and we have come out changed. In a way, we have changed each other. Yes, we are like rocks rubbed against each other for so long that each takes on some of the conforming shape required by the other. But the original rock is still there at the core. The audience was becoming restive. They knew this was preliminary, no matter the hidden message within these hints about Tleilaxu. Preliminary and relative in importance. Odraid stepped to Belonda's side, signalling her to cut it short. Here is Mother Superior. How hard the old patterns die. Does Bell think they don't recognise me? Odraid spoke in compelling tones, just short of voice. Actions have been taken that require me to meet on junction with Honoured Matre leadership, a meeting from which I may not emerge alive. I probably will not survive. That meeting will be partly a distraction. We are about to punish them. Odraid waited for murmurs to subside, hearing both agreement and disagreement in the sounds. Interesting. The ones who agreed were closer to the stage and farther back among new acolytes, Disagreement from advanced acolytes? Yes, they knew the warning. We dare not feed that fire. She pitched her voice lower, letting remotes carry it to those in the high tiers. Before leaving, I will share with more than one sister. These times require such caution. Your plan? What will you do? Questions were shouted at her from many places. We will faint at Gamu. That should drive on Admatre allies to Junction. We will then take Junction and, I hope, capture the Spider Queen. The attack will occur while you are on Junction? This question came from Garimi, a sober-faced proctor directly below Odraid. That is the plan. I will be transmitting my observations to the attackers. Odraid gestured to Teg, seated on Stregge's shoulders. The Bashar will lead the attack in person. Who goes with you? Yes, who are you taking? No mistaking the worry in those cries. So the word has not yet spread through Chapter House. Tam and Dortujla, Odraid said. Who will share with you? Garimi again. Indeed, that is the political question of most interest. Who may succeed Mother Superior? Odraid heard nervous stirring behind her. Belonda excited? Not you, Bell. You already know that. Merbella and Shiana, Odraid said. And one other if proctors care to name a candidate. Proctors formed little consulting groups, shouting suggestions from group to group, but no names were submitted. Someone had a question, though. Why Merbella? Who knows honoured matres better? Odraid asked. That silenced them. 
Garimi moved closer to the stage and looked up at Odrade with a penetrating stare. Don't try to mislead a reverend mother, Darwi Odrade. After our faint at Gamu, they will be even more alert and reinforced on junction. What makes you think we can take them? Odrade stepped aside and motioned Stregi forward with Teg. Teg had been watching Odrade's performance with fascination. He looked down now at Garimi. She was currently chief assignment proctor and no doubt had been chosen to speak for a block of sisters. It occurred to Teg then that this ludicrous position on the shoulders of an acolyte had been planned by Odrade for reasons other than those she voiced. To put my eyes closer to a level with adults around me, but also to remind them of my lesser stature, to reassure them that a Bene Gesserit, if only an acolyte, still controls my movements. I will not go into all of the weaponry details at the moment, he said. Damn this piping voice. He had their attention, though. But we are going for mobility, for decoys that will destroy a great deal of the area around them if a laser gun beam hits them, and we are going to englobe Junction with devices to reveal the movements of their no-ships. When they continued to stare at him, he said, If Mother Superior confirms my previous knowledge of Junction, we will know our enemies' positions intimately. There should not be significant changes. Not enough time has passed. Surprise and the unexpected. What else did they expect from their mentat basha? He stared back at Garimi, daring her to voice more doubts of his military ability. She had another question. Are we to presume that Duncan Idaho advises you on weapons? When you have the best, you would be a fool not to use it, he said. But will he accompany you as weapons master? He chooses not to leave the ship and you all know why. What is the meaning of that question? He had deflected her and silenced her, and she did not like it. A man should not be able to maneuver a reverend mother that way. Odrade stepped forward and put a hand on Teg's arm. Have you all forgotten that this gola is our loyal friend, Miles Teg? She stared at particular faces in the throng, choosing ones she was certain watchdogged the com eyes and knew Teg was her father, moving her gaze from face to face with a deliberate slowness that could not be misinterpreted. Is there one among you who dares cry nepotism? Then look once more at his record in our service. Sounds of the convocation became once more those in keeping with other graces they expected in assemblies. No more vulgar clash of demanding voices vying for attention. Now they fitted their speech into a pattern much like plain song, and yet not quite a chant. The voices moved and flowed together. Odrade always found this remarkable. No one directed the harmony. It happened because they were Bene Gesserit. Naturally. This was the only explanation they needed. It happened because they were practiced in adjusting to each other. The dance of their everyday movements continued in their voices. Partners, no matter transitory disagreements. I will miss this. It is never enough to make accurate predictions of distressful events, she said. Who knows this better than we? Is there one among us who has not learned the lesson of the Kwisatz Haderach? No need to elaborate. Evil predictions should not alter their course. That kept Belonda silent. The Bene Gesserit were enlightened, not dullards who attacked the bearer of bad tidings. Discount the messenger? Who could expect anything useful from the likes of that one? That was a pattern to be avoided at all costs. 
Will we silence disagreeable messengers, thinking the deep silence of death obliterates the message? The Bene Gesserit knew better than that. Death makes a prophet's voice louder. Martyrs are truly dangerous. Odraid watched reflexive awareness spread through the room, even up to the highest tiers. We are entering hard times, sisters, and must accept that. Even Mabella knows it, and she knows now why I was so anxious to make a sister of her. We all know it, one way or another. Odraid turned and glanced at Belonda. No disappointment there. Bell knew why she was not among the chosen. It's our best course, Bell. Infiltrate. Take them before they even suspect what we're doing. Shifting her gaze to Mabella, Odraid saw respectful awareness. Mabella was beginning to get her first batches of good advice from other memory. The manic stage had passed and she was even regaining a fondness for Duncan. End time, perhaps. Bene Gesserit training assured that she would judge other memory on her own. Nothing in Mabella's stance said, keep your lousy advice to yourself. She had historical comparisons and could not evade their obvious message. Don't march in the streets with others who share your prejudices. Loud shouts are often the easiest to ignore. I mean, look at them out there shouting their fool heads off. You want to make common cause with them. I told you, Mabella. Now judge for yourself. To create change, you find leverage points and move them. Beware blind alleys. Offers of high positions are a common distraction paraded before marches. Leverage points are not all in high office. They are often at economic or communications centers, and unless you know this, high office is useless. Even lieutenants can alter our course. Not by changing reports, but by burying unwanted orders. Bell sits on orders until she believes them ineffective. I give her orders sometimes for this purpose, so she can play her delaying game. She knows it, and yet she plays her game anyway. Know this, Mabella, and after we share, study my performance with great care. Harmony had been achieved, but at a cost. Audrey signaled that convocation was ended, knowing well that all questions had not been answered nor even asked but the unasked questions would come filtering through Bell where they would get the most appropriate treatment. Alert ones among the sisters would not ask. They already saw her plan. As she left the great common room, Odraid felt herself accept full commitment for choices she had made, recognizing previous hesitancy for the first time. There were regrets, but only Mobella and Shiana might know them. Walking behind Balonda, Odraid thought about the places I will never go the things I will never see except as a reflection in the life of another. It was a form of nostalgia that centered on the scatterings, and this eased her pain. There was just too much for one person to see out there. Even the Bene Gesserit, with its accumulated memories, could never hope to catch up with all of it, not with every last interesting detail. It was back to grand designs, the big picture, the mainstream, the specialties of my sisterhood. Here were essentials mentats employed, patterns, movements of currents and what those currents carried, where they were going, consequences, not maps, but the flowings. At least I have preserved key elements of our jury-monitored democracy in original form. They may thank me for that one day. 
Seek freedom and become captive of your desires. Seek discipline and find your liberty. The Coda Who expected the air machinery to break down? The rabbi asked his question of no one in particular. He sat on a low bench, a scroll clutched to his breast. The scroll had been reinforced by modern artifice, but it still was old and fragile. He was not sure of the time. Mid-morning, probably. They had eaten not long ago food that could be described as breakfast. I expected it. He appeared to be addressing the scroll. Passover has come and gone and our door was locked. Rebecca came to stand over him. Please, Rabbi, how does this help Joshua at his labors? We have not been abandoned, the rabbi told his scroll. It is we who have hidden ourselves away. When we cannot be found by strangers, where would anyone look who might help us? He peered up abruptly at Rebecca, owlish behind his glasses. Have you brought evil to us, Rebecca? She knew his meaning. Outsiders always think there's something nefarious about the Bene Gesserit, she said. So now I, your rabbi, am outsider. You estrange yourself, rabbi. I speak from the viewpoint of the sisterhood you made me help. What they do is often boring, repetitious but not evil. I made you help? Yes, I did that. Forgive me, Rebecca. If evil joins us, I have done it. Rabbi, stop this. They are an extended clan, and still they keep a touchy individualism. Does an extended clan mean nothing to you? Does my dignity offend you? I tell you, Rebecca, what offends me. By my hand, you have learned to follow different books than... He raised the scroll as though it were a bludgeon. No books at all, Rabbi. Oh, they have a coda, but it's just a collection of reminders, sometimes useful, sometimes to be discarded. They always adjust their coda to current requirements. There are books that cannot be adjusted, Rebecca. She stared down at him with ill-concealed dismay. Was this how he saw the sisterhood? Or was it fear talking? Joshua came to stand beside her, hands greasy, black smears on forehead and cheeks. Your suggestion was the right one. It's working again. How long, I don't know. The problem is... You do not know the problem, the rabbi interrupted. The mechanical problem, rabbi, Rebecca said. This no-chambers field distorts machinery. We could not bring in frictionless machinery, Joshua said. Too revealing, not to mention the cost. Your machinery is not all that has been distorted. Joshua looked at Rebecca with raised eyebrows. What's wrong with him? So Joshua trusted Bene Gesserit insights too. That offended the rabbi. His flock sought guidance elsewhere. The rabbi surprised her then. You think I'm jealous, Rebecca? She shook her head from side to side. You display talents, the rabbi said, that others are quick to use. Your suggestion fixed the machinery? These, these others told you how? Rebecca shrugged. This was the rabbi of old, not to be challenged in his own house. I should praise you, the rabbi asked. You have power? Now you will govern us? No one, least of all I, ever suggested that, rabbi. She was offended and did not mind showing it. Forgive me, daughter. That is what you call flip. I don't need your praise, rabbi. And of course I forgive. 
Your others have something to say about this? The Bene Gesserit say fear of praise goes back to an ancient prohibition against praising your child because that brings down the wrath of the gods. He bowed his head. Sometimes a bit of wisdom. Joshua appeared embarrassed. I'm going to try sleeping. I should be rested. He aimed a meaningful glance at the machinery area where a labored rasping could be heard. He left them for the darkened end of the chamber, stumbling on a child's toy as he went. The rabbi patted the bench beside him. Sit, Rebecca, she sat. I am fearful for you, for us, for all of the things we represent. He caressed the scroll. We have been true for so many generations. His gaze swept the room. And we don't even have a minion here. Rebecca wiped tears from her eyes. Rabbi, you misjudge the sisterhood. They wish only to perfect humans and their governments. So they say. So I say. Government to them is an art form. You find that amusing? You arouse my curiosity. Are these women self-deluded by dreams of their own importance? They think of themselves as watchdogs. Dogs? Watch dogs. Alert to when a lesson may be taught. That is what they seek. Never try to teach someone a lesson he cannot absorb. Always these bits of wisdom, he sounded sad. And they govern themselves artistically? They think of themselves as a jury with absolute powers that no law can veto. He waved the scroll in front of her nose. I thought so. No human law, Rabbi. You tell me these women who make religions to suit themselves believe in a, in a power greater than themselves. Their belief would not accord with ours, Rabbi, but I do not think it evil. What is this, this belief? They call it the leveling drift. They see it genetically and as instinct. Brilliant parents are likely to have children closer to the average, for example. A drift. This is a belief? That is why they avoid prominence. They are advisers, even kingmakers on occasion, but they do not want to be in the target foreground. This drift. Do they believe there is a drift maker? They don't assume there is, only that there is this observable movement. So what do they do in this drift? They take precautions. In the presence of Satan, I should think so. They don't oppose the current, but seem only to move across it, making it work for them, using the back eddies. Oi! Ancient sailing masters understood this quite well, Rabbi. The sisterhood has what amounts to current charts, telling them places to avoid and where to make their greatest efforts. Again. He waved the scroll. This is no current chart. You misinterpret, Rabbi. They know the fallacies about overwhelming machines. She glanced at the laboring machinery. They see us in currents machinery cannot breast. These little wisdoms. I do not know, daughter. Meddling in politics I accept, but in holy matters. A leveling drift, Rabbi. Mass influence on brilliant innovators who move out of the pack and produce new things. Even when the new helps us, the drift catches the innovator. 
Who is to say what helps, Rebecca? I merely tell what they believe. They see taxation as evidence of the drift, taking away free energy that might create more new things. A sensitized person detects it, they say. And these... these honored matres? They fit the pattern. Power closed government intent on making all potential challenges ineffectual. Screen out the bright ones, blunt intelligence. A tiny beeping sound came from the machinery area. Joshua was past them before they could stand. He bent over the screen that revealed events on the surface. They are back, he said. See, they dig in the ashes directly above us. Have they found us? The rabbi sounded almost relieved. Joshua watched the screen. Rebecca placed her head beside his, studying the diggers. Ten men with that dreaming look in their eyes of those who had been bonded to honored matres. They only dig at random, Rebecca said, straightening. You're sure? Joshua stood and looked into her face, seeking secret confirmation. Any Bene Gesserit could see it. Look for yourself, she gestured at the screen. They are leaving. They go to the Sleeksty now. Where they belong, the rabbi muttered. Making workable choices occurs in a crucible of informative mistakes. Thus, intelligence accepts fallibility. And when absolute, infallible choices are not known, intelligence takes chances with limited data in an arena where mistakes are not only possible, but also necessary. Dawi Odrade Mother Superior did not just board an outgoing lighter and transfer to any convenient no-ship. There were plans, arrangements, strategies, contingencies on contingencies. It took eight hectic days. Timing with Teg had to be precise. Consultations with Mabella ate up hours. Mabella had to know what she faced. Discover their Achilles' heel, Mabella, and you have it all. Stay on the observation ship when Teg attacks, but watch carefully. Odraid took detailed advice from all who could help. Then came the vital signs implant with encrypting to transmit her secret observations. A no-ship and long-range lighter had to be refitted, crew chosen by Teg. Belonda muttered and growled until Odraid intervened. You are distracting me. Is that your intent? Weaken me? It was late morning four days before departure, and they were temporarily alone in the workroom. Weather clear but unseasonably cold, and air an ochre tinge from a dust storm that had blown across central in the night. Convocation was a mistake. Belonda needed her parting shot. Odraid found herself snapping back at Belonda, who had become a bit too caustic. Necessary. To you, maybe. Saying goodbye to your family. Now you leave us here taking in each other's laundry. Did you just come up here to complain about the convocation? I don't like your latest comments on honored matres. You should have consulted us before spreading their parasite spell. It's time we made that clear. A known weakness. And what does a body do when afflicted by parasites? Odraid delivered this with a broad grin. Dah! When you assume this... This pseudo-humorous pose, I would like to throttle you. Would you like to smile as you did it, Belle? Damn you, da! one of these days. We don't have many more days together, Belle, and that's what's eating you. 
Answer my question. Answer it yourself. The body welcomes periodic de-lousing. Even addicts dream of freedom. Ah, a mentat peered from Belonda's eyes. You think addiction to honoured matres could be made painful? In spite of your dreadful inability at humour, you still can function. A cruel smile flexed Belonda's mouth. I've managed to amuse you, Odraid said. Let me discuss this with Tam. She has a better head for strategy, although sharing softened her. When Belonda had gone, Odraid leaned back and laughed quietly. Softened. Don't go soft tomorrow, Da, when you share. The Mentat stumbles on logic and misses the heart. She sees the process and worries about failure. What do we do if... We open windows, Bell, and let in common sense. Even hilarity puts more serious matters in perspective. Poor Bell, my flawed sister. Always something to occupy your nervousness. Odraid left Central on departure, morning much entangled in her thinking. An introspective mood worried by what she had learned sharing with Mabella and Shiana. I'm being self-indulgent. That offered no relief. Her thoughts were framed by other memory and almost cynical fatalism. Queen bees swarming? That had been suggested of honoured matres. But Shiana? And Tam approves? This carried more in it than a scattering. I cannot follow into your wild place, Shiana. My task is to produce order. I cannot risk what you have dared. There are different kinds of artistry. Yours repels me. Absorbing lifetimes of Mabella's other memory helped. Mabella's knowledge was a powerful leverage on honoured matres, but full of disturbing nuances. Not hypnotrance. They use cellular induction, a byproduct of their damned tea probes, unconscious compulsion. How tempting to use it for ourselves. But this is where honoured matres are most vulnerable. Enormous unconsciousness content locked in by their own decisions. Mabella's key only emphasises its danger to us. They arrived at the landing flat in the midst of a windstorm that buffeted them when they emerged from their car. Odraid had vetoed a walk through what remained of orchards and vineyards. Leaving for the last time? The question in Belonda's eyes as she said goodbye, in Shiana's worried frown. Does Mother Superior accept my decision? Provisionally, Shiana, provisionally. But I have not warned Mabella, so perhaps I do share Tam's judgment. Lord Hoosier, in the van of Odraid's party, was withdrawn. Understandable. She has been there and watched sisters eaten. Courage, sister. We are not yet defeated. Only Mabella had appeared to take this in stride, but she was thinking ahead to Adraid's encounter with the Spider Queen. Have I armed Mother Superior sufficiently? Does she know in her guts how very dangerous this will be? Odraid pushed such thoughts aside. There were things to do on the crossing, none of them more important than gathering her energies. Honoured matres could be analysed almost out of reality, but the actual confrontation would be played as it came. A jazz performance. She liked the idea of jazz, although the music distracted her with its antique flavours and the dips into wildness. Jazz spoke about life, though. 
No two performances ever identical. Players reacted to what was received from the others. Jazz. Feed us with jazz. Air and space travel did not often concern itself with weather. Bludgeon your way through transitory interferences. Depend on weather control to provide launch windows through storms and cloud cover. Desert planets were an exception, and that would have to be entered into chapter house equations before long. Many changes, including return to Fremen mortuary practices, bodies rendered for water and potash. Odrade spoke of this as they waited for transport up to the ship. That wide cummerbund of hot, dry land, expanding around the planet's equator, would begin generating dangerous winds before long. One day, there would be Coriolis storms, a blast furnace from the desert interior with speeds in hundreds of kilometers an hour. Dune had seen winds of more than 700 kmh. Even space lighters took notice of such force. Air travel would be subject to the constant whims of surface conditions, and frail human flesh must find whatever shelter it could. As we always have. The lounge at the flat was old. Stone inside and out, their first major building material here. Spartan sling chairs and low tables of moulded plaz were more recent. Economy could not be ignored even for Mother Superior. The lighter arrived in a dusty maelstrom. No nonsense about suspenser cushioning. This would be a quick lift with uncomfortable G's but not high enough to damage flesh. Odrade felt almost disembodied as she said her final farewells and turned Chapter House over to a triumvirate of Shiana, Mabella, and Belonda. One last word. Don't interfere with Teg, and I don't want anything nasty happening to Duncan. Hear me, Belle? All of the wonderful technological things they could accomplish, and they still could not keep a thick sandstorm from almost blinding them as they lifted. Odrade closed her eyes and accepted the fact that she was not to get a last, low-level overview of her beloved planet. She awoke to the thump of docking, Buzzcar waiting in a corridor just beyond the lock. A humming traverse to their quarters, Tamerlane, Dortuzla, and the acolyte servant maintained silence, respecting Mother Superior's desire to be with her own thoughts. The quarters, at least, were familiar, standard on Bene Gesserit ships, a small sitting-dining room in elemental plaz of uniform light green, smaller sleeping chamber with walls in the same colour and a single hard cot. They knew Mother Superior's preferences. Odrade glanced into a uniform bath and toilet, standard facilities. Adjoining quarters for Tam and Dortuzla were similar. Time later to look at the ship's refittings. All essentials had been provided, including unobtrusive elements of psychological support, subdued colours, familiar furnishings, a setting to disturb none of her mental processes. She gave orders for departure before returning to her sitting dining room. Food was waiting on a low table, blue fruit, sweet and plummy, a savoury yellow spread on bread tailored to her energy needs. Very good. She watched the assigned acolyte at her self-effacing work arranging Mother Superior's effects. The name evaded Odrade for a moment, then Sweepal, a dark little thing with a round, calm face and manners to match. Not one of our brightest, but guaranteed efficient. It struck Odrade suddenly that these assignments had an element of callousness in them. A small entourage not to offend honoured matres, and keep our losses to a minimum. Have you unpacked all of my things, Sweepal? Yes, Mother Superior.
very proud of having been chosen for this important assignment. It showed in her walk as she left. There are some things you cannot unpack for me, Sweepal. I carry those in my head. No Bene Gesserit from Chapter House ever left the planet without taking along a certain amount of chauvinism. Other places were never quite as beautiful, never quite as serene, never as pleasant a habitat. But this is the Chapter House that was. It was an aspect of the desert transformation she had never before viewed in quite that way. Chapter House was removing itself, going away, never to return, at least not in the lifetimes of those who knew it now. It was like being abandoned by a beloved parent, disdainfully and with malice. You are no longer important to me, child. On the way to becoming a reverend mother, they were taught early that travel could provide a peaceful byway for rest. Audrey fully intended to take advantage of this and told her companions immediately after eating, Spare me details. Sweepal was sent to summon Tamerlane. Audrey spoke in Tam's own terse meter. Inspect the refitting and tell me what I should see. Take Dortujla. Good head, that one. High praise from Tam. When we're through, isolate me as much as possible. During part of the crossing, Audrey strapped herself into the webbing of her cot and occupied herself composing what she thought of as a last will and testament. Who would be executor? Mabella was her personal choice, especially after the sharing with Shiana. Still, the Dune Waif remained a potent candidate if this venture to junction failed. Some assumed any reverend mother could serve if responsibility fell on her, but not in these times. Not with this trap set. Honored matres were unlikely to avoid the pitfall. If we've judged them correctly, and Mabella's data says we've done our best, the opening is there for honored matres to enter, and, oh, how inviting it will appear. They won't see the dead end until they're well into it. Too late. But what if we fail? Survivors, if any, would hold Odrade in contempt. I have often felt diminished, but never an object of contempt. Yet the decisions I made may never be accepted by my sisters. At least, I make no excuses, not even to the ones with whom I shared. They know my response comes from the darkness before a human dawn. Any of us may do a futile thing, even a stupid thing, but my plan can give us victory. We will not just survive. Our grail requires us to persist together. Humans need us. Sometimes they need religions. Sometimes they need merely know their beliefs are as empty as their hopes for nobility. We are their source. After the masks are removed, that remains our niche. She felt then that this ship was taking her into the pit, closer and closer to awful threat. I go to the axe. It does not come to me. No thoughts of exterminating this foe. Not since the scattering magnified human population had that been possible. A flaw in honored Matre schemes. The high-pitched beep and flashing orange light that signaled arrival brought her out of repose. She struggled from her sling straps and, with Tam, Dortujla, and Sweepol close behind, followed a guide to the transport lock where a long-range lighter clung to its ship tit. Audrey looked at the lighter visible in bulkhead scanners. Incredibly small. It'll only be nineteen hours, Duncan had said, but that's as close as we dare bring the no-ship. 
They're sure to have fold space sensors close around junction. Bell, for once, had agreed. Don't risk the ship. It's there to plot out a defences and receive your transmissions, not just to deliver Mother Superior. The lighter was the no-ship's forward sensor, signalling what it encountered. And I am the foremost sensor, a fragile body with delicate instruments. There were guide arrows at the lock. Odraid led the way. They went through a small tube in freefall. She found herself in a surprisingly rich cabin. Sweepal, tumbling behind, recognized it and went up a notch in Odraid's estimation. This was a smuggler ship. One person awaited them, male by his smell, but an opaque pilot's hood bristling with connectors concealed his face. Everyone strap in, male voice within that instrumentation. Teg chose him. He'll be the best. Odraid slipped into a seat behind a landing port and found the lumpy protrusions that unreeled into web harness. She heard the others obeying the pilot's command. All secure? Stay strapped in unless I say otherwise? His voice came from a floating speaker behind his seat at the drive console. The umbilicus went bap. Odraid felt gentle motions, but the view in the relay beside her showed the no-ship receding at a remarkable rate. It winked out of existence going about its business before anyone can come out to investigate. The lighter had surprising speed. Scanners reported planetary stations and transition barriers at 18-plus hours, but winking dots identifying them were visible only because they had been enhanced. A window in the scanner said the stations would be naked-eye visible in a little more than twelve of those hours. The sense of motion ceased abruptly, and Odraid no longer felt the acceleration her eyes reported. Suspenser cabin, Ixian technology for a null field this small. Where had Teg acquired it? Not necessary for me to know. Why tell Mother Superior where every oak plantation is located? She watched sensor contacts begin within the hour and gave silent thanks for Idaho's astuteness. We're beginning to know these honored matres. Junction's defensive pattern was apparent even without scanner analysis overlapping planes, just as Teg predicted. With knowledge of how barriers were spaced, Teg's people could weave another globe around the planet. Surely it's not that simple? Were honored matres so confident of overwhelming power that they ignored elementary precautions? Planetary Station 4 began calling when they were just under three hours out. Identify yourself! Odraid heard an or else in that command. The pilot's response obviously surprised the watchers. You come in a little smuggler ship? So they recognize it. Teg is right once more. I'm about to burn the sensor equipment in the drive, the pilot announced. It will add to our thrust. Make sure you're all securely harnessed. Station 4 noticed. Why are you increasing velocity? Odraid leaned forward. Repeat the countersign and say our party is fatigued from too long in cramped quarters and that I have equipped myself with precautionary vital signs transmitter to alert my people should I die. They won't find the encryption. Clever, Duncan. And wasn't Bell surprised to discover what he hid in ship systems? More romantics. The pilot relayed her words. Back came the order. Reduce velocity and lock onto those coordinates for landing. We are taking over your ship control at this point. The pilot touched a yellow field on his board. 
Just the way the Basher said they would. A gloating sound in his voice. He lifted the hood off his head and turned. Odraid was shocked. Cyborg. The face was a metal mask with two glittering silver balls for eyes. We enter dangerous ground. Didn't they tell you? he asked. Waste no pity. I was dead and this gave me life. It's clear be Mother Superior, and when I die this time, that will buy me life as a gola. Damn, we're trading in coin that may be denied us. Too late to change. And that was Teg's plan. But, Claire be. The lighter landed with a smoothness that spoke of superb control by Station 4. Odraid knew the moment because a manicured landscape visible in her scanner no longer moved. The null field was turned off and she felt gravity. The hatch directly in front of her opened. Temperature pleasantly warm. Noise out there. Children playing some competitive game. Luggage floating behind, she stepped onto a short flight of steps and saw that the noise did indeed come from a large group of children in a nearby field, in their high teens and female. They were butting a suspenser float ball back and forth, shouting and screaming as they played. Staged for our benefit? Odraid thought it likely. There probably were two thousand young women on that field. Look how many recruits we have coming along. No one to greet her, but Odraid saw a familiar structure down a paved lane to her left, obvious spacing guild artifact with a recent tower added. She spoke of the tower as she glanced around her, giving the implanted transmitter data on a change from Teg's ground plan. Nobody who had ever seen a guild building could mislabel this place, though. So this was like other junction planets. Somewhere in guild records there doubtless was a serial number and code for it, so long under guild control before honoured matres that, in these first moments of debarking, getting their ground legs, everything around them could be seen to have that special guild flavour. Even the playing field, designed for outdoor meetings of navigators in their giant containers of melange gas. The guild flavour. It was compounded of Ixian technology and navigator design, buildings wrapped around space in the most energy-conserving way, paths direct, few slide walks. They were wasteful and only the gravity bound needed them. No flowery plantings near the landing flat. They were susceptible to accidental destruction, and that permanent greyness to all construction, not silver but as dull as Tleilaxu's skin. The structure on her left was a great bulging shape with extrusions, some rounded and some angular. This had been no lavish hostelry. Opulent little nooks, of course, but those were rare, built for VVIPs, mostly inspectors from the guild. Once more, Teg is right. Honored Matres kept existing structures, remodeling minimally. A tower. Odraid reminded herself then, this is not only another world, but also another society, with its own social glue. She had a handle on that from sharing with Mobella, but did not think she had plumbed what held honoured matres together. Surely not just a lusting after power. We'll walk, she said, and led the way down the paved lane toward the giant structure. Goodbye, Clareby. Blow your ship as soon as you can. Let it be our first great surprise for honoured matres. The guild structure loomed higher as they approached. 
The most astonishing thing to Audrey whenever she saw one of these functional constructions was that someone had taken a great deal of care in planning it. Intentional detail in everything, although you sometimes had to dig for it. Budget dictated reduced quality in many choices. Endurance preferred over luxury or eye appeal. Compromise and, like most compromise, satisfying no one. Guild controllers undoubtedly had complained at the price, and present occupants still could feel irritated at shortcomings. No matter. The thing was tangible substance. It was here to be used now. Another compromise. The lobby was smaller than she had expected. Some interior changes, only about six metres long and perhaps four metres wide. Reception slot was on their right as they entered. Odraid motioned Sweepal to register their party and indicated that the rest of them should wait in the open area, well within striking distance of one another. Treachery had not been ruled out. Dortusha obviously expected it. She looked resigned. Odraid made a careful inspection and commented on their surroundings. Plenty of commies, but the rest of it. Each time she entered one of these places, she had the sensation of being in a museum. Other memories at hostelries of this sort had not changed significantly in eons. Even in early times, she found prototypes. A glimpse of the past in the chandeliers. Gigantic, glittering things imitative of electric devices but furnished with glow globes. Two of them dominated the ceiling like imaginary spaceships descending in splendor from the void. There were more glimpses of the past that few transients in this age would notice. The arrangement of reception area behind grilled slots, space for waiting with its mixture of seats and inconvenient lighting, signs directing them to services, restaurants, narco-parlors, assignation bars, swimming and other exercise facilities, auto-massage rooms and the like. Only language and script had changed from ancient times. Given an understanding of the language, the signs would be recognizable to pre-space primitives. This was a temporary stopping place. Plenty of security installations. Some had the look of artifacts from the scattering. Ix and Guild had never wasted gold on commies and censors. A frenetic dance of robo-servants in the reception area, dartings here and there, cleaning, picking up litter, guiding newcomers. A party of four Ixians had preceded Odraid's group. She gave them close attention. How self-important, yet fearful. To her Bene Gesserit eye, the people of Ix were always recognizable no matter the disguises. Basic structure of their society colored its individuals. Ixians displayed a Hogbanesque attitude toward their science, that political and economic requirements determined permissible research. That said, the innocent naivete of Ixian social dreams had become the reality of bureaucratic centralism, a new aristocracy. So they were headed into a decline that would not be stopped by whatever accommodation this Ixian party made with honoured matres. No matter the outcome of our contest, Ix is dying. Witness, no great Ixian innovations in centuries. Sweepall returned. They ask us to wait for an escort. Odraid decided to start negotiations immediately with a chat for the benefit of Sweepol, the Comais, and listeners on her no-ship. Sweepol, did you notice those Ixians ahead of us? Yes, Mother Superior. Mark them well. They are products of a dying society. It is naive to expect any bureaucracy to take brilliant innovations and put them to good use. 
Bureaucracies ask different questions. Do you know what those are? No, Mother Superior, spoken after a searching look at their surroundings. She knows, but she sees what I'm doing. What have we here? I've misjudged her. These are typical questions, Sweepal. Who gets the credit? Who will be blamed if it causes problems? Will it shift the power structure, costing us jobs? Or will it make some subsidiary department more important? Sweepal nodded on cue, but her glance at the commies might have been a little obvious. No matter. These are political questions, Odrade said. They demonstrate how motives of bureaucracy are directly opposed to the need for adapting to change. Adaptability is a prime requirement for life to survive. Time to talk directly to our hosts. Odrade turned her attention upward, picking a prominent commi in a chandelier. Note those Ixians. Their mind in a deterministic universe has given way to mind in an unlimited universe where anything may happen. Creative anarchy is the path to survival in this universe. Thank you for this lesson, Mother Superior. Bless you, Sweepal. After all of their experiences with us, Sweepal said, surely they no longer question our loyalty to one another. Fates preserve her. This one is ready for the agony and may never see it. Odrade could only agree with the acolyte's summation. Compliance with Bene Gesserit ways came from within, from those constantly monitored details that kept their own house in order. It was not philosophical, but a pragmatic view of free will. Any claim the Sisterhood might have to making its own way in a hostile universe lay in scrupulous adherence to mutual loyalty, an agreement forged in the agony. Chapter House and its few remaining subsidiaries were nurseries of an order founded in sharing and sharing with a capital S. Not based on innocence, that had been lost long ago. It was set firmly in political consciousness and a view of history independent of other laws and customs. We are not machines, Odrade said, glancing at the automata around them. We always rely on personal relationships, never knowing where those may lead us. Tamerlane stepped to Odrade's side. Don't you think they should be sending us a message at the very least? They've already sent us a message, Tam, putting us up in a second-class hostelry. And I have responded. Ultimately, all things are known because you want to believe you know. Zensuni Cohen. Teg took a deep breath. Gamu lay directly ahead, precisely where his navigators had said it would be when they emerged from fold space. He stood beside a watchful Stregi, seeing this in displays of his flagship's command bay. Stregi did not like it that he stood on his own feet instead of riding her shoulders. She felt superfluous amidst military hardware. Her gaze kept going to the multi-projection fields at command bay center. Aides moving efficiently in and out of pods and fields, bodies draped with esoteric hardware, knew what they were doing. She had only the vaguest idea of these functions. The comm board to relay Teg's orders lay under his palms, riding there on suspensers. Its command field formed a faint blue glow around his hands. The silvery horseshoe linking him to the attack force rested lightly on his shoulders, feeling familiar there in spite of being much larger relative to his small body than comlinks of his previous lifetime.
None of those around him any longer questioned that this was their famous basher in a child's body. They took his orders with brisk acceptance. The target system looked ordinary from this distance, a sun and its captive planets. But Gamu, in center focus, was not ordinary. Idaho had been born there, his Gola trained there, his original memories restored there. And I was changed there. Teg had no explanation for what he had found in himself under the stresses of survival on Gamu. Physical speed that drained his flesh, and an ability to see no ships, to locate them in an image field like a block of space reproduced in his mind. He suspected a wild outcropping in Atreides' genes. Marker cells had been identified in him, but not their purpose. It was the heritage Bene Gesserit breeding mistresses had meddled with for eons. There was little doubt they would view this ability as something potentially dangerous to them. They might use it, but he would certainly lose his freedom. He put these reflections out of his mind. Send in the decoys. Action. Teg felt himself assume a familiar stance. There was a sense of climbing onto a refreshing eminence when planning ended. Theories had been articulated, alternatives carefully worked out, and subordinates deployed, all thoroughly briefed. His key squad leaders had committed Gamu to memory, where partisan help might be available. Every bolt hole, every known strong point, and which access routes were most vulnerable. He had warned them especially about futars. The possibility that humanoid beasts might be allies could not be overlooked. Rebels who had helped Gola Idaho escape from Gamu had insisted futars were created to hunt and kill honored matters. Knowing the accounts of Dortulia and others, you could almost pity honored matters if this were true, except that no pity could be spared for those who never showed it to others. The attack was taking its designed shape. Scout ships laying down a decoy barrage and heavy carriers moving into strike position. Teg became now what he thought of as the instrument of my instruments. It was difficult to determine which commanded and which responded. Now the delicate part. Unknowns were to be feared. A good commander kept that firmly in mind. There were always unknowns. Decoys were nearing the defensive perimeter. He saw enemy no-ships and fold-space sensors, bright dots arrayed through his awareness. Teg superimposed this onto the positions of his force. Every order he gave must appear to originate from a battle plot they all shared. He felt thankful Morbella had not joined him. Any reverend mother might see through his deception. But no one had questioned Odraid's order that Morbella wait with her party at a safe distance. Potential mother superior, guard this one well. Explosive demolition of decoys began with a random display of brilliant flashes around the planet. He leaned forward, staring at projections. There's the pattern. There was no such pattern, but his words created belief and pulses quickened. No one questioned that the basher had seen vulnerability in the defenses. His hands flashed over the comboard, sending his ships forward in a blazing display that littered space behind them with enemy fragments. All right, let's go. He fed the flagship's course directly into navigation, then turned full attention to fire control. Silent explosions dotted space around them as the flagship mopped up surviving elements of Gamu's perimeter guardians. More decoys, he ordered. Globes of white light blinked in the projection fields. 
Attention in the command bay concentrated on the fields, not on their basher. The unexpected. Teg, justly famous for that, was confirming his reputation. I find this oddly romantic, Streggy said. Romantic? No romance in this. The time for romance was past and yet to come. A certain aura might surround plans for violence. He accepted that. Historians created their own brand of drama-cum-romance. But now? This was adrenaline time. Romance distracted you from necessities. You had to be cold inside. A clear and unimpaired line between mind and body. As his hands moved in the combord's field, Teg realized what had driven Streggy to speak. Something primitive about the death and destruction being created here. This was a moment cut out of normal order, a disturbing return to ancient tribal patterns. She sensed a tom-tom in her breast and voices chanting, Kill! 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 His vision of Guardian no-ships showed survivors fleeing in panic. Good! Panic has a way of spreading and weakening your enemies. There's Barony. Idaho had converted him to the old Harkonnen name for the sprawling city with its giant black centerpiece of plasteel. We'll land on the flat to the north. He spoke the words, but his hands gave the orders. Quickly now. For brief moments when they disgorged troops, no ships were visible and vulnerable. He held elements of the entire force responsive to his comboard, and responsibility was heavy. This is only a feint. We go in and out after inflicting serious damage. Junction is our real target. Odraid's parting admonition lay there in memory. Honored matters must be taught a lesson such as never before. Attack us and you get hurt badly. Press us and the pain can be enormous. They've heard about Benny Jesuit punishments. We are notorious. No doubt Spider Queen sniggered a bit. You must shove that snigger down her throat. Quit, ship. This was the vulnerable moment. Space above them remained empty of threat, but fire lances arced inward from the east. His gunners could handle those. He concentrated on the possibility that enemy no-ships might return for a suicide attack. Command bay projections showed his hammer ships and troop carriers pouring from the holds. The shock force, an armored elite on suspensers, already had the perimeter secured. There went the portable commies to spread his field of observation and relay the intimate details of violence. Communication, the key to responsive command, but it also displayed bloody destruction. All clear, the signal rang through the bay. He lifted off the flat and repositioned in full invisibility. Now only the comlinks gave defenders a clue to his position, and that was masked by decoy relays. Projection displayed the monstrous rectangle of the ancient Harkonnen center. It had been built as a block of light-absorbing metal to confine slaves. The elite had lived in garden mansions on top. Honored matters had returned it to its former oppression. Three of his giant hammer ships came into view. Clear the top of that thing, he ordered. Wipe it clean, but do as little damage as possible to the structure. He knew his words were superfluous, but spoke for the release. Everyone in the attack force knew what he wanted. Relay reports, he ordered. Information began flowing from the horseshoe on his shoulders. He brought it up on secondary. Calm eyes showed his troops clearing the perimeter. 
battle overhead and on the ground was well in hand for at least 50 clicks out, going far better than he'd expected. So honoured matters kept their heavy stuff off-planet, not anticipating bold attack. A familiar attitude, and he had Idaho to thank for predicting it. They're power-blind. They think heavy armour is for space and only light stuff for the ground. Heavy weapons are brought down as needed. No sense keeping them on planet. Takes too much energy. Besides, awareness of all that heavy stuff up there has a quieting effect on captive populations. Idaho's concepts of weaponry were devastating. We tend to fix our minds on what we believe we know. A projectile is a projectile, even when miniaturized to contain poisons or biologicals. Innovations in protective equipment improved mobility, built into uniforms where possible. And Idaho had brought back the shield with its awesome destruction when struck by a laser gun beam. Shields on suspensers hidden in what appeared to be soldiers but were actually inflated uniforms spread out ahead of troops. Lays gun fire at them produce clean atomics to clear large areas. Will junction be this easy? Teg doubted it. Necessity enforced quick adaption to new methods. They could have shields on junction in two days, and no inhibitions about how to employ them. Shields had dominated the old empire, he knew, because of that oddly important set of words called Great Convention. Honourable people did not misuse weapons of their feudal society. If you dishonoured the convention, your peers turned against you with united violence. More than that, there had been the intangible face that some called pride. Face, my position in the pack, more important to some than life itself. This is costing us very little, Streggy said. She was becoming quite the battle analyst and much too banal for Teg's liking. Streggy meant that they were losing few lives, but perhaps she spoke truer than she knew. It's difficult to think of cheap devices doing the job, Idaho had said, but that's a powerful weapon. If your weapons cost only a small fraction of the energy your enemy spent, you had a potent lever that could prevail against seemingly overwhelming odds. Prolong the conflict, and you waste enemy substance. Your foe toppled because control of production and workers was lost. We can begin to pull out, he said, turning away from the projections as his hands repeated the order. I want casualty reports as soon as... He broke off and turned at a sudden stir. Mobella? Her projection was repeated in all of the bay's fields. Her voice blared from the images. Why are you disregarding reports from your perimeter? She overrode his board and the projections displayed a field commander caught in mid-sentence. Orders. I will have to deny their request. Repeat, Morbella said. The field commander's sweaty features turned towards his mobile comi. The comm system compensated, and he appeared to look directly into Teg's eyes. Repeating, I have self-styled refugees here asking for asylum. Their leader says he has an agreement requiring the sisterhood to honor his request, but without orders. Who is he? Teg demanded. He calls himself Rabbi. Teg moved to resume control of his comm board. I don't know of any... Wait! Morbella overrode his board. How does she do that? Again, her voice filled the bay. Bring him and his party to the flagship. Make it quick. She silenced the perimeter relay. Teg was outraged, but at a disadvantage. 
He chose one of the multiple images and glared at it. How dare you interfere? Because you don't have the proper data. The rabbi is within his rights. Prepare to receive him with honors. Explain. No, there's no need for you to know. But it was proper for me to make this decision when I saw you were not responding. That commander was in a diversionary area. Not important to, but the rabbi's request has priority. You're as bad as Mother Superior. Perhaps worse. Now hear me. Get those refugees into your flagship and prepare to receive me. Absolutely not. You are to stay where you are. Basha, there's something about this request that demands a Reverend Mother's attention. He says they are in peril because they gave temporary sanctuary to the Reverend Mother Lucilla. Accept this or step down. Then let me get my people aboard and pull back first. We'll rendezvous when we're clear. Agreed. But treat those refugees with courtesy. Now get off my projections. You've blinded me and that was foolish. You have everything well in hand, Basha. During this hiatus, another of our ships accepted four footers. They came asking that we take them to handlers, but I ordered them confined. Treat them with extreme caution. The bay's projections resumed battle status. Teg once more called in his force. He was seething, and it was minutes before he restored a sense of command. Did Morbella know how she undermined his authority? Or should he take this as a measure of the importance she attached to the refugees? When the situation was secure, he turned the bay over to an aide, and riding on Stregi's shoulders, went to see these important refugees. What was so vital about them that Mobella risked interference? They were in a troop carrier hold, a congealed party held apart by a cautious commander. Who knows what may be concealed among these unknowns? The rabbi, identifiable because he was being deferred to by the field commander, stood with a brown-robed woman at the near side of his people. He was a small, bearded man wearing a white skull cap. Cold light made him appear ancient. The woman shielded her eyes with a hand. The rabbi was speaking, and his words became audible as Teg approached. The woman was under verbal attack. The prideful one will be brought low. Without removing her hand from its defensive position, the woman said, I am not proud of what I carry, nor of the powers this knowledge may bring you. With knee pressure, Teg ordered Streggy to stop them about ten paces away. His commander glanced at Teg, but stayed in position, ready to act defensively if this should prove to be a diversion. Good man. The woman bent her head even lower and pressed her hand against her eyes when she spoke. Are we not offered knowledge that we might use it in holy service? Daughter! The rabbi held himself stiffly erect. Whatever we may learn that we may better serve, it never can be a great thing. All we call knowledge, were it to encompass everything a humble heart could hold, all of that would be no more than one seed in the furrows. Teg felt reluctant to interfere. What an archaic way of speaking. This pair fascinated him. The other refugees listened to the exchange with rapt attention. Only Teg's field commander appeared aloof, keeping his attention on the strangers and giving an occasional hand signal to aides. The woman kept her head respectfully lowered and the shielding hand in place, but she still defended herself. Even a seed lost in the furrows may bring forth life. The rabbi's lips tightened into a grim line. Then, 
without water and care, which is to say, without the blessing and the word, there is no life. A great sigh shook the woman's shoulders, but she held herself in that oddly submissive position when she responded. Rabbi, I hear and obey. Still, I must honor this knowledge that has been thrust upon me because it contains the very admonition you have just voiced. The rabbi placed a hand on her shoulder. Then convey it to those who want it, and may no evil enter where you go. Silence told Teg the argument had ended. He urged Streggy forward. Before she could move, Morbella strode past and nodded to the rabbi while keeping her gaze on the woman. In the name of the Bene Gesserit and our debt to you, I welcome you and give you sanctuary, Morbella said. The brown-robed woman lowered her hand, and Teg saw contact lenses glittering in the palm. She lifted her head then, and there were gasps all around. The woman's eyes were the total blue of spice addiction, but they also held that inner force marking one who had survived the agony. Morbella made instant identification. A wild reverend mother. Not since Dune's Fremen days had one of these been known. The woman curtsied to Morbella. I am called Rebecca, and I am filled with joy to be with you. The rabbi thinks I am a silly goose, but I have a golden egg, for I carry Lampardus. Seven million six hundred twenty-two thousand and fourteen reverend mothers, and they are rightfully yours. Answers are a perilous grip on the universe. They can appear sensible, yet explain nothing. The Zensuni whip. As the wait for their promised escort lengthened, Odraid became first angry and then amused. Finally, she began following lobby robos, interfering with their movements. Most were small and none appeared humanoid. Functional, hallmark of Ixian servos. Busy, busy, busy little accompaniments to a sojourn at Junction or its equivalent anywhere. They were so commonplace that few people noticed them. Since they were not capable of dealing with deliberate interference, they subsided into motionless humming. Honored matres have little or no sense of humor. I know, Mobella, I know, but do they get my message? Dortujla obviously did. She came out of her funk and watched these antics with a wide grin. Tam looked disapproving but tolerant. Sweepol was delighted. Odraid had to restrain her from helping to immobilize the devices. Let me do the antagonizing child. I know what is in store for me. When she was sure she had made her point, Odraid took a position under one of the chandeliers. Attend me, Tam, she said. Tamerlane obediently placed herself in front of Odraid with an attentive expression. Have you noticed, Tam, that modern lobbies tend to be quite small? Tamerlane spared a glance for her surroundings. Lobbies once were large, Odraid said, to provide a prestigious feeling of space for the powerful and impressing others with your importance, of course. Tamerlane caught the spirit of Odraid's playlit and said, These days you're important if you travel at all. Odraid looked at the immobilized robos scattered across the lobby floor. Some hummed and jittered. Others waited quietly for someone or something to restore order. The auto-receptionist, a phallic tube of black plaz with a single glittering comi, came out from behind its cage and picked its way through the stalled robos to confront Odraid. 
Much too humid today. It had a soupy feminine voice. Don't know what weather is thinking of. O'Grade spoke past it to Tamerlane. Why do they have to program these mechanicals to simulate friendly humans? It's obscene, Tamerlane agreed. She forcibly shouldered the auto-receptionist aside and it swiveled to study the source of this intrusion, but made no other move. O'Grade was suddenly aware she had touched on the force that had powered the Butlerian Jihad. Mob motivation. My own prejudice. She studied the mechanical confronting them. Was it waiting for instructions, or must she address the thing directly? Four more robos entered the lobby, and O'Drade recognized her party's luggage piled on them. All of our things carefully inspected, I'm sure. Search where you will, we carry no hint of our legions. The four scurried along the edge of the room and found their passage blocked by the ones rendered motionless. The luggage robos stopped and waited for this unique state of affairs to be sorted out. O'Drade smiled at them. There go the signs of the transient concealing our secret selves. Concealing and secret. Words to annoy the watchers. Come on, Tam, you know the ploy. Confuse that enormous content of unconsciousness. Arouse feelings of guilt they will be incapable of recognizing. Give them the jitters the way I did with the robos. Make them wary. What are the real powers of these Bene Gesserit witches? Tamerlane took her cue. Transience and secret selves. She explained for the commies in tones one used with children. What do you carry when you leave your nest? Are you one who tries to pack it all, or do you prune to necessities? What would the watchers classify as necessities? Tools of hygiene and washable or replaceable clothing? Weapons? They sought those in our luggage but reverend mothers tend not to carry visible weapons. What an ugly place this is, Dortuchla said, joining Tamerlane in front of Odrade and picking up on the drama. You would almost think it deliberate. Ah, you nasty watchers, observed Dortuchla. Remember her? Why has she returned when she must know what you might do to her? Food for futas? See how little that concerns her? A transition point, Dortuchla, Odrade said. Most people would never want this as their destination. An inconvenience, and the small discomforts serve only to remind you of that. A wayside stop, and it will never be much more unless they completely rebuild, Dortuchla said. Would they hear? Odrade aimed a look of utter composure at the selected comi. This is ugliness that betrays intent. It says to us, we will provide something for the stomach, a bed, a place to evacuate bladder and bowels, a place to conduct the little maintenance rituals flesh requires, but you will be gone quickly because all we really want is the energy you leave behind. The auto-receptionist backed around Tamerlane and Ortuzla, once more trying to make contact with Odrade. You will send us to our quarters immediately, Odrade said, glaring into the Cyclopean eye. Dear me, we've been inconsiderate. Where had they found that syrupy voice? Repulsive. But Odrade was on her way out of the lobby in less than a minute. Luggage on its robos ahead of them sweep all close behind, Tamerlane and Dortuzla following. There was an air of neglect to one wing clearly visible as they passed it. Did that mean Junction's traffic had declined? Interesting. Shutters had been sealed along an entire corridor. Hiding something? 
In the resulting gloom she detected dust on floor and ledges with only a few tracks of maintenance mechs. Concealment of what lay outside those windows? Unlikely. This had been closed off for some time. She detected a pattern in what was being maintained. Very little traffic. Honored matre effect. Who dared move around much when it felt safer to dig in and pray you would not be noticed by dangerous prowlers? Access lanes to elite private quarters were being kept up. Only the best was being maintained at its best. When Gamu's refugees arrive, there will be room. In the lobby, a robo had handed Sweepol a guide pulser. To find your way later. Round blue ball with a yellow arrow floating in it to point your chosen way. Rings a tiny bell when you arrive. The pulser's tiny bell rang. And where have we arrived? Another place where their hosts had provided every luxury while keeping it repellent. Rooms with soft yellow floors, pale mauve walls, white ceilings, no chair dogs. Be thankful for that, even though the absence spoke of economics rather than care for a guest's preferences. Chair dogs required sustenance and expensive staff. She saw furnishings with permaflox fabrics, and behind the fabrics she felt plastic resilience, everything done in the other colors of the rooms. The bed was a small shock. Someone had taken the request for a hard mat too literally, flat surface of black plaz without cushion. No bedding. Sweepol, seeing this, started to object, but Odrade silenced her. Despite Bene Gesserit resources, comfort sometimes fell by the wayside. Get the job done, that was their first order. If Mother Superior had to sleep occasionally on a hard surface without covers, this could be passed off in the name of duty. Besides, the Bene Gesserit had ways of adjusting to such inconsequentials. Odrade steeled herself to discomfort, aware that if she objected, she might find another deliberate insult. Let them add this to all of that unconscious content and worry about it. Her summons came while she was inspecting the rest of their quarters, displaying minimal concern and open amusement. A voice piped through ceiling vents intruded as Odraid and her companions emerged into the common sitting room. Return to the lobby where you will meet your escort to Great Honoured Matre. I will go alone. Odrade said, silencing objections. A green-robed honoured matre waited on a fragile chair where the corridor entered the lobby. She had a face built up like a castle wall, stone laid on stone, mouth a watergate through which she inhaled some liquid via a transparent straw. Flow of purple up the straw, sugar odour in the liquid. The eyes were weapons peeking over ramparts. Nose, a slope down which eyes dispatched their hatred. Chin, weak. Not necessary, that chin. An afterthought, something left over from earlier construction. You could see the infant in it. And hair, artificially darkened to muddy brown. Unimportant. Eyes, nose, and mouth. Those were important. The woman stood slowly insolently, emphasizing what a favor she did merely by noticing Odrade. Great honored Matre agrees to see you. Heavy, almost masculine voice, pride walled up so high she exposed it whatever she did, packed solid with immovable prejudice. She knew so many things she was a walking display of ignorance and fears. Odrade saw her as a perfect demonstration of honored Matre vulnerability.
At the end of many turnings and corridors, all of them bright and clean, they came to a long room, sun pouring in a line of windows, sophisticated military console at one end, space maps and terrain maps projected there. Center of Spider Queen's web? Odraid entertained doubts. Console too obvious. Something of different design from the scattering, but no mistaking its purpose. Fields that humans could manipulate had physical limits, and a hood for mental interference could be nothing else, even though it was a towering oval shape and a peculiar dirty yellow. She swept her gaze over the room. Sparsely furnished. A few sling chairs and small tables, a large open area where, presumably, people could await orders. No clutter. This was supposed to be an action centre. Impress that upon the witch! Windows on one long wall revealed flagstones and gardens beyond. This whole thing was a set piece. Where is Spider Queen? Where does she sleep? What is the appearance of her lair? Two women came in through an arched doorway from the flagstones. Both wore red robes with glittering arabesques and dragon shapes on them, Sue stones shattered for decorations. Odraid held her silence, exercising caution until after instructions by the escort, who uttered as few words as possible and left hurriedly. Without Mabella's hints, the tall one standing beside Spider Queen was the one Odraid would have taken for commander, but it was the smaller one. Fascinating. This one did not just climb to power. She sneaked between the cracks. One day her sisters awoke to accomplished fact. There she was, firmly seated at the centre, and who could object? Ten minutes after leaving her, you would have difficulty remembering the target of your objections. The two women examined Audrey with equal intensity. Well and good. That is needed at this moment. Spider Queen's appearance was more than a surprise. Until this moment, no physical description of her had been achieved by the Bene Gesserit. Only temporary projections, imaginative constructs based on scattered bits of evidence. Here she was, finally. A small woman, expected stringy muscles visible under red leotards beneath her robe, face a forgettable oval with bland brown eyes, orange flecks dancing in them. Fearful and angered by it, but cannot place the precise reasons for her fear. All she has is a target, me. What does she think to gain from me? The aid was something else, in appearance far more dangerous. Golden hair so carefully coiffed, slight hook to the nose, thin lips, skin stretched tightly over high cheekbones, and that venomous glare. Odraid passed her gaze once more over Spider Queen's features, a nose that some would have trouble describing a minute after leaving her. Straight? Well, somewhat. Eyebrows a match to straw-coloured hair, the mouth opened to become pinkly visible and almost vanished when closed. It was a face in which you had difficulty finding a central focus, and thus the entire thing became blurred. So you lead the Bene Gesserit. Voice equally low-key, oddly inflected Galak and no jargon, yet you sensed it just behind her tongue. Linguistic tricks were there. Mabella's knowledge emphasized that. They have something close to voice, not the equal of what you gave me, but there are other things they do. Word tricks of a sort. Word tricks. How should I address you? Odraid asked. 
I hear you call me the Spider Queen, orange flecks dancing viciously in her eyes. Here at the centre of your web, and considering your vast powers, I'm afraid I must confess to it. So that is what you notice, my powers. Vain. The first thing Odred actually had marked was the woman's smell. She was bathed in some outrageous perfume. Covering up pheromones? Warned about Bene Gesserit's ability to judge on the basis of minuscule sense data? Perhaps. Just as probably, she preferred this perfume. The odious concoction had about it an underlying hint of exotic flowers, something from her homeland. The Spider Queen put a hand to her forgettable chin. You may call me Dharma. The companion objected. This is the last enemy in the million planets. So that's how they think of the old empire. Dharma held up a hand for silence. How casual and how revealing. Odraid saw a luster reminiscent of Belonda in the aide's eyes, viciousness watchful in there and looking for places to attack. Most are required to address me as great honored matre, Dharma said. I have conferred an honor upon you. She gestured toward the arched doorway behind her. We will walk outside, just the two of us, while we talk. No invitation. It was a command. Odraid paused beside the door and looked at a map displayed there. Black on white, little lines of paths and irregular outlines with labels in Galak. It was the gardens beyond the flagstones, identification of plantings. Odraid bent close to study it while Dharma waited with amused tolerance. Yes, esoteric trees and bushes, very few bearing edible fruits. Pride of possession, and this map was here to emphasize it. On the patio, Odraid said, I noticed your perfume. Dharma was thrown back into memories, and her voice carried subtle undertones when she responded. Floral identity marker for her own flame bush. Imagine that. But she is both sad and angry when she thinks of this, and she wonders why I bring it to attention. Otherwise the bush would not have accepted me, Dharma said. Interesting choice of verb tense. The accented Gallic was not hard to understand. She obviously adjusted unconsciously for the listener. Good ear, spends a few seconds, watching, listening, and adjusts to make herself understood. Very old art form that most humans adopt quickly. Odraid saw the origins as protective coloration. Don't want to be taken for an alien. An adjustable characteristic built into the genes. Honored Matres had not lost it. But this was a vulnerability. Unconscious tonalities were not completely covered, and they revealed much. Despite her blatant vanity, Dharma was intelligent and self-disciplined. It was a pleasure to come to that opinion. Certain circumlocutions were not necessary. Odraid stopped where Dharma stopped at the edge of the patio. They stood almost shoulder to shoulder, and Odraid, gazing outward at the garden, was struck by the almost Bene Gesserit appearance. Speak your peace, Dharma said. What value do I have as a hostage? Odraid asked. Orange glare. You've obviously asked the question, Odraid said. Do continue, Orange subsiding. The sisterhood has three replacements for me. Odraid produced her most penetrating stare. 
It is possible for us to weaken each other in ways that would destroy us both. We would crush you as we would swat an insect. Beware the orange. Odraid was not deflected by warnings from within. But the hand that swatted us would fester, and eventually sickness would consume you. It could not be stated plainer without specific details. Impossible, an orange glare. Do you think us unaware of how you were driven back here by your enemies? My most dangerous gambit. Odraid watched it take effect. A dark scowl was not Dharma's only visible response. Orange vanished, leaving her eyes an oddly bland discrepancy on the glowering face. Odraid nodded as though Dharma had answered. We could leave you vulnerable to those who assail you, those who drove you into this cul-de-sac. You think we... We know. At least, now I know. The knowledge produced both elation and fear. What is out there to subdue these women? We merely gather our forces before... Before returning to an arena where you are sure to be crushed, where you cannot count on overwhelming numbers. Dharma's voice relapsed into soft Gallic that Adraid had difficulty understanding. So they have been to you and made their offer. What fools you are to trust the... I have not said we trust. If Lonyo back there, nod of head indicating the aide in the room, heard you talking to me this way, you would be dead in less time than I take to warn you of it. I am fortunate there are only the two of us. Don't count on that to carry you much farther. Odraid glanced over her shoulder at the building. Alterations in guild design were visible, a long façade of windows, much exotic wood and jewelled stones. Wealth. She was dealing with wealth in an extreme it would be hard for some to imagine. Nothing Dharma wanted, nothing that could be provided by the society subservient to her would be denied. Nothing except freedom to go back into the scattering. How firmly did Dharma cling to the fantasy that her exile might end, and what was the force that had driven such power back to the old empire? Why here? Odraid dared not ask. We will continue this in my quarters, Dharma said. Into the Spider Queen's lair at last. Dharma's quarters were a bit of a puzzle. Richly carpeted floors. She kicked off sandals and went barefoot on entering. Odraid followed this lead. Look at the calloused flesh along the outsides of her feet. Dangerous weapons kept well-conditioned. Not the soft floor, but the room itself puzzled Odraid. One small window looking over the carefully manicured botanical garden. No hangings or pictures on the walls. No decorations. An air vent grill drew shadowy stripes above the door they had entered. One other door on the right. Another air vent. Two soft grey couches. Two small side tables in glistening black. Another larger table in tones of gold with a green shimmer above it to indicate a control field. Odraid identified the fine rectangular outline of a projector inset into the golden table. Ah, this is her workroom. Are we here to work? A refined concentration about this place. Care had been taken to eliminate distractions. What distractions would Dharma accept? Where are the decorated rooms? She has to live in particular ways with her surroundings. 
You cannot always be forming mental barriers to reject things around you that sit disagreeably in your psyche. If you want real comfort, your home cannot be set up in a way that attacks you, especially no attacks on the unconscious side. She is aware of unconscious vulnerabilities. This one is truly dangerous, but she has the power to say yes. It was an ancient Bene Gesserit insight. You looked for the ones who could say yes. Never bother with underlings who can only say no. You sought the one who could make an agreement, sign a contract, pay off on a promise. Spider Queen did not often say yes, but she had that power and knew it. I should have realized when she took me aside. She sent me the first signal when she permitted me to call her Dharma. Have I been too precipitate? Setting up Teg's attack in a way I cannot stop? Too late for second thoughts. I knew it when I unleashed him. But what other forces may we attract? Odraid had Dharma's dominance pattern registered. Words and gestures were likely to make Spider Queen recoil, crouching back to intense awareness of her own heartbeats. The drama must go forward. Dharma was doing something with her hands in the green field atop the golden table. She concentrated on it, ignoring Odraid in a way that was both insult and compliment. You will not interfere, witch, because that is not in your best interest and you know it. Besides, you are not important enough to distract me. Dharma appeared agitated. Has the attack on Gamu been successful? Are refugees beginning to arrive? An orange glare focused on Odraid. Your pilot has just destroyed himself and your ship, rather than submit to our inspection. What did you bring? Ourselves. There is a signal coming from you, telling my companions whether I am alive or dead. You already knew that. Some of our ancestors burned their ships before an attack. No retreat possible. Odraid spoke with exquisite care, tone and timing adjusted to Dharma's responses. If I am successful, you will provide my transport. My pilot was a cyborg and Shear could not protect him from your probes. His orders were to kill himself rather than fall into your hands. Providing us with coordinates to your planet. The orange subsided from Dharma's eyes, but she still was disturbed. I did not think your people obeyed you to that extent. How do you hold them without sexual bonding, witch? Is the answer not obvious? We have secret powers. Careful now, Odraid cautioned herself. A methodical approach, alert for new demands. Let her think we choose one method of response and stick to it. How much does she know about us? She does not know that even Mother Superior may be only a morsel of bait, a lure to gain vital information. Does that make us superior? If so, can superior training surmount superior speed and numbers? Odraid had no answer. Dharma seated herself behind the golden table, leaving Odraid standing. There was a nesting sense about the movement. She did not leave this place often. This was the true center of her web. All things she thought she needed were here. She had brought Odraid to this room because it was an inconvenience to be elsewhere. She was uncomfortable in other settings, perhaps even felt threatened. Dharma did not court danger. She had done so once, but that was long ago shut off behind her somewhere. Now she wanted only to sit here in a safe and well-organized cocoon where she could manipulate others. 
Audrade found these observations a welcome affirmation of Bene Gesserit deductions. The sisterhood knew how to exploit this leverage. Have you nothing more to say? Dama asked. Stall for time. Audrade ventured a question. I am extremely curious why you agreed to this meeting. Why are you curious? It seems so, so out of character for you. We determine what is in character for us. Quite testy there. But what is it about us interests you? You think we find you interesting? Perhaps you even find us remarkable, because that is certainly how we look at you. A pleased expression made its fleeting appearance on Dharma's face. I knew you would be fascinated by us. The exotic interests the exotic, Audrade said. This brought a knowing smile to Dharma's lips, the smile of someone whose pet has been clever. She stood and went to the one window. Summoning Audrade to her side, Dharma gestured to a stand of trees beyond the first flowering bushes and spoke in that soft accent so difficult to follow. Something ticked off an inner alarm. Audrade fell into simul flow, seeking the source, something in the room or in Spider Queen. There was a lack of spontaneity about the setting, matched by much that Dharma did, so all of this was designed to create an effect, carefully schemed. Is this one really my Spider Queen, or is there a more powerful one watching us? Audrade explored this thought, sorting swiftly. It was a process that provided more questions than answers, a mental shorthand akin to that of Mentats. Sought for relevance and bring up the latent but orderly backgrounds. Order generally was a product of human activity. Chaos existed as raw material from which to create order. That was the Mentat approach, giving no unalterable truths but a remarkable lever for decision-making. Orderly assemblage of data in a non-discrete system. She arrived at a projective. They revel in chaos, prefer it. Adrenaline addicts. So Dharma was Dharma, great honored matre. Forever the patroness, forever the superior. There is no greater one watching us. But Dharma believes this is bargaining. One would think she had never done it before. Precisely. Dharma touched an unmarked place below the window and the wall folded back, revealing that the window was but an artful projection. The way was opened onto a high balcony paved with dark green tiles. It overlooked plantations much different from those in the window projection. Here was chaos preserved, wilderness left to its own devices and made more remarkable by ordered gardens in the distance. Brambles, fallen trees, thick bushes, and beyond evenly spaced rows of what appeared to be vegetables with automated harvesters passing back and forth, leaving bare ground behind them. Love of chaos, indeed. Spider Queen smiled and led the way onto the balcony. As she emerged, Audrade once more was stopped by what she saw. A decoration on the parapet to her left, a life-size figure shaped from an almost ethereal substance, all feathery planes and curved surfaces. When she squinted at the figure, Audrade saw it was intended to represent a human. Male or female? In some positions male and in some female. Planes and curves responded to vagrant breezes. Thin, almost invisible wires looked to be sugar wire, suspended it from a delicately curving tube anchored in a translucent mound. 
The lower extremities of the figure almost touched the pebbled surface of the supporting base. Odraid stared, captivated. Why does it remind me of Shiana's The Void? When the wind moved it, the whole creation appeared to dance, relapsing sometimes into a graceful walk, then a slow pirouette and creeping turns with outstretched leg. It is called Ballet Master, Dharma said. In some winds it will kick its feet high. I have seen it running as gracefully as a marathoner. Sometimes it is just ugly little motions, arms jerking as though they held weapons. Beautiful and ugly, it is all the same. I think the artist misnamed it. Being unknown would have been better. Beautiful and ugly, all the same. Being unknown. That was a terrible thing about Shiana's creation. Audrey felt a cold wash of fear. Who is the artist? I've no idea. One of my predecessors took it from a planet we were destroying. Why does it interest you? It's the wild thing no one can govern. But she said, I presume we're both seeking a basis for understanding, trying to find similarities between us. This brought the orange glare. You may try to understand us, but we have no need to understand you. Both of us come from societies of women. It is dangerous to think of us as your offshoots. But Mabella's evidence says you are, formed in the scattering by fish speakers and reverend mothers in extremis. All ingenuous and fooling nobody, Odraid asked, Why is that dangerous? Dharma's laugh conveyed no amusement. Vindictive. Odraid experienced an abrupt new assessment of danger. More than a Bene Gesserit probe and review was demanded here. These women were accustomed to killing when angered, a reflex. Dharma had said as much when speaking to her aid, and Dharma had just signalled there were limits to her tolerance. Yet in her own way she is trying to bargain. She displays her mechanical marvels, her powers, her wealth. No offer of alliance. Be willing servants, witches, our slaves, and we will forgive much. To gain the last of the million planets? More than that, certainly, but an interesting number. With a new caution, Odraid reformed her approach. Reverend Mothers too easily fell into adaptive pattern. I am, of course, quite different from you, but I will unbend for the sake of accord. That would not do with honored matres. They would accept nothing to suggest they were not in absolute control. It was a statement of Dama's superiority over her sisters that she allowed Odraid so much latitude. Once more, Dama spoke in her imperious manner. Odraid listened. How odd that Spider Queen thought one of the most attractive things the Bene Gesserit could provide was immunity from new diseases. Was that the form of attack that drove them here? Her sincerity was naive. None of this tiresome periodic checking to see if you had acquired secret inhabitants in your flesh sometimes not so secret, sometimes disgustingly perilous. But the Bene Gesserit could end all that and would be suitably rewarded. How pleasant. Still that vindictive tone in every word. Odraid caught herself in this thought. Vindictive? That did not catch the proper flavor. Something carried at a deeper level. Unconsciously jealous of what you lost when you broke away from us. This was another pattern and it had been stylized. 
honoured matres fell back on repetitious mannerisms, mannerisms we abandoned long ago. This was more than refusal to recognise Bene Gesserit origins, this was garbage disposal. Drop your discards wherever they lose your interest. Underlings take out the garbage. She is more concerned with the next thing she wants to consume than she is with fouling her own nest. The honoured matre floor was larger than suspected, much more deadly to themselves and all they controlled, and they could not face it because to them it was not there. Never existed. Dama remained an untouchable paradox. No question of alliance entered her mind. She would seem to dance up to it, but only to test her enemy. I was right after all to unleash Teg. Lonyo came out of the workroom with a tray on which stood two spindly glasses, almost filled with golden liquid. Dharma took one, sniffed it, and sipped with a pleased expression. What is that vicious glitter in Lonyo's eyes? Try some of this wine, Dharma said, gesturing to Odraid. It's from a planet I'm sure you've never heard of, but where we have concentrated the required elements to produce the perfect golden grape for the perfect golden wine. Odraid was caught by this long association of humans with their precious ancient drink, the god Bacchus. Berries fermented on the bush or in tribal containers. It is not poisoned, Dharma said as Odraid hesitated. I assure you. We kill where it suits our needs, but we are not crass. We reserve our more blatant deadliness for the masses. I do not mistake you for one of the masses. Dharma chuckled at her own witticism. The laboured friendliness was almost gross. Odraid took the proffered glass and sipped. It's a thing someone devised to please us, Dharma said, her attention fixed on Odraid. The one sip was enough. Odraid's senses detected a foreign substance and she was several heartbeats identifying its purpose. To nullify the sheer protecting me from their probes. She adjusted her metabolism to render the substance harmless, then announced what she had done. Dharma glared at Lonyo. So that is why none of these things work with the witches, and you never suspected... The rage was an almost physical force directed at the hapless aid. It is one of the immune systems with which we combat disease, Odraid said. Dharma hurled her glass to the tiles. She was some time regaining composure. Alonyo retreated slowly, holding the tray almost as a shield. So Dharma did more than sneak into power. Her sisters consider her deadly. And so must I consider her. Someone will pay for this wasted effort, Dharma said. Her smile was not pleasant. Someone. Someone made the wine. Someone made the dancing figure. Someone will pay. The identity was never important, only the pleasure or the need for retribution, subservience. Do not interrupt my thoughts, Dharma said. She went to the parapet and gazed at her being unknown obviously recomposing her bargaining stance. Odraid turned her attention to Lonyo. What was that continued watchfulness, rapt attention fixed on Dharma? No longer simple fear. Lonyo suddenly appeared supremely dangerous. Poison. Odraid knew it as certainly as though the aide had shouted the word. I am not Lonyo's target. 
not yet. She has taken this opportunity to make her bid for power. There was no need to look at Dharma. The moment of Spider Queen's death was visible on Lonyo's face. Turning, Odraid confirmed it. Dharma lay in a heap under being unknown. You will call me great honored Matre, Lonyo said, and you will learn to thank me for it. She, pointing at the red heap in the balcony corner, intended to betray you and exterminate your people. I have other plans. I am not one to destroy a useful weapon at the moment of our greatest need. Battle. There's always a desire for breathing space motivating it somewhere. The Basha Teg. Mabella watched the struggle for junction with a detachment that did not reflect her feelings. She stood with a coterie of protectors in her no-ship's command center, attention fixed on relay projections from groundside commies. There were battles all around junction, bursts of light on dark side, grey eruptions on day side. A major engagement directed by Teg centered on the Citadel, a giant mound of guild design with a new tower near its rim. Although Odraid's vital signs transmissions had stopped abruptly, her early reports confirmed that Great Aunt Matre was in there. The need to observe from a distance helped Mabella's sense of detachment, but she felt the excitement. Interesting times. This ship contained precious cargo. The millions from Lampadas were being shared and prepared for scattering in a suite ordinarily reserved for Mother Superior. The wild sister, with her cargo of memory, dominated their priorities here. Golden egg for sure. Mabella thought of the lives being risked in that suite, preparing for the worst. No lack of volunteers and the threat in the junction conflict minimized need for spice poison to ignite sharings, reducing danger. Anyone on this ship could sense all or nothing in Odraid's gamble. Imminent threat of death was recognized, sharing necessary. Transformation of a reverend mother into sets of memories passed around at perilous cost among the sisters no longer carried a mysterious aura for her, but Mabella still was awed by the responsibility. The courage of Rebecca and Lucilla demanded admiration. Millions of memory lives all concentrated in what the sisterhood called Extremis Progressiva. Two by two, then four by four, and sixteen by sixteen, until each held all of them, and any survivor could preserve the precious accumulation. What they were doing in Mother Superior's suite had some of that flavor. The concept no longer terrified Marbella, but it was not yet ordinary. Odraid's words comforted. Once you have fully accommodated to the bundles of other memory, all else falls into a perspective that is utterly familiar, as though you had known it always. Mabella recognized that Teg was prepared to die in defense of this multiple awareness that was the sisterhood of the Bene Gesserit. Can I do less? Teg, no longer completely an enigma, remained an object of respect. Odraid within amplified this with reminders of his exploits. Then, I wonder how I'm doing down there. Ask. Com Command said, No word, but her transmissions may have been blocked by energy shielding. They knew who really asked the question. 
It was on their faces. She has Audrade. Mabella again focused on the battle at the Citadel. Her own reactions surprised Mabella. Everything colored by historical disgust at repetition of war's nonsense, but still this exuberant spirit reveling in newly acquired Bene Gesserit abilities. Honored Matre forces had good weapons down there, she noted, and Teg's heat absorption pads were taking punishment, but even as she watched, the defensive perimeter collapsed. She could hear howling as a large Idaho-designed disruptor went bouncing down a passage between tall trees, knocking out defenders right and left. Other memory gave her a peculiar comparison. It was like a circus, ships landing, disgorging their human cargoes. In the center ring, the Spider Queen acts never before seen by the human eye. Odrade's persona produced a sense of amusement. How's this for closeness of sisterhood? Are you dead down there, Dar? You must be. Spider Queen will blame you and be enraged. Trees placed long afternoon shadows across Teg's lane of attack, she saw, inviting cover. He ordered his people to go around, ignore inviting avenues, look for hard ways to approach and use them. The citadel lay in a gigantic botanical garden, strange trees and even stranger bushes mingled with prosaic plantings, all scattered around as though thrown there by a dancing child. Mabella found the circus metaphor attractive. It gave perspective to what she witnessed. Announcements in her mind. Over there, dancing animals, defenders of Spider Queen, all bound to obey. And in the first ring, the main event, supervised by our ringmaster, Miles Tegg. His people do mysterious things. Here is the talent. It had aspects of a staged battle in the Roman circus. Mabella appreciated the illusion. It made observation richer. Battle towers filled with armored soldiers approach. They engage. Flames cut the sky. Bodies fall. But these were real bodies, real pains, real deaths. Bene Gesserit sensitivities forced her to regret the waste. Is this how it was for my parents caught in the sweep? Metaphors from other memory vanished. She saw Junction then as she knew Teg must see it. Bloody violence, familiar in memory and yet new. She saw attackers advancing, heard them. Woman's voice, distinct with shock. That bush screamed at me! Another voice, male. No telling where some of this originated. That sticky stuff burns your skin. Mabella heard action on the far side of the citadel, but it grew eerily quiet around Teg's position. She saw his troops flitting through shadows, closing in on the tower. There was Teg on Streggy's shoulders. He took a moment to stare up at the facade, confronting them about half a click away. She chose a projection that looked where he looked. Motion behind windows there. Where were the mysterious last-ditch weapons Honored Matres were supposed to possess? What will he do now? Teg had lost his command pod to a laser hit outside the main engagement area. The pod lay on its side behind him, and he sat astride Streggy's shoulders in a patch of screening bushes, some still smouldering. He had lost his comm board with the pod, but retained the silvery horseshoe of his comm link, although it was crippled without the pod's amplifiers. Communications specialists crouched nearby, jittering because they had lost close contact with the action. The battle beyond the buildings grew louder. He heard hoarse shouts, 
The high hissing of burners and the lower bars of large laser guns mingled with the tinny zip-zips of hand weapons. Somewhere off there to his left was a thrum-thrum he recognized as heavy armor in trouble. A scraping sound with it, metal agony. Energy system damaged in that one. It was dragging itself over the ground, probably making a mess of the gardens. Haker, Teg's personal aide, came dodging down the lane behind the basher. Streggy noticed him first and turned without warning, forcing Teg to look at the man. Haker, dark and muscular, with heavy eyebrows, sweat dampened now, stopped directly in front of Teg and spoke before fully regaining his breath. We have the last pockets pulled up, Basher. Haker raised his voice to override the battle sounds, and a buzzing squawker over his left shoulder producing low conversations, battle urgency in clipped tones. The far perimeter, Teg demanded. Mop up in half an hour, no more. You should get out of here, Basher. Mother Superior warned us to keep you out of needless danger. Teg gestured at his useless pod. Why don't I have a communications backup? A big lay's got both backups in the same burn as they were coming in. They were together? Haker heard the anger. Sir, they were... No important equipment is sent in together. I'll want to know who disobeyed orders. The quiet voice from immature vocal cords carried more menace than a shout. Yes, Basha. Strictly obedient and no sign from Haker that the mistake was his own. Damn. How soon will replacements arrive? Five minutes. Get my reserve pod in here as fast as you can. Teg touched Streggy's neck with a knee. Haker spoke before she could turn. Basha, they got the reserve too. I've ordered another. Teg repressed a sigh. These things happened in battle, but he didn't like depending on primitive comms. We'll set up here, get more squawkers. They at least had the range. Haker glanced at the greenery around them. Here? I don't like the look of those buildings up ahead. That tower commands this area, and they must have underground access. I would. There's nothing on that. My memory layout doesn't include that tower. Get Sonics in here to check the ground. I want our plan brought up to the minute with secure information. Haker's squawker came alive with an override voice. Basha, is the Basha available? Streggy moved him next to Haker without being told. Teg took the squawker, whistling his code as he grabbed it. Basha, it's a mess at the flat. About a hundred of them tried to lift and ran into our screen. No survivors. Any sign of Mother Superior or her spider queen? Negative. We can't tell. I mean, it's a real mess. Shall I screen a view? Get me a dispatch and keep looking for O'Drade. I'll tell you nothing survived here, Basha. There was a click and a low hum. Then another voice. Dispatch? Teg brought his voice print coder from beneath his chin and barked quick orders. Scramble a hammership over the citadel, put the scene at the landing flat and the other disasters on open relay. All bands, make sure they can see it, announce no survivors at the flat. The double click of received confirmed broke the link. Haker said, Do you really think you can terrify them? Educate them, he repeated Adrade's parting words. Their education has been sadly neglected. What had happened to Odrade? He felt sure she must be dead, perhaps the first casualty here. She had expected that. Dead, but not lost, if Mabella could restrain her impetuosity. Odrade, at that moment, had Teg in direct sight from the tower. Lonyo had silenced her vital signs transmissions with a counter-signal shield and had brought her to the tower shortly after the arrival of the first refugees from Gamu. 
no one questioned Lognot's supremacy. A dead great-honored Matre and a live one could only be something familiar. Expecting to be killed at any moment, Audrey still gathered data as she went up in an tube with guards. The tube was an artifact from the scattering, a transparent piston in a transparent cylinder. Few obstructing walls at the floors they passed. Mostly views of living areas and esoteric hardware, Audrey surmised had military purposes. Lush evidence of comfort and quiet increased the higher they went. Power climbs physically as well as psychologically. Here they were at the top. A section of the tube cylinder swung outward and a guard pushed her roughly onto a thickly carpeted floor. The workroom Dama showed me down there was another set piece. Odrade recognized secrecy. Equipment and furnishings here would have been almost unrecognizable were it not for Mabella's knowledge. So other action centers were for show. Potemkin villages built for Reverend Mother. Lonyo lied about Dama's intentions. I was expected to leave unharmed, carrying no useful information. What other lies had they paraded in front of her? Lonyo and all but one guard went to a console on Odrade's right. Pivoting on one foot, Odrade looked around. This was the real center. She studied it with care. Odd place. An aura of the sanitary, treated with chemicals to make it clean. No bacterial or viral contaminants. No strangers in the blood. Everything debugged like a showcase for rare viands. And Dharma showed interest in Bene Gesserit immunity to diseases. There was bacterial warfare in the scattering. They want one thing from us. And just one surviving Reverend Mother would satisfy them if they could wrest information from her. A full Bene Gesserit cadre would have to examine the strands of this web and see where they led. If we win. The operations console where Lonyo concentrated her attention was smaller than the showcase ones, finger-field manipulation. The hood on a low table beside Lonyo was smaller and transparent, revealing the Medusa tangle of probes. Shigawire, for sure. The hood showed a close affinity to T-probes from the scattering Teg and others had described. Did these women possess more technological marvels? They must. A glittering wall behind Lonyo, windows on her left opening onto a balcony, a far vista of junction visible out there with movement of troops and armor. She recognized Teg in the distance, a figure on the shoulders of an adult, but gave no sign she saw anything extraordinary. She continued her slow study. Door to a passage with another null tube partly visible in a separate area to her immediate left. More green tile on the floor there. Different functions in that space. A sudden burst of noises erupted beyond the wall. Odrade identified some of them. Boots of soldiers made a distinctive sound on tiles. Swish of exotic fabrics. Voices. She distinguished accents of honored matres responding to each other in tones of shock. We're winning. Shock was to be expected when the invincible were brought low. She studied Lonyo. Would it be a plunge into despair? If so, I may survive. Mabella's role might be changed. Well, that could wait. Sisters had been briefed on what to do in the event of victory. Neither they nor anyone else in the attack force would lay rough hands on an honored matre, erotic or otherwise. Duncan had prepared the men, making the perils of sexual entrapment thoroughly known. 
Risk no bondage, raise no new antagonisms. The new Spider Queen was revealed now as someone even stranger than Odraid had suspected. Lonya left her console and came to within a pace of Odraid. You have won this battle. We are your prisoners. No orange in her eyes. Odraid swept her gaze around at the women who had been her guards. Blank expressions, clear eyes. Was this how they showed despair? It did not feel right. Lonyu and the others revealed no expected emotional responses. Everything under wraps. Events of the past hours should create emotional crisis. Lonyu gave no sign of it. Not a twitch of revealing nerve or muscle. Perhaps a casual concern, and that was all. A Bene Gesserit mask. It had to be unconscious, something automatic ignited by defeat. So they did not really accept defeat. We are still in there with them, latent, but there. No wonder Mabella almost died. She was confronting her own genetic past as a supreme prohibition. My companions, Odraid said, the three women who came with me, where are they? Dead. Lonyo's voice was as dead as the word. Odraid suppressed a pang for Sweepal. Tam and Ortuzla had lived long and useful lives, but Sweepal dead and never shared. Another good one lost, and isn't that a bitter lesson? I will identify the ones responsible if you desire revenge, Lonyo said. Lesson two. Revenge is for children and the emotionally retarded. A small return of orange in Lonyo's eyes. Human self-delusion took many forms, Odraid reminded herself. Aware that the scattering would produce the unexpected, she had armed herself accordingly with a protective remoteness that would allow her a space to assess new places, new things, and new people. She had known she would be forced to put many things in different categories to serve her or deflect threats. She took Lonyo's attitude as a threat. You do not seem disturbed, great-honored Matre. Others will avenge me. Flat very self-composed. The words were even stranger than her composure. She held everything under that close cover, bits and pieces revealed now in flickering movements aroused by Odraid's observation. Deep and intense things, but buried. It was all inside there, masked the way a reverend mother would mask it. Lonyo appeared to have no power at all, and yet she spoke as though nothing essential had changed. I am your captive, but that makes no difference. Was she truly powerless? No. But that was the impression she wished to convey, and all of the other honored matres around her mirrored this response. See us, powerless except for the loyalty of our sisters and the followers they have bonded to us. Were honored matres that confident of their vengeful legions? Possible only if they had never before suffered a defeat of this kind. Yet someone had driven them back into the old empire, into the million planets. Teg found Odraid and her captives while seeking a place to assess victory. Battle always required its analytical aftermath, especially from a Mentat commander. It was a comparison test this battle demanded of him more than any other in his experience. This conflict would not be lodged in memory until assessed and shared as far as possible among those who depended on him. It was his invariable pattern, 
and he did not care what it revealed about him. Break that link of interlocking interests, and you prepared yourself for defeat. I need a quiet place to assemble the threads of this battle and make a preliminary summary. In his estimation, a most difficult problem of battle was to conduct it in a way that did not release human wildness, a Bene Gesserit dictum. Battle must be conducted to bring out the best in those who survived. Most difficult and sometimes all but impossible. The more remote the soldier from carnage, the more difficult. It was one reason Teg always tried to move to the battle scene and examine it personally. If you did not see the pain, you could easily cause greater pain without second thoughts. That was the honoured Matre pattern. But their pains had been brought home. What would they make of this? That question was in his mind as he and Aides emerged from the tube to see Odraid confronting a party of honoured Matres. Here is our commander, the Basha Miles Teg, Odraid said, gesturing. Honoured Matres stared at Teg. A child riding on the shoulders of an adult? This is their commander? Gola, Lonyo muttered. Odraid spoke to Haker. Take these prisoners somewhere nearby where they can be comfortable. Haker did not move until Teg nodded, then politely indicated that captives should precede him into the tiled area on their left. Teg's dominance was not lost on honoured Matres. They glowered at him as they obeyed Haker's invitation. Men ordering women about. With Odraid beside him, Teg touched a knee to Streg's neck and they went onto the balcony. There was an oddity to the scene that he was a moment identifying. He had viewed many battle scenes with high vantages, most often from a scout thopter. This balcony was fixed in space, giving him a sense of immediacy. They stood about 100 metres above the botanical gardens where much of the fiercest conflict had taken place. Many bodies lay sprawled in final dislodgement, dolls thrown aside by departing children. He recognised uniforms of some of his troops and felt a pang. Could I have done something to prevent this? He had known this feeling many times and called it command guilt. But this scene was different, not just in that uniqueness found in any battle, but in a way that nagged at him. He decided it was partly the landscaped setting, a place better suited to garden parties, now torn by an ancient pattern of violence. Small animals and birds were returning, nervously furtive after the upset of all that noisy human intrusion. Little furry creatures with long tails sniffed at casualties and scampered up neighbouring trees for no apparent reason. Colourful birds peered from screening foliage or flitted across the scene, lines of blurred pigmentation that became camouflage when they ducked abruptly under leaves. Feathered accents to the scene, trying to restore that non-tranquility human observers mistook for peace in such settings. Teg knew better. In his pre-Gola life, he had grown up surrounded by wilderness. Farm life close by, but wild animals just beyond cultivation. It was not tranquil out there. With that observation, he recognized what had tugged at his awareness. Considering the fact they had stormed a well-manned defensive emplacement, occupied by heavily armed defenders, the number of casualties down there was extremely small. He had seen nothing to explain this since entering the citadel. Were they caught off balance? Their losses in space were one thing, his ability to see defenderships produced a devastating advantage, but this complex held prepared positions where defenders could have fallen back and made the assault more costly.
Collapse of honored Matre resistance had been abrupt, and now it remained unexplained. I was wrong to assume they responded to display of their disasters. He glanced at Odraid. That great honored Matre in there, did she give the command for defense to stop? That's my assumption. Cautious, and a typical Bene Gesserit answer. She too was subjecting the scene to careful observation. Was her assumption a reasonable explanation for the abruptness with which defenders threw down their arms? Why would they do it? To prevent more bloodshed? Given the callousness honored Matres usually demonstrated, that was unlikely. The decision had been made for reasons that plagued him. A trap? Now that he thought about it, there were other strange things about the battle scene. None of the usual calls from wounded, no scurrying about with cries for stretchers and medics. He could see souks moving among the bodies. That at least was familiar, but every figure they examined was left where it had fallen. All dead? No wounded? He experienced gripping fear. Not an unusual fear in battle, but he had learned to read it. Something profoundly wrong. Noises, things within his view, the smells took on a new intensity. He felt himself acutely attuned, a predatory animal in the jungle, knowing his terrain but aware of something intrusive that must be identified lest he become hunted instead of hunter. He registered his surroundings at a different level of consciousness, reading himself as well, searching out arousal patterns that had achieved this response. Stregier trembled beneath him, so she felt his distress. Something's very wrong here, Odraid said. He pushed a hand at her, demanding silence. Even in this tower, surrounded by victorious troops, he felt exposed to a threat his clamoring senses failed to reveal. Danger! He was sure of it. The unknown frustrated him. It required every bit of his training to keep from falling into a nervous fugue. Nudging Stregi to turn, Teg barked an order to an aide standing in the balcony doorway. The aide listened quietly and ran to obey. They must get casualty figures. How many wounded compared to deaths? Reports on captured weapons. Urgent. When he returned to his examination of the scene, he saw another disturbing thing, a basic oddity his eyes had tried to report. Very little blood on those fallen figures in Bene Gesserit uniforms. You expect battle casualties to show that ultimate evidence of common humanity, flowing red that darkened on exposure but always left its indelible mark in the memories of those who saw it. Lack of bloody carnage was an unknown, and in warfare, unknown had a history of bringing extreme peril. He spoke softly to Odraid. They have a weapon we have not discovered. Do not be quick to reveal judgment. Hidden judgment often is more potent. It can guide reactions whose effects are felt only when too late to divert them. Bene Gesserit, Advice to Postulants Shiana smelled worms at a distance. Cinnamon undertones of melange mingled with bitter flint and brimstone. The crystal-banked inferno of the great Rakian sand-eaters but she sensed these tiny descendants only because they existed out there in such numbers. They're so small. It had been hot here at Desert Watch today, and now in late afternoon she welcomed the artificially cooled interior. There was a tolerable temperature adjustment in her old quarters, 
although the window on the west had been left open. Shiana went to that window and stared out at glaring sand. Memory told her what this vantage would be tonight. Starlight bright in dry air, thin illumination on sand waves that reached to a darkly curved horizon. She remembered Rakian moons and missed them. Stars alone did not satisfy her Fremen heritage. She had thought of this as retreat, a place and time to think about what was happening to her sisterhood. Axolotl tanks, cyborgs, and now this. Odraid's plan held no mysteries since their sharing. A gamble, and if it succeeded. We will know perhaps tomorrow, and then what will we become? She admitted to a magnet in Desert Watch more than a place to consider consequences. She had walked in sun-scorched heat today, proving to herself she could still call worms with her dance, emotion expressed as action. Dance of propitiation, my language of the worms. She had gone dervish whirling on a dune until hunger shattered her memory trance, and little worms were spread all around in gaping watchfulness, remembered flames within the frames of crystal teeth. Why so small? The words of investigators explained, but did not satisfy. It is the dampness. Shiana recalled giant Shai Halud of Dune, the old man of the desert large enough to swallow spice factories, ring surfaces hard as plastrite, masters in their own domain, god and devil in the sands. She sensed the potential from her window vantage. Why did the tyrant choose symbiotic existence in a worm? Did those tiny worms carry his endless dream? Sand trout inhabited this desert, Accept them as a new skin, and she might follow the tyrant's path. Metamorphosis, the divided god. She knew the lure. Do I dare? Memories of her last moments of ignorance came over her. Barely eight then, the month of Egart on Dune. Not Rakis, Dune, as my ancestors named it. Not difficult to recall herself as she had been. A slender, dark-skinned child, streaked brown hair. Melange hunter, because that was a task for children. Running into open desert with childhood companions. How dear it felt in memory. But memory had its darker side. Focusing attention into the nostrils, a girl detected intense odors. A pre-spice mass. The blow. Melange explosion brought Shiatan. No sandworm could resist a spice blow in its territory. You ate it all, tyrant. That miserable collection of shacks and hovels we called home, and all of my friends and family. Why did you spare me? What a rage had shaken that slender child. Everything she loved, taken by a giant worm that refused her attempts to sacrifice herself in its flames and carried her into the hands of Rakian priests, thence to the Bene Gesserit. She talks to the worms and they spare her. They who spared me are not spared by me. 
that was what she had told Odrade. And Odrade knows what I must do. You cannot suppress the wild thing, Dar. I dare call you Dar now that you are within me. No response. Was there a pearl of later the second's awareness in each of the new sandworms? Her Fremen ancestors insisted on it. Someone handed her a sandwich. Wally, the senior acolyte assistant who had assumed command of Desert Watch. At my insistence when Odrade elevated me to the council. But not just because Wally learned my immunity to honored Matra sexual bonding. And not because she is sensitive to my needs. We speak a secret language, Wally and I. Wally's large eyes no longer were entrances to her soul. They were filmed barriers, giving evidence she already knew how to block probing stares. A light blue pigmentation that soon would be all blue if she survived the agony. Almost albino and a questionable genetic line for breeding. Wally's skin reinforced this judgment, pale and freckled, a skin you saw as a surface transparency. You did not focus on the skin itself, but on what lay beneath, pink, blood-suffused flesh, unprotected from a desert sun. Only here in the shade could Wally expose that sensitive surface to questioning eyes. Why this one in command over us? because I trust her best to do what must be done. Shiana ate the sandwich absently while she returned her attention to the sandscape. The whole planet thus one day. Another dune. No, similar, but different. How many such places are we creating in an infinite universe? Senseless question. Desert Vagary placed a small black dot in the distance. Shiana squinted, ornithopter. It grew slowly larger and then smaller, quartering the sand, inspecting. What are we really creating here? When she looked at encroaching dunes, she sensed hubris. Look upon my works, tiny human, and despair. But we did this, my sisters and I. Did you? I can feel a new dryness in the heat, Wally said. Shiana agreed, no need to speak. She went to the large work table while she still had daylight to study the topo map spread out there, little flags sticking in it, green thread on pushpins, just as she had designed it. Odrate had asked once, is this really preferable to a projection? I need to touch it. Odrate accepted that. Projections pulled too far removed from dirt. You could not draw a finger down a projection and say, we will go down here. A finger in a projection was a finger in empty air. Eyes are never enough. The body must feel its world. Shiana detected pungency of male perspiration, a musty smell of exertion. She lifted her head and saw a dark young man standing in the doorway, arrogant pose, arrogant look. Oh, he said, I thought you would be alone, Wally. I'll come back later. One piercing stare at Shiana, and he was gone. There are many things the body must feel to know them. Shiana, why are you here? Wally asked, you who are so busy on the council. 
What do you seek? Don't you trust me? I came to consider what the Missionaria still thinks I may do. They see a weapon, the myths of Dune. Billions pray to me, the Holy One who spoke to the divided God. Billions is not an adequate number, Wally said. But it measures the force my sisters see in me. Those worshippers believe I died with Dune. I've become a powerful spirit in the pantheon of the oppressed. More than a missionary. What might happen, Wally, if I appeared in that waiting universe, a sandworm beside me? The potential of such a thing fills some of my sisters with hope and misgivings. Misgivings, I understand. Indeed, the very kind of religious implant Muad'Dib and his tyrant son set loose on unsuspecting humankind. Why do they even consider it? Wally insisted. With me as Fulcrum, what a lever they would have to move the universe. But how could they control such a force? That is the problem, something so inherently unstable. Religions are never really controllable. But some sisters think they could aim a religion built around me. And if their aim is poor? They say the religions of women always flow deeper. True, questioning a superior source. Shiona could only nod. Other memory confirmed it. Why? Because within us, life renews itself. That's all of it, openly doubting. Women often bear the aura of underdog. Humans reserve a special sympathy for ones at the bottom. I am a woman, and if honored martyrs want me dead, then I must be blessed. You sound as though you agree with the missionaria. When you're one of the hunted, you consider any path of escape. I am revered. I cannot ignore the potential. Nor the danger. So my name has become a shining light in the darkness of honored matra oppression. How easy for that light to become a consuming flame. No. The plan she and Duncan had worked out was better. Escape from Chapter House. It was a death trap not only for its inhabitants, but for Benny Jesuit dreams. I still don't understand why you're here. We may no longer be hunted. May? But why just now? I cannot speak it openly because then the watchdogs would know. I have this fascination with worms. It's partly because one of my ancestors led the original migration to Dune. You remember this, Wally. We spoke of it once out there on the sand with only the two of us to hear. And now you know why I have come visiting. I remember you saying she was a proper Fremen. And a Zensuni master. I will lead my own migration, Wally, but I will need worms only you can provide, and it must be done quickly. The reports from Junction urge speed, and the first ships will return soon, tonight, tomorrow. I fear what they bring. Are you still interested in taking a few worms back to Central, where you can study them closely? Oh yes, Wally, you do remember. It might be interesting. I don't have much time for such things, but any knowledge we gain may help us. It will be too wet for them back there. The great hold of the no-ship on the flat could be reconverted into a desert lab, 
sand, controlled atmosphere. The essentials are there from when we brought the first worm. Shiana glanced at the western window. Sunset, I would like to go down again and walk on the sand. Will the first ships return tonight? Of course, Reverend Mother. Wally stood aside, opening the way to the door. Shiana spoke as she was leaving. Desert Watch will have to be moved before long. We are prepared. The sun was dipping below the horizon when Shiana emerged from the arched street at the edge of the community. She strode into starlit desert, exploring with her senses as she had done as a child. Ah, there was the cinnamon essence, worms near. She paused, and turning northeast away from the last sun glow, placed her palms flat above and below her eyes in the old Fremen way, confining view and light. She stared out of a horizontal frame. Whatever fell from heaven must pass this narrow slit. Tonight, they will come just after dark to delay the moment of explanation, a full night for reflection. She waited with Benny Gesserit patience. An arc of fire drew a thin line above the northern horizon. Another, another. They were positioned right for the landing flat. Shiana felt her heart beating fast. They've come. And what would be their message for the sisterhood? Returning warriors triumphant or refugees? There could be little difference given the evolution of Odraid's plan. She would know by morning. Shiana lowered her hands and found she was trembling. Deep breath, the litany. Presently, she walked the desert, sand walking in the remembered stride of dune. She had almost forgotten how the feet dragged as though they carried extra weight. Seldom used muscles were called into play, but the random walk once learned was never forgotten. Once I never dreamed I would ever again walk this way. If watchdogs detected that thought, they might wonder about their Shiana. It was a failure in herself, she thought. She had grown into the rhythms of Chapter House. This planet talked to her at a subterranean level. She felt earth, trees and flowers, every growing thing, as though all were part of her. And now, here was disturbing movement, something in a language from a different planet. She sensed the desert changing, and that too was an alien tongue. Desert. Not lifeless, but living in a way profoundly different from once verdant chapter house. Life less, but more intense. She heard the desert, small slitherings, creaking chirps of insects, a dark rustle of hunting wings overhead, and the quickest of ploppings on the sand. Kangaroo mice brought here in anticipation of this day when worms would once more begin their rule. Wally will remember to send flora and fauna from Dune. She stopped atop a tall barracan. In front of her, darkness blurring its edges, was an ocean caught in stop motion, a shadow surf beating on a shadow beach of this changing land. It was a limitless desert sea. It had originated far away, and it would go to stranger places than this. I will take you there if I am able.
a night breeze from dry lands to moister places behind her, deposited a film of dust on her cheeks and nose, lifting the edges of her hair as it passed. She felt saddened. What might have been? That no longer was important. The things that are, they matter. She took a deep breath. Cinnamon stronger, melange, spice and worms near. Worms aware of her presence. How soon would this air be dry enough for the sandworms to grow great and work their crop as they had on dune? The planet and the desert. She saw them as two halves of the same saga, just as the Bene Gesserit and the humankind they served. Matched halves. Either without the other was diminished, an emptiness with lost purpose. Not better dead, perhaps, but moving aimlessly. There lay the threat of honored Matra victory, aimed by blind violence, blind in a hostile universe. And there was why the tyrant had preserved the sisterhood. He knew he only gave us the path without direction, a paper chase laid down by a jokester and left empty at the end. Poet in his own right, though. She recalled his memory poem from Dares Balat, a bit of jetsam the Bene Gesserit preserved. And for what reason do we preserve it? So I can fill my mind with it now, forgetting for the moment what I may confront tomorrow? The fair night of the poet, fill it with innocent stars. A pace apart, Orion stands. His glare sees everything, marking our genes forever. Welcome darkness and stare, blinded in the afterglow. There's barren eternity. Shiana felt abruptly that she had won a chance to become the ultimate artist, filled to overflowing and presented with a blank surface where she might create as she wished, an unrestricted universe. Audrey's words from those first childhood exposures to Bene Gesserit purpose came back to her. Why did we fasten onto you, Shiana? It's really simple. We recognized in you a thing we had long awaited. You arrived and we saw it happen. It, how naive I was. Something new lifting over the horizon. My migration will seek the new, but I must find a planet with moons. Looked at one way, the universe is Brownian movement, nothing predictable at the elemental level. Muad'Dib and his tyrant son closed the cloud chamber where movement occurred. Stories from Gamu. Mabella entered a time of incongruent experiences. It bothered her at first, seeing her own life with multiple vision. Chaotic events at Junction had ignited this, creating a jumble of immediate necessities that would not leave her, not even when she returned to Chapter House. I warned you, Dar. You can't deny it. I said they could turn victory into defeat. And look at the mess you dumped in my lap. I was lucky to save as many as I did. This inner protest always immersed her in the events that had elevated her to this awful prominence. What else could I have done? Memory displayed Stregi slumping to the floor in bloodless death. The scene had played on the no-ship's relays like a fictional drama. 
The projection framework in the ship's command bay added to the illusion that this was not really happening. The actors would arise and take their bows. Teg's commies, humming away automatically, missed none of it until someone silenced them. She was left with images, an eerie afterglow. Teg sprawled on the floor of that honoured Matre Eerie, Audrade staring in shock. Loud protests greeted Mobella's declaration that she must rush groundside. The proctors were adamant until she laid out the details of Audrade's gamble and demanded, Do you want total disaster? Audrade within won that argument. But you were prepared for it from the first, weren't you, Da? Your plan. The proctors said, there's still Shiana. They gave Mabella a one-man lighter and sent her to Junction alone. Even though she transmitted her honoured Matre identity ahead of her, there were touchy moments at the landing flat. A squad of armed honoured Matres confronted her as she emerged from the lighter beside a smoking pit. The smoke smelled of exotic explosives, where Mother Superior's lighter was destroyed. An ancient honoured matre led the squad, her red robe stained, some of its decorations gone and a rip down the left shoulder. She was like some dried-up lizard, still poisonous, still with a bite but running on well-used angers, most of her energy gone, disarrayed hair like the outer skin of a fresh-dug ginger root. There was a demon in her. Mabella saw it peering from orange-flecked eyes. For all the fact that a full squad backed up the old one, the two of them faced each other as though isolated at the foot of the lighter's drop, wild animals cautiously sniffing, trying to judge the extent of danger. Mobella watched the old one carefully. This lizard would dart her tongue a bit, testing the air, giving vent to her emotions. But she was sufficiently shocked to listen. Mobella is my name. I was taken captive by the Bene Gesserit on Gamu. I am an adept of the Hormu. Why are you wearing a witch's robes? The old one and her squad stood ready to kill. I have learned everything they had to teach and have brought that treasure to my sisters. The old one studied her a moment. Yes, I recognize your type. You're a rock, one we chose for the Gamu project. The squad behind her relaxed slightly. You did not come all the way in that lighter, the old one accused. I escaped from one of their nose ships. Do you know where their nest is? I do. A wide smile spread on the old one's lips. Well, you are a prize. How did you escape? Do you have to ask? The old one considered this. Mabella could read the thoughts on her face as though they were spoken. These ones we brought from rock. Deadly, all of them. They can kill with hands, feet, or any other movable part of their bodies. They all should carry a sign, dangerous in any position. Mabella moved away from the lighter, displaying the sinewy grace that was a mark of her identity. Speed and muscle, sisters. Beware. Some of the squad pressed forward, curious. Their words were full of honoured Matre comparisons, eager questions. Mabella was forced to parry. Did you kill many of them? Where is their planet? Is it rich? Have you bonded many males there? You were trained on Gamu? I was on Gamu for the third stage, under Hakka. Hakka? I've met her. Did she have that injured left foot when you knew her? Still testing. It was the right foot, and I was with her when she took the injury. Oh, yes, the right foot. I remember now. How was she injured? Kicking a lout in the rear. He had a sharp knife in his hip pocket. 
Haka was so angry she killed him. Laughter swept through the squad. We will go to great honored Matre, the old one said. So I've passed first inspection. Mabella sensed reservations, though. Why is this homo adept wearing those enemy robes? And she has a strange look to her. Best face that one at once. I took their training, and they accepted me. The fools, did they really? You question my word? How easy it was to revert, adopting touchy honored Matre ways. The old one bristled. She did not lose hauteur, but she sent a warning look to her squad. All of them took a moment to digest what Mabella had said. You became one of them? Someone behind her asked. How else could I steal their knowledge? Know this, I was a personal student of their mother superior. Did she teach you well? That same challenging voice from behind. Mabella identified the questioner, middle echelon and ambitious, anxious for notice and advancement. This is the end of you, anxious one, and a little loss to the universe. A Bene Gesserit faint drifted the feather that was her foe into range. One Hormuz-style kick for them to recognize. The questioner lay dead on the ground. Marriage of Bene Gesserit and honored Matre abilities creates a danger you should all recognize and envy. She taught me admirably, Mabella said. Any other questions? Eh, the old one said. How are you called? Mabella demanded. I am senior dame, honored Matre of the Hormu. I am called Elpec. Thank you, Elpec. You may call me Mabella. I am honored, Mabella. Mabella studied her a moment with Bene Gesserit watchfulness before smiling without humor. The exchange of names. You in your red robe that marks you as one of the powerful, surrounding great honored Matre. Do you know what you have just accepted into your circle? The squad remained shocked and looked at Mabella with weariness. She saw this with her new sensitivity. The old girl network had never gained a foothold in the Bene Gesserit, but it performed for honored matres. Simulflow amused her with a parade of confirmation. How subtle the power transfers. Right school, right friends, graduation and transfer onto the first rungs of the ladder, all guided by relatives and their connections, mutual back-scratching that managed alliances, including marriages. Simulflow told her it led into the pit, but ones on the ladder, the ones in controlling niches, never let that worry them. Today is sufficient unto today, and that is how Elpec sees me. But she does not see what I have become, only that I am dangerous, but potentially useful. Turning slowly on one foot, Mabella studied Elpec's squad. No bonded males here. This was too sensitive a duty for any but trusted women. Good. Now you will listen to me, all of you. If you have any loyalty to our sisterhood, which I will judge on future performance, you will honor what I have brought. I intend it as a gift for those who deserve it. Great honored Matre will be pleased, Elpec said. But great honored Matre did not appear pleased when Mabella was presented. Mabella recognized the tower setting. Almost sunset now, but Strege's body still lay where it had fallen. Some of Teg's specialists had been killed, mostly the Komai crew who doubled as his guard. No, we honored Matres do not like others spying on us. 
Teg still lived, she saw, but he was swathed in shigawa and shoved disdainfully into a corner. Most surprising of all, Odraid stood unfettered near Great Honoured Matre. It was a gesture of contempt. Mabella felt she had lived through such a scene many times, aftermath of Honoured Matre victory, swaths of their enemies' bodies left where they had been brought down. Honoured Matre attack with a bloodless weapon had been swift and deadly, a typical viciousness that killed when killing no longer was required. She suppressed a shudder at the memory of this deadly reversal. There had been no warning, only the troops dropping in wide lines, a domino effect that left the survivors in shock. And Great Honoured Matre obviously enjoyed the shock. Looking at Mabella, Great Honoured Matre said, So this is the bag of insolence you say you trained in your ways. Odraid almost smiled at the description. Bag of insolence? A Bene Gesserit would accept it without rancor. This roomy-eyed Great Honoured Matre faced a quandary and could not call on her weapon that killed without blood. Very delicate balance of power. Agitated conversations among Honoured Matres had revealed their problem. All of their secret weapons had been exhausted and could not be reloaded, something they had lost when driven back here. Our weapon of last resort, and we wasted it. Lonyo, who thought herself supreme, stood in a different arena now, and she had just learned of the fearful ease with which Mabella could kill one of the elect. Mabella cast a measuring gaze over Great Honoured Matre's entourage, gauging their potentials. They recognized this situation, of course. Familiar. How did they vote? Neutral? Some were wary, and all were waiting, anticipating a diversion. No concern over who triumphed, as long as power continued to flow in their direction. Mabella let her muscles flow into the waiting stance of combat she had learned from Duncan and the Proctors. She felt as cool as though standing on the practice floor, running through responses. Even as she reacted, she knew she moved in ways for which Odraid had prepared her, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Voice first. Give them a taste of inner chill. I see you have assessed the Bene Gesserit quite poorly. The arguments of which you are so proud, these women have heard them so many times your words go beyond boredom. This was delivered with scathing vocal control, a tone that brought orange to Lonyo's eyes but held her motionless. Mabella was not through with her. You consider yourself powerful and clever. One begets the other, eh? What idiocy. You're a consummate liar and you lie to yourself. As Lonyo remained motionless in the face of this attack, those around her began moving away, opening space that said, She is all yours. Your fluency in these lies does not hide them, Mabella said. She swept a scornful gaze across the ones behind Lonyo. Like the ones I know in other memory, you are headed for extinction. The problem is that you take so infernally long dying. Inevitable, but oh, the boredom meanwhile. You dare call yourself great honored matre returning her attention to Lonyo. Everything about you is a cesspool. You have no style. It was too much. Lonyo attacked, left foot slashing outward with blinding speed. Mabella grasped the foot as she would catch a wind-blown leaf and, continuing the flow of it, levered Lonyo into a threshing club that ended with her head pulped on the floor. Without pausing, Mabella pirouetted, 
left foot almost decapitating the honoured Matre who had stood at Lognio's right, the right hand crushing the throat of the one who had stood at Lognio's left. It was over in two heartbeats. Examining the scene without breathing hard, to show how easy it was, sisters, Mabella experienced a sense of shock and recognition of the inevitable. Odrade lay on the floor in front of Elpec, who obviously had chosen sides without hesitation. The twisted position of Odrade's neck and flaccid appearance of her body said she was dead. She tried to interfere, Elpec said. Having killed a reverend mother, Elpec expected Mirbella, a sister after all, to applaud. But Mabella did not react as expected. She knelt beside Odrade and put her head against that of the corpse, staying there an interminable time. The surviving honoured matres exchanged questioning looks, but dared not move. What is this? But they were immobilised by Mabella's terrifying abilities. When she had Odrade's recent past, all of the new added to previous sharing, Mabella stood. Elpec saw death in Mabella's eyes and took one backward step before trying to defend herself. Elpec was dangerous, but no match for this demon in the black robe. It was over with the same shocking abruptness that had taken Lonyo and her aides, a kick to the larynx. Elpec sprawled across Odrade. Once more Mabella studied the survivors, then took a moment looking down at Odrade's body. In a way, that was my doing, Da, and yours. She shook her head from side to side, absorbing consequences. Odrade is dead. Long live Mother Superior. Long live Great Honoured Matre. And may the heavens protect us all. She gave her attention then to what must be done. These deaths had created an enormous debt. Mabella took a deep breath. This was another Gordian knot. Release Teg, she said. Clean up in here as quickly as possible, and somebody get me a proper robe. It was great honoured Matre giving orders, but those who leaped to obey sensed the other in her. The one who brought her a red robe, elaborate with sue-stone dragons, held it deferentially from a distance. Large woman with heavy bones and square face. Cruel eyes. Hold it for me, Mabella said, and when the woman tried to take advantage of proximity to attack her... Mabella dumped the woman hard. Try again? This time there were no tricks. You are the first member of my council, Mabella said. Name? Angelica, great honoured matre. See, I was first to call you by your proper title. Reward me. Your reward is that I promote you and let you live. Proper honoured matre response. Accepted as such. When Teg came to her rubbing his arms where the sugar wire had bitten deep, some honoured matres tried to caution Mabella. Do you know what this one can- He serves me now, Mabella interrupted. Then in Odrade's mocking tones, Isn't that right, Miles? He gave her a rueful smile, an old man on a child's face. Interesting times, Mabella. Dar liked apples, Mabella said. See to that. He nodded. Return her to a cemetery orchard. Not that prized Bene Gesserit orchards would endure long in a desert. Still, some traditions were worth perpetuating while you could. What do holy accidents teach? Be resilient. Be strong.
Be ready for change, for the new. Gather many experiences and judge them by the steadfast nature of our faith. Tleilaksu Doctrine Well within Teg's original timetable, Mabella picked her honored matre entourage and returned to Chapter House. She expected certain problems and the messages she sent ahead paved the way for solutions. I bring futars to attract handlers. Honored matres fear a biological weapon from the scattering that made vegetables of them. Handless may be the source. Prepare to keep rabbi and party in no-ship. Honor their secrecy. And remove the protective minds from the ship. That went in keeping of a proctor messenger. She was tempted to ask for her children, but that was non-Bene Gesserit. Someday, maybe. Immediately on returning, she had Duncan to accommodate, and this confused honored matres. They were as bad as the Bene Gesserit. What's so special about one man? No longer a reason for him to remain in the ship, but he refused to leave. Of a mental mosaic to assemble, a piece that cannot be moved, extraordinary behavior, and willing participation in their dream. I must find limits to test. That's missing. I know how to find it. Get in tune. Don't think. Do it. It made no sense. She humored him, although he was changed a stability to this new Duncan that she accepted as a challenge. By what right did he assume a self-satisfied heir? No, not self-satisfied. It was more being at peace with a decision. He refused to share it. I've accepted things. You must do the same. She had to admit this described what she was doing. On her first morning back, she arose at dawn and entered the workroom. Wearing the red robe, she sat in Mother Superior's chair and summoned Belonda. Bell stood at one end of the work table. She knew. The design became clear in execution. Odrade had imposed a debt on her as well, thus the silence, assessing how she must pay. Service to this Mother Superior, Bell, that is how you pay. No archival declension of these events will put them into proper perspective. Action is required. Belonda spoke finally. The only crisis I'd care to compare with this one is the advent of the tyrant. Mabella reacted sharply. Hold your tongue, Bell, unless you've something useful to say. Belonda took the reprimand calmly. Uncharacteristic response. Dar had changes in mind. This what she expected? Mabella softened her tone. We'll rehash ancient history later. This is an opening chapter. Bad news, that was the old Belonda. Mabella said, admit the first group. Be cautious, they are great honored Matre's high council. Bell left to obey. She knows I have every right to this position. They all know it. No need for a vote, no room for a vote. Now was the time for the historical art of politics she had learned from Odrade. In all things you must appear important. No minor decisions pass through your hands unless they are quiet acts called favors done for people whose loyalty can be earned. Every reward came from on high. Not a good policy with the Bene Gesserit, but this group entering the workroom, they were familiar with a patroness great honored matre. They would accept new political necessities. Temporarily. It was always temporary, especially with honored matres. 
Bell and watchdogs knew she would be a long time sorting this out, even with amplified Bene Gesserit abilities. It would require extremely demanding attention from all of them, and the first thing was the sharply discerning gaze of innocence. That is what honored Matres lost, and we must restore it before they can fade into the background where we belong. Belonda ushered in the council and retired silently. Mabella waited until they were seated. A mixed lot. Some aspirants to supreme power. Angelica was smiling so prettily. Some waiting, not even daring to hope yet, but gathering what they could. Our sisterhood was acting with stupidity, Mabella accused. She noted the ones who took this angrily. You would have killed the goose. They did not understand. She dredged up the parable. They listened with proper attention, even when she added, Don't you realize how desperately we need every one of these witches? We outnumber them so greatly that each of them will carry an enormous teaching burden. They considered this, and, bitter though it was, they were forced to a qualified acceptance because she said it. Mabella hammered it home. Not only am I your great honored matre. Does anyone question that? No one questioned. But I am Bene Gesserit Mother Superior. They can do little else but confirm me in office. Two of them started to protest, but Mabella cut them short. No, you would be powerless to enforce your will on them. You would have to kill them all. But they will obey me. The two continued to babble, and she shouted them down. Compared to me with what I acquired from them, the lot of you are miserable weaklings. Do any of you challenge that? No one challenged, but orange flecks were there. You are children with no knowledge of what you might become, she said. Would you return defenseless to face the ones of many faces? Would you become vegetables? That caught their interest. They were accustomed to this tone from older commanders. The content held them now. It was difficult to accept from one so young. Still, the things she had done, and to Lonyo and her aides. Mabella saw them admire the bait. Fertilization. This group will carry it away with them. Hybrid vigor. We are fertilized to grow stronger. And flower. And go to seed? Best not dwell on that. Honored matres will not see it until they are almost reverent mothers. Then they will look back angrily, as I did. How could we have been that stupid? She saw submission take shape in counselors' eyes. There would be a honeymoon. Honored matres would be children in a candy store. Only gradually would the inevitable grow plain to them. Then they would be trapped. As I was trapped. Don't ask the oracle what you can gain. That's the trap. Beware the real fortune-teller. Would you like thirty-five hundred years of boredom? Odraid within objected. Give the tyrant some credit. It couldn't all have been boredom. More like a guild navigator picking his passage through fold space. Golden path. And Atreides paid for your survival, Mabella. Mabella felt burdened. The tyrant's payment dumped on her shoulders. I didn't ask him to do it for me. Odraid could not let that pass. He did it nonetheless. Sorry, Da. He paid. Now I must pay. So you are a reverend mother at last. The counselors had grown restive under her stare. Angelica elected to speak for them. After all, 
I am first chosen. Watch that one, a blaze of ambition in her eyes. What response are you asking us to take with these witches? Alarmed by her own boldness. Was not Great Honoured Matre also a witch now? Mabella spoke softly. You will tolerate them and offer them no violence whatsoever. Angelica was emboldened by Mabella's mild tone. Is that Great Honoured Matre's decision, or the... Enough! I could bloody the floor of this room with a lot of you. Do you wish to test it? They did not wish to test it. And what if I say to you that it is Mother Superior speaking? You will ask, do I have a policy to meet our problem? I will say, policy? Ah, yes, I have a policy for unimportant things, such as insect infestations. Unimportant things call for policies. For such of you as do not see the wisdom in my decision, I need no policy. Your kind I dispose of quickly. Dead before you know you've been injured. That is my response to the presence of filth. Is there any filth in this room? It was language they recognized, the lash of the great honored Matre backed by ability to kill. You are my counsel, Mabella said. I expect wisdom from you. The least you can do is pretend you are wise. Humorous sympathy from Odrade. If that's the way honored Matres give and take orders, it won't require much deep analysis by Bell. Mabella's thoughts went elsewhere. I am no longer honored matre. The step from one to another was so recent she found her honored matre performance uncomfortable. Her adjustments were a metaphor of what would happen to her former sisters, a new role and she did not wear it well. Other memory simulated long association with herself as this new person. This was no mystical transubstantiation, merely new abilities. Merely? The change was profound. Did Duncan realize this? It pained her that he might never see through to this new person. Is that the residue of my love for him? Mabella drew back from her questions, not wanting an answer. She felt repelled by something that went deeper than she cared to borrow. There will be decisions I must make that love would prevent. Decisions for the sisterhood and not for myself. That is where my fear is pointing. Immediate necessities restored her. She sent her counsellors away, promising pain and death if they failed to learn this new restraint. Next, reverend mothers must be taught a new diplomacy, getting along with no one, not even with each other. It would grow easier in time. Honoured matres slipping into Bene Gesserit ways. One day there would be no honoured matres, only reverend mothers with improved reflexes and augmented knowledge of sexuality. Mabella felt haunted by words she had heard but not accepted until this moment. The things we will do for Bene Gesserit survival have no limits. Duncan will see this. I cannot keep it from him. They meant that we'll not hold to a fixed idea of what I was before the agony. He opens his mind as I open a door. He will examine his net. What have I caught this time? Was this what happened to Lady Jessica? Other memory carried Jessica threaded into the warp and woof of sharings. Mabella unraveled a bit and paraded elder knowledge. Heretic Lady Jessica? Malfeasance in office? Jessica had plunged into love as Odrade had plunged into the sea, and the resultant waves had all but engulfed the sisterhood. 
Mabella sensed this taking her where she did not want to go. Pain clutched her chest. Duncan? Oh, Duncan! She dropped her face into her hands. Dar, help me. What am I to do? Never ask why you're a reverend mother. I must. The progression is clear in my memory, and that's a sequence. Thinking of it as cause and effect beguiles you away from totality. Dao? Simpler. You are here. But other memory goes back and back, and imagine its pyramids interlocked. Those are just words. Is your body still functioning? I hurt, Dar. You don't have a body anymore, and it's useless to... We occupy different niches. The pains I felt are not your pains. My joys are not your joys. I don't want your sympathy. Oh, Dar, why was I born? Were you born to lose, Duncan? Dar, please! So you were born, and now you know that's never enough. So you became an honored matre. What else could you do? Still not enough? Now you're a reverend mother. You think that's enough? It's never enough as long as you're alive. You're telling me I must always reach beyond myself. Ah, you don't make decisions on that basis. Didn't you hear him? Don't think, do it. Will you choose the easy way? Why should you feel sad because you've encountered the inevitable? If that's all you can see, confine yourself to improving the breed. Damn you, why did you do this to me? Do what? Make me see myself and my former sisters this way. What way? Damn you, you know what I mean. Former sisters, you say? Oh, you are insidious. All reverend mothers are insidious. You never stop teaching. Is that what I do? How innocent I was, asking you what you really do. You know as well as I do. We wait for humankind to mature. The tyrant only provided them time to grow, but now they need care. What's the tyrant have to do with my pain? You foolish woman, did you fail the agony? You know I didn't. Stop stumbling over the obvious. Oh, you bitch! I prefer witch. Either is preferable to whore. The only difference between Bene Gesserit and Honored Matre is the marketplace. You married our sisterhood. Our sisterhood? You bred for power. How is that different from... Don't twist it, Mabella. Keep your eyes on survival. Don't tell me you had no power. Temporary authority over people intent on survival. Survival again. In a sisterhood that promotes the survival of others. Like the married woman who bears children. So it comes down to procreation. That's a decision you make for yourself. Family and what binds it. What tickles life and happiness? Mabella began to laugh. She dropped her hands and opened her eyes to find Belonda standing there, watching. That's always a temptation for a new reverend mother, Belonda said. Chat a bit with other memory. Who was it this time? Da? Mabella nodded. Don't trust anything they give you. It's law, and you judge it for yourself. The Drade's words exactly. Look through the eyes of the dead at scenes long gone. What a peep show. You can get lost in there for hours, Belonda said. Exercise restraint. Be sure of your ground. One hand for yourself and one for the ship. There it was again. The past applied to the present. How rich other memory made everyday life. It'll pass, Belonda said. It gets to be old hat after a time. She laid a report in front of Mabella. 
old hat, one hand for yourself and one for the ship. So much just in idioms. Mabella leaned back in the sling chair to scan Belonda's report, fancying herself suddenly in O'Drade's idiom. Spider queen in the center of my web. The web might be a bit frayed just now, but it was still there catching things to be digested. Twitch a trigger strand and Bell came running, mandibles flexing in anticipation. The Twitch words were archives and analysis. Seeing Belonda in this light, Mabella saw the wisdom in the ways Odrade had employed her, flaws as valuable as the strengths. When Mabella finished the report, Belonda still stood there in characteristic attitude. Mabella recognized that Belonda looked on all who summoned her as ones who had not measured up, people who called on archives for frivolous reasons and had to be set straight. Frivolity. Belonda's bête noire. Mabella found this amusing. Mabella kept amusement masked while enjoying Belonda. The way to deal with her was to be scrupulous, nothing to subtract from strengths. This report was a model of concise and pertinent argument. She made her points with few embellishments, just enough to reveal her own conclusions. Does it amuse you to summon me? Belonda asked. She's sharper than she was. Did I summon her? Not in so many words, but she knows when she's needed. She says here our sisters must be models of meekness. Mother Superior may be anything she needs to be, but not so the rest of the sisterhood. Mabella touched the report. A starting point? Then we should start before your friends find the Comai Center. Belonda sank into her chair dog with familiar confidence. Tam's gone, but I could send for Shiana. Where is she? At the ship, studying a collection of worms in the Great Hold, says any of us can be taught to control them. Valuable if true, leave her. What of Sightail? Still in the ship? Your friends haven't found him yet. We're keeping him under wraps. Let's continue that. He's a good reserve bargaining chip, and they're not my friends, Bell. How are the rabbi and his party? Comfortable but worried. They know honored matres are here. Keep them under wraps. It's uncanny. A different voice, but I hear da. An echo in your head. Alonda actually laughed. Now here's what you must spread among the sisters. We act with extreme delicacy while showing ourselves as people to admire and emulate. You, honored matres, may not choose to live as we live, but you can learn our strengths. Ah! It comes down to ownership. Honored matres are owned by things. I want that place, that bauble, that person. Take what you want. Use it until you tire of it while we go along our path admiring what we see. And there's our flaw. We don't give ourselves easily. Fear of love and affection. To be self-possessed has its own greed. See what I have? You can't have it unless you follow my ways. Never take that attitude with honored matres. Are you telling me we have to love them? How else can we make them admire us? That was Jessica's victory. When she gave, she gave it all so much bottled up by our ways, and then that overwhelming wash, everything given. It's irresistible. We don't compromise that easily. No more do honored matres. That's the way of their bureaucratic origins. Yet theirs is a training ground for following the path of least resistance. You're confusing me, da. Mabella. Have I said we should compromise? 
Compromise weakens us, and we know there are problems compromise cannot solve. Decisions we must make, no matter how bitter. Pretend to love them? That's a beginning. It'll be a bloody union, this joining of Bene Gesserit and Honoured Matre. I suggest we share as widely as possible. We may lose people while Honoured Matres are learning. A marriage made on the battlefield. Mabella stood, thinking of Duncan in the no-ship, remembering the ship as she had seen it last. There it was, finally, not hidden to any sense. A lump of strange machinery, oddly grotesque, a wild conglomeration of protrusions and juttings with no apparent purpose. Hard to imagine the thing lifting on its own power, enormous as that was, and vanishing into space. Vanishing into space. She saw the shape of Duncan's mental mosaic. A piece that cannot be moved. Get in tune. Don't think. Do it. With an abruptness that chilled her, she knew his decision. When you think to take determination of your fate into your own hands, that is the moment you can be crushed. Be cautious. Allow for surprises. When we create, there are always other forces at work. Darwi O'Dreid Move with extreme care, Shiana had warned him. Idaho did not think he needed warning, but appreciated it nonetheless. Presence of honoured matras on Chapter House eased his task. They made the ship's proctors and other guards nervous. Mabella's orders kept her former sisters out of the ship, but everyone knew the enemy was here. Scanner relays showed a seemingly endless stream of lighters disgorging honoured matras on the flat. Most of the new arrivals appeared curious about that monstrous no-ship sitting there, but no one disobeyed great honoured matra. Not while she's alive, Idaho muttered where proctors could hear him. They have a tradition of assassinating their leaders to replace them. How long can Mabella hold out? Comais did his work for him. He knew his muttering would spread through the ship. Shiana came to him in his workroom shortly afterward and made a show of disapproval. What are you trying to do, Duncan? You're upsetting people. Go back to your worms. Duncan! Mabella's playing a dangerous game. She's all that stands between us and disaster. He had already voiced this worry to Mabella. It was not new to the Watchers, but reinforcement made everyone who heard him edgy. Comai monitors in archives, ship guards, everyone. Except honoured Matras. Mabella was keeping them out of Belonda's archives. Time for that later, she said. Shiana had her cue. Duncan, either stop feeding our worries or tell us what we should do. You're a Mentat. Function for us. Ah, oh, the great Mentat performs for all to see. What you should do is obvious, but it's not up to me. I can't leave Mabella. But I can be taken away. Now it was up to Shiana. She left him and went to spread her own brand of change. We have the scattering for our example. By evening, she had the Reverend Mothers in the ship neutralized and gave him a hand signal that they could take the next step. They will follow my lead. Without intending it, the missionaria had set the stage for Shiana's ascendancy. Most sisters knew the power latent in her. 
dangerous, but it was there. Unused power was like a marionette with visible strings, nobody holding them. A compelling attraction. I could make it dance. Feeding the deception, he called Mabella. When will I see you? Duncan, please. Even in projection, she looked harried. I'm busy. You know the pressures. I'll be out in a few days. Projection showed honoured marchers in the background, scowling at this odd behaviour in their leader. Any reverend mother could read their faces. Has great honoured Matra gone soft? There's nothing but a man out there. When he broke off, Idaho emphasised what every monitor on the ship had seen. She's in danger, doesn't she know it? And now, Shiana, it's up to you. Shiana had the key to reinstate the ship's flight controls. The mines were gone. No one could destroy the ship at the last instant with a signal to hidden explosives. There was only the human cargo to consider, Teg especially. Teg will see my choices. The others, the rabbi's party and Skytail, will have to take their chances with us. The futars in their security cells did not worry him. Interesting animals, but not significant at the moment. For that matter, he gave only a passing thought to Skytail. The little Tlilaxu remained under the eyes of guards, who were not relaxing their watch on him, no matter their other worries. He went to bed with a nervousness that had ready explanation for any watchdog in archives. His precious Mabella is in peril. And she was in peril, but he could not protect her. My very presence is a danger to her now. He was up at dawn, back to the armory dismantling a weapons factory. Shiana found him there and asked him to join her in the guard section. A handful of proctors greeted them. The leader they had chosen did not surprise him, Garimi. He had heard about her performance at the convocation, suspicious, worried, ready to make her own gamble. She was a sober-faced woman. Some said she seldom smiled. We have diverted the commies in this room, Garimi said. They show us having a snack and questioning you about weapons. Idaho felt a knot in his stomach. Bell's people would spot a simulation quickly, especially a projected mock-up of himself. Garimi responded to his frown. We have allies in archives. Shiana said, we are here to ask if you wish to leave before we escape in this ship. His surprise was genuine. Stay behind. He had not considered it. Mabella was no longer his. The bond had been broken in her. She did not accept it, not yet. But she would the first time she was asked to make a decision putting him in danger for Benny Gesserit purposes. Now she merely stayed away from him more than was necessary. You're going to scatter, he asked, looking at Garimi. We'll save what we can. Voting with our feet, it was called once. Mabella is subverting the Bene Gesserit. There was the unspoken argument he had trusted to win them. Disagreement over Odraid's gamble. Idaho took a deep breath. I will go with you. No regrets, Garimi warned. That's stupid, he said, venting his repressed grief. Garimi would not have been surprised by that response from a sister. Idaho shocked her, and she was several seconds recovering. Honesty compelled her. Of course it's stupid. I'm sorry. 
You're sure you won't stay. We owe you the chance to make your own decision. Any Jesuit fastidiousness with those who served them loyally. I'll join you. The grief they saw on his face was not simulated. He wore it openly when he returned to his console. My assigned position. He did not try to hide his actions when he coded for the ship's ID circuits. Allies in archives. The circuits came flashing up on his projections, coloured ribbons with a broken link into flight systems. The way around that breakage was visible after only a few moments' study. Mentat observations had been prepared for it. Multiples through the core. Idaho sat back and waited. Liftoff was a skull-rattling moment of blankness that stopped abruptly when they were far enough clear of the surface to engage null fields and enter fold space. Idaho watched his projection. There they were, the old couple in their garden setting. He saw the net shimmering in front of them, the man gesturing at it, smiling in round-faced satisfaction. They moved in a transparent overlay that revealed ship circuits behind them. The net grew larger. Not lines, but ribbons thicker than the projected circuits. The man's lips shaped words, but there was no sound. We expected you. Idaho's hands went to his console, fingers splayed in the com field to grasp required elements of the circuit control. No time for niceties. Gross disruption. He was into the core within a second. From there, it was a simple matter to dump entire segments. Navigation went first. He saw the net begin to thin, the look of surprise on the man's face. Null fields were next. Idaho felt the ship lurching in fold space. The net tipped, becoming elongated with the two watchers foreshortened and thinned. Idaho wiped out star memory circuits, taking his own data with them. Net and watchers vanished. How did I know they would be there? He had no answer except a certainty rooted in the repeated visions. Shiana did not look up when he found her at the temporary flight control board in the guard quarters. She was bent over the board, staring at it in consternation. The projection above her showed they had emerged from fold space. Idaho recognized none of the visible star patterns, but he had expected that. Shiana swiveled and looked at Garimi standing over her. We've lost all data storage. Idaho tapped his temple with his forefinger. No, we haven't. But it'll take years to recover even the essentials, Shiana protested. What happened? We're an unidentifiable ship in an unidentifiable universe, Idaho said. Isn't that what we wanted? There's no secret to balance. You just have to feel the waves. Darwi O'Dreid. Mabella felt that an age had passed since she recognized Duncan's decision. Vanish into space. Leave me. The unvarying time sense of the agony told her only seconds had elapsed since awareness of his intentions, but she felt she had known this from the first. He must be stopped. She was reaching for her comm board when Central began to shudder. The quaking continued for an interminable time and subsided slowly. Belonda was on her feet. What? The no ship at the flat has just lifted, Mabella said. Belonda reached for the comm board, but Mabella stopped her. It's gone. 
She must not see my pain. But who? Belonda fell silent. She had her own assessments of consequences and saw then what Mabella saw. Mabella sighed. She had all of the curses of history at her disposal and wanted none of them. At lunchtime I will eat in my private dining room with counsellors, and I want you present, Mabella said. Tell Joanna oyster stew again. Belonda started to protest, but all that came out was, Again? You will recall I ate alone downstairs last night? Mabella resumed her seat. Mother Superior has duties. There were maps to change and rivers to follow and honoured matres to domesticate. Some waves throw you, Mabella, but you get back up and go on with it. Seven times down, eight times up. You can balance on strange surfaces. I know, Dar, willing participation in your dream. Belonda stared at her until Mabella said, I made my counsellors sit at a distance from me at dinner last night. It was strange. Only the two tables in the whole dining room. Why do I continue this inane chatter? What excuses do I have for my extraordinary behavior? We wondered why none of us were permitted in our own dining room, Belonda said. To save your lives. But you should have seen their interest. I read their lips. Angelica said she's eating some kind of stew. I heard her discussing it with the chef. Isn't this a marvelous world we've acquired? We must sample that stew she ordered. Samples? Belonda said, I see. Then, you know, don't you, Shiana took the Van Gogh painting from your sleeping chamber. Why does that hurt? I noticed it was missing. Said she was borrowing it for her room in the ship. Mabella's lips went thin. Damn them, Duncan and Shiana, Teg, Sightail, all of them gone and no way to follow. But we still have axolotl tanks, and Idaho cells from our children. Not the same, but close. He thinks he's escaped. Are you all right, Mabella? Concern in Belle's voice. You warned me about wild things, Dar, and I didn't listen. After we've eaten, I will take my counselors on an inspection tour of Central. Tell my acolyte I'll want cider before retiring. Belonda left, muttering. That was more like her. How do you guide me now, Dar? You want guidance? A guided tour of your life? Is that why I died? But they took the Van Gogh, too. Is that what you'll miss? Why did they take it, Dar? Caustic laughter greeted this, and Mabella was glad no one else heard. Can't you see what she intends? The missionaria scheme. Oh, more than that. It's the next phase. Muad'Dib, to Tyrant, to Honored Matres, to us, to Shiana. To what? Can't you see it? The thing is right here at the lip of your thoughts. Accept it as you would swallow a bitter drink. Mabella shuddered. See it? The bitter medicine of a Shiana future? We once thought all medicines had to be bitter or they were not effective. No healing power in the sweet. Must it happen, Dar? Some will choke on that medicine, but the survivors may create interesting patterns. Paired opposites define your longings. 
and those longings imprison you. The Zen Sunni Whip You deliberately let them get away, Daniel. The old woman rubbed her hands down the stained front of her garden apron. It was a summer morning around her, flowers blooming, birds calling from nearby trees. There was a misty look to the sky, a yellow radiance near the horizon. Now, Marty, it was not deliberate, Daniel said. He took off his pork pie hat and rubbed the bushy stubble of grey hair before replacing the hat. He surprised me. I knew he saw us, but I didn't suspect he saw the net. And I had such a nice planet picked out for them, Marty said. One of the best. A real test of their abilities. No use moaning about it, Daniel said. They're where we can't touch them now. He was spread so thin, though, I expected to catch him easy. They had a Tleilaxu master, too, Marty said. I saw him when they went under the net. I would have so liked to study another master. Don't see why. Always whistling at us. Always making it necessary to stomp them down. I don't like treating masters that way, and you know it. If it weren't for them... They're not gods, Daniel. Neither are we. I still think you let them escape. You're so anxious to prune your roses. What would you have said to the master anyway? Daniel asked. I was going to joke when he asked who we were. They always ask that. I was going to say, what did you expect? God himself with a flowing beard? Daniel chuckled. That would have been funny. They have such a hard time accepting that face dancers can be independent of them. I don't see why. It's a natural consequence. They gave us the power to absorb the memories and experiences of other people. Gather enough of those and... It's personas we take, Marty. Whatever. The masters should have known we would gather enough of them one day to make our own decisions about our own future. And theirs. Oh, I'd have apologized to him after putting him in his place. You can do just so much managing of others, isn't that right, Daniel? When you get that look on your face, Marty, I go prune my roses. He went back to a line of bushes with verdant leaves and black blooms as large as his head. Marty called after him. Gather up enough people and you get a big ball of knowledge, Daniel. That's what I'd have told him. And those Bene Gesserit in that ship? I'd have told them how many of them I have. Ever notice how alienated they feel when we peek at them? Daniel bent to his black roses. She stared after him, hands on her hips. Not to mention Mentats, he said. There were two of them on that ship, both golas. You want to play with them? The masters always try to control them too, she said. That master is going to have trouble if he tries to mess with that big one, Daniel said, snipping off a ground shoot from the root stock of his roses. My, this is a pretty one. Mentats too, Marty called. I'd have told them. Dime a dozen they are. Dimes? I don't think they'd have understood that, Marty. The Reverend Mothers, yes, but not that big Mentat. He didn't thin out that far back. You know what you let get away, Daniel, she demanded, coming up beside him. That master had a null entropy tube in his chest, full of gola cells too. I saw it. That's why you let them get away. Didn't let them. His pruning shears went snick, snick. Golas, he's welcome to them. 
We hope you've enjoyed Chapter House Dune, a Macmillan audiobook from Tor Books. This program was produced by Laura Wilson. Text copyright 1985 by Frank Herbert. Production copyright 2009 by Macmillan Audio. All rights reserved.